Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. It's episode 89. This is July 17th, 2022. We're going to be breaking down the news of the week, getting in some of the censored stories over the next six or seven hours tonight, just as we usually do every week. Give you a little tasty summary that you can watch throughout the next week to catch up on the last week so you understand the historical context and not just a bunch of chat, uh, headlines that change every day as you go through. So newer headlines in the past week. We saw... New York City started doing nuclear missile drills, nuclear attack drills. Like it's the 1960s Cuban Missile Crisis, duck and cover, get under the desks, whatever the modern version of that. People in New York City, they've been practicing that. Also, we got a news train of COVID to talk about. They say it's the most deadly variant yet, which is, you know, it's an interesting claim, right? That's clickbait that they're putting out there for you. Is it really that deadly or were the other ones just not that deadly and this one's deadlier? We have yet to find out because of that. Let's go back to New York City. They're bringing back the mask mandates. They're dusting those off. Those things you thought were in the past. Maybe we had outgrown that irrational fear based thinking of of, uh, you know, putting something against your face all day and then touching it with your dirty hands and then having it next to your nose and respiratory tract all day. Uh, the unsanitariness of it. If you just observe people there, it's so casual. It's no longer a, a preventative device, a medical device. It's more of a fashion statement. It's a political statement these days. So we'll get into that. There's also a, a clip after which this episode is named Chemical Colonialism. It's Russell Brand talking with Vandana Shiva. Now, 10 years ago, when we launched Tragedy and Hope, remember we mentioned the uh, 10 year anniversary or the 13 year anniversary a couple weeks ago. Uh, in our first issue, we had Vandana Shiva. We had the you know, world according to Monsanto. There was a lot of chemicals in the food back then that we were telling people about. Fast forward 13 years later, still going on today. So what you're going to see is a recent clip with Russell Brand, Vandana Shiva. She's going to talk about this chemical corporate colonialism of our food, of our being. Because as we'll learn in the intermission tonight with Jake Tran, uh, there is uh, part of our being that is now sponsored by DuPont. It's in 99% of the people on the planet. And uh, we're going to see his special, uh, how DuPont poisoned the world. Also, tonight's special guest is uh, Gareth Ike. He is the host of the show right now on the Iconic Network. So we're going to talk to him for a little bit. And then uh, there's also a clip going around. Burmis was, I I think his title was, World Economic Forum Wants to Bring Robots to the Classroom. So it's more on the cybernetics, track trace, database, technology, technocratic control of not just us, but the future generations. The removal of pesky teachers, just like they want to remove parents from the process and just have the government create or incubate human beings. Same kind of thing in the schools. So no bridge between your child and the future other than the robot or the AI algorithm that they're interacting with. Human being, human wisdom, human experience no longer fits the bill. It's, it's obsolete, they say. All right. So to get tonight rolling, let's go to Luke Radowski of wearechange.org and let's get tonight's kickoff. <laughs> Hello, useless eaters. As your unqualified, non-elected global human health overlord, I'd like to take this opportunity to flaunt my position of power and influence over society and share some of my plans for you and your future. When I amassed my fortune in computer software, I demonstrated that I was willing to lie, steal code, cheat my partners, and exercise monopolistic control to destroy my competitors. Now that I've retired, I can rebrand myself as a humanitarian. 
With my for-profit foundation, Mass Grading, as a charity, I can advocate for population reduction and sponsor mass human experiments with unproven vaccines in vulnerable populations. Like my father, a powerful banker, eugenicist, and Rockefeller crony himself, it's always been my ambition to decide who lives and, more importantly, how many have to Huh, that generic looking cartoon sure looks like someone that we can't criticize fully here on this platform. I wonder who it is. Must be, must be nobody. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Lukadowski here of WeAreChange.org. And oh boy, do we have some absolutely crazy news to get into today. As of course, there's a plethora of absolutely insane corruption going on. This as today, we just got another major signal that there are some very serious economic troubles ahead. Lots of geopolitical realignments. And if you thought it couldn't get a lot worse, you're not thinking. This as we have a very eye-opening message for you here on this particular video and there's so much crazy news we're just gonna jump right into it as today we are finding out that nancy pelosi's husband has bought over a million dollars of computer chip stocks in a company that house speaker nancy pelosi will be soon deciding the future of in an upcoming vote in congress now it's important to note here that we live in a plutocracy a country created for some of the wealthiest people in our society like the pelosi's that literally have been making better stock trades than Warren Buffett and anyone else in the business. How does someone connected to government make all these accurate, predictive economic decisions that they're so heavily involved in? Huh. I wonder how they're doing that. And obviously it is clear corruption, as of course there's even entire social media accounts dedicated to Nancy Pelosi's stock trading portfolios, which have been banned and censored, especially on TikTok, because they have been very accurate. And when you're gaming the system from an insider like Nancy Pelosi is, you could bet your bottom dollar that they don't want you finding out about it. They don't want you investing like they're investing because the game is rigged. Now when it comes comes to this specific highly suspicious stock purchase from Paul Pelosi. Some people are saying it's a million dollars. Business Insider is saying it's 2.1 million. Other news organizations are saying 5 million. I think it's just safe to say over 1 million. This as the company that he is buying is set to receive a massive government subsidy inside of Congress that will be taking your money and giving it to them, heavily investing in that specific industry. The bill that Nancy Pelosi is going to be voting on will decide if $52 billion will be delivered to these specific companies in a chip subsidy bill that would also give the companies tax credits in order to, of course, increase competitiveness with China when it comes to producing chips. Now, with financial decisions like this, this could explain why Nancy Pelosi, who, by the way, has a salary of, of nearly $200,000 a year, as speaker in the house is estimated to be worth over a hundred million dollars those numbers of course don't equate unless you're doing something shady which a lot of these politicians are secretively this is just scratching the surface of what we're finding out you can imagine what we still don't know about as openly these people also just drunk drive without any major consequences as Nancy Pelosi's husband was just caught doing within just the last few weeks what will be the consequences of this irresponsible behavior that put lives at risk well we'll see if there's any and if there is it's probably going to be a lot more severe than just robbing the nation of its wealth and when the ruling elites are you know stealing money driving drunk they're also doing unspeakable things to small children 
that we can't even describe to you in this particular platform. This as today, we're finding out, according to the Daily Mail, there's a photograph of Prince Andrew that allegedly would, quote, rock the monarchy if it was ever made public. This as we're finding out, as a photographer working for the BBC, Mark Harrison is refusing to reveal what this photograph shows as allegedly it is shocking and embarrassing and it made, quote, staff's jaw drop. Now, what kind of predicament was Prince Andrew caught in to have such salacious speculative images of him out there that the British Broadcasting Corporation is literally covering up? Well, we don't know. We, we can only speculate from here as, of course, it's also important to note that the photo was taken during the infamous interview that Prince Andrew made to the British Broadcasting Company and a couple things here that I just wanted to point out. Why is the British Broadcasting Company that receives subsidies from the government to publish information to the general public protecting the royal family once again when it comes to monstrous individuals that have hurt individuals in unspeakable ways? This is not the first time they did this. They did this on multiple occasions. Two, whether this photograph is, is, is something legitimate or it's not, it doesn't matter. Prince Andrew, the Queen's favorite son, according to many sources, deserves a reckoning when it comes to his participation in the largest extortion and trafficking operation that has happened within the last 30 years and the fact that this man could buy justice he by the way settled with his accusers to the tune of millions of dollars to silence them to censor any kind of criticism of him the fact that this man could do unspeakable things and get away with it because he's rich and his mom is the queen shows you the hypocrisy and duplicity of the current system that we're living under. Now, when the ruling elites aren't driving home drunk, stealing your money, and hurting children in unspeakable ways, let's not also forget that a lot of them are consuming a huge amount of paraphernalia and even brazenly taking photos and videos of them breaking the law, just like Hunter Biden did many times and never facing any real repercussions of. If there ever was enough reason to understand that we're living under a plutocracy that prioritizes multinational corporations and big banks and huge industries like Big Pharma, what other signs did you need to show you that this is purely a plutocracy under all forms of understanding of it? And while the rich get to do whatever they want, Let's also not forget that they put out a lot of distractions for us. So we are divided and conquered talking about nonsense that has absolutely no impact on our life. I, I think it's fair to say that we're in a, a little bit of a predicament, especially when it comes to all the financial dealings and current economic situation. And I think Matt Kibbe kind of synchronized a very important point that I think is worth making, saying specifically, quote, the solution to rampant inflation is simple enough. Just stop. Stop spending, stop printing, stop helping, stop meddling. Let the economy heal from years of government abuse. These are political intolerable solutions, of course. And if you look at the current situation that we're dealing with, the current problems that we're dealing with, this is what has been happening routinely, historically, when governments and central bankers become too big, too powerful, and too involved in your everyday life. And with the government promising more intervention to their already interventionist destruction of our economy, things are obviously going to get worse on many markers, including a very recent one, not just because of the policies being implemented all over the world that are going to 
to create food shortages, energy shortages, a restriction of life that we're seeing the farmers in the Netherlands protest right now, that we're seeing Sri Lankans overturn their government because of, but specifically when it comes to these out of touch plutocrats, they now have a vision that they must protect you from you. And that even though they're living in lavish ocean, oceanfront mansions, even though they're flying on individual private jets, even though they're ignoring the pollution created by their companies, by also developing countries, they still have the gall to stand up on their podium and tell you, you are the problem. You're consuming too much. And that, of course, is a message being brought on with a lot of skepticism. Rightfully so. The Biden administration is the epitome of these kind of hypocrisies as they, of course, have implemented policies that have directly shot the United States in its foot, restricted and stopped domestic energy exploration production, as, of course, it's the Biden administration that literally promised to get us off fossil fuels. Now it's that same administration. It's that same president that's now literally flying to Saudi Arabia asking them to produce more oil this as of course the biden administration promised that it wouldn't be doing so and now they're they're very publicly doing that as joe biden has flown to saudi arabia to meet with the saudi crown prince as of course there are major energy shortages and some serious problems that the world is dealing with because of energy production that has been halted deliberately by the Western world. What's the Western world's response to destroying domestic energy production to help the environment? Go to Saudi Arabia, finance their human rights violations, and then use more oil to ship their oil over here to the United States, all in the name of, of helping the, the, the environment. A, a ridiculous, nonsensical policy that, of course, truly deserves to be criticized. The hypocrisy of Biden demanding Saudi Arabia to, to produce more oil is extremely bewildering with the policies that he has instituted. And now, according to the White House, yes, energy prices are going to go down because allegedly Saudi Arabia has agreed to Biden's demand and has now increased oil production, which, according to the White House, will help stabilize the markets. Now, a couple, couple things here. One, this policy is idiotic and absolutely deranged. Two, is that is that the truth? Are they really just because Biden came? Are they really just going to do it just because Biden told them to? And no, it looks like the White House is lying through their teeth once again, as the official reports that we're getting from Bloomberg are saying that Saudi Arabia is publicly declaring that the decision to produce more oil is up to OPEC and not them, as we're getting reports from inside of Saudi Arabia that they will not be increasing the oil production beyond their current limits, making this a, a major slapback against Biden, his administration, and what looks like bold-faced lies to the American people that they're trying to deny the upcoming disastrous reality of that they're going to be facing the consequences of because of their policies soon. Reuters, Biden failed to secure major security and oil commitments at Arab summit. And it looks like that's not the only contradicting statement from the Saudis and the United States. The Saudis are denying any official ties with Israel, even though they have worked with a lot of foreign policy endeavors inside of Syria just a few years ago. There's another contradiction between these two countries, as Biden is saying that he did confront a Saudi minister about the assassination of an American journalist who had ties to U.S. intelligence organizations. Biden is trying to dismiss this topic by saying, quote, officially, talk about something that matters uh 
And yep, that does matter. And geopolitically, we, we told you that this mission was futile even a few weeks ago, as of course the Biden administration even talked and announced this trip officially because we said, what's in the incentive of, of Saudi Arabia actually doing this? As of course, Saudi Arabia and other oil producing countries are receiving a record amount of profits as of course, the price of energy has gone up. The demand has gone up. The supply has been limited deliberately. And why would Saudi Arabia give themselves a pay cut by producing more supply when the demand is at an all-time high and people are willing to pay a lot for it and give them more money. Well, Biden, of course, promised them more security alliance deals and uh, the Saudis rejected that. It's also important to note that the United States is still in a coalition with Saudi Arabia, literally launching airstrikes on bridges, roads, schools, and hospitals inside of Yemen, working together hand-in-hand -hand against the Houthi rebels, working with literal radical Wahhabists and members of Al-Qaeda. All of this while implementing bewildering foreign policy decisions that, of course, are creating a current political realignment of many foreign countries that are looking to alternatives to the U.S. petrodollar. This, as of course the latest news from Saudi Arabia, signals more economic devastation for everybody, including the poorest people in the world, the poorest people inside of the United States. The people with the least amount will be paying the most for these ridiculous, insane policies as more Americans are living paycheck to paycheck more than ever and the big lesson here is that no one is coming to save you things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better if you're looking for a politician or a personality that will change things in your life you're looking in the wrong direction the only person who can help you is you yourself as an individual taking care of your own responsibilities your own health should be a priority more than ever especially with some very upcoming turbulent times republicans just like the democrats don't worry they'll sell out to the same forces to the same demonic evil powers that are out there and truly you have to look in yourself to deal with the larger calamities coming our way more than ever i hope you guys are staying up to date with what's happening staying smart and making wise important decisions for your lives i hope the rain that's coming down on my uh recreational vehicle is not too loud for you guys but uh yeah the storm is is coming it's here i got some water on me i just ran outside a little bit during the shooting of this so prepare accordingly because this is going to be a rude awakening for the people who are not paying attention who of course won't be prepared to ready for the storm that's already here and messing things up very severely there's a strong message by luke at the end <clears throat> help yourself help yourself this isn't a comic book there's no superheroes coming to save us like we need to learn how to be self-reliant and move about and attain our goals, if not with ease, at least with the persistence, despite the resistance. There's a lot of other things that we could talk about from that video, but I wanted to go to the control room and have LD bring up this meme that I just dropped in the, uh, the chat, because I think it illustrates the moment where we can all step back, take a real good look at the people coming out with these rules and see if maybe they're being hypocrites just a little bit, right? Telling you about your carbon footprint. Here you go. Never forget, the world's elite put million-dollar limousines on billion-dollar jets to fly around the world to tell you to reduce your carbon footprint. And I think that's just uh, its a slap in the face, face of truth right there. That's what memes can do. They can deliver truth via these realizations, these wake-up points. 
Um, the, uh, they called it in the matrix, a splinter in the mind, but really it's just the question or the realization that, wait, maybe the official narrative is bunk. Maybe what they're telling us is not for our best interest. Maybe these people really don't care about us. Maybe they care about themselves and they're tricking the rest of us. And if you go down, that's not a rabbit hole. That's a, that's a academic pursuit toward excellence to understand what truth is and what fact and fiction is being purveyed out there and to help people have a filter to discern between the facts and the fiction. Because I think that whole carbon footprint, zero carbon Bill Gates plan, I think that's a lot of, a lot of words to say, give up your freedom, lay down and die. I think yeah. that's, that's basically what it is. That's clear. I mean, from the Club of Rome to then their publication, Limits of Growth, then the Unsaid Conference in Rio in 91 or whenever it was, that their number one goal has been trying to create the supranational uh, problem that the entire human race is going to be subjected and that's this global warming narrative and they've been trying to pump it up i mean in the 70s it was different it was more about pollution and that could create you know extremes both ways but now it's they've latched on to since the whole inconvenient truth uh bullshit documentary with al gore and whatnot that uh it notes humans it's byproducts of carbon so it's that's like another exa- excellent example Sorry, go ahead. because uh, Al Gore and Obama and all those people pushing that green agenda, the zero carbon agenda, the carbon footprint agenda, the carbon credits agenda. They all bought beachfront property around the world with y'all's money from watching Inconvenient Truth over and over again. Not only that, friends. they helped to start up many of the companies that then were subsidized by governments hmm. telling everyone to oh, go get your solar panel here, here get your windmill over here. You know, don't worry, the prices are great, not because we're subsidizing because it's a market that would never work out if we're allowed to have a free market because they're not very efficient voltaics, for example. This, uh, are you talking solar, pa- solar, solar panels, panels? Not very wind efficient. Power? Wind right. yeah, wind Jack power. Spierko had a really good argument on this last week. And, and, and he says, for windmills, you have to use windmill electricity to build them. For, for you know just the same mm-hmm. thing right know, you have to you can't use coal power and nuclear power to build the alternative like solar panels and windmills is what he, and i thought that was a it, again it brings out the hypocrisy so whether yeah. it's the you know them using dirty energy to make clean energy right well it's like combusting it's like them buying beachfront property yeah it's just like the hypocrisy that we've been pointing to oh yeah like the whole the whole podcast since the beginning yeah i mean it's um you know this is the same people that are running around saying you know give another billion dollars to the ukraine for the war effort you look at who they're financed by oh they happen to be on the you know consulting or payroll sheet for lockheed martin or xy you know it's everything sort of inverted so if you go even colbert rule, told you to pay inver- for the gas right he, he can afford six dollars a gallon what did he say something like that oh, it's yeah, for yeah, freedom he can for freedom mm-hmm. yeah it's for freedom yeah, their freedom, not your freedom. Certainly Don't get it mixed ours. up. The whole yeah, and that's sort of the point, right? Is they they need, and it's more pernicious because it 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 goes completely in line with the World Economic Forum's goals, especially for 2022. I think that's and... just coincidence, though, Tony. <laughs> I think it's just you know the you stars align. I used to believe in coincidence theory a long time ago. And then I, you what know, was your limit? Did you have a limit of coincidences? And when it went over that, you're like, wow. Yeah. More than four, going on. More, more than six variables. We'll, we'll cut it off at the chaos theory limit. More than six theor- variables and it becomes something that can't be mapped. So 
when I was more than six, I was like, yeah, must be something more. Now I'm just making that up, but I don't well, know. That's you, a good, that's a good ha- question. I think for a long time, I would look at this and say, there's probably another way to describe the chaos of what we're seeing out of a situation. It could be anything, uh, insert any conspiracy or not even ne- necessarily conspiratorial narrative, but a tragedy that's happened. So you're very easy to pick out patterns. They've actually done studies on this where like, you think there's some super high IQ dude sitting at the, the racing tracks, right? But the real in truth is like they come up with these very elaborate plans, like patterns in their own mind that have nothing to do with reality. So part of like being super high IQ is also knowing that the patterns you're recognizing correspond to the reality you're experiencing. Otherwise, you're just making up a big fantasy in your mind. So there's also that issue where people can, it's like, am I just concocting apophenia sort of patternicity fallacies because I want something more to be there because I'm trying to who knows and I, we keep Jack Spierka we, we had that on last week where he sort of mentioned like you know you guys are right about a lot of things it's just when you get to the flat earth and the moon landing stuff I kind of lose you there and I'm like yeah I agree or even building seven I can hear him I can understand where he's coming from to a certain extent you know, all right so I got I got your apophenia right here mm-hmm. right and then uh, the other one, so let me raise this up here so you guys can see a definition here. Apophenia is a tendency to uh, perceive meaningful connections in places there are no connections. And then the parallel is pareidolia, perception of meaningful interpretation uh, on a nebulous stimulus, usually visual. So it's like when you see, this would be like when you see things in uh, clouds. Yeah. Right. You see the man in the moon, Rorsach, you know, test the these sort of things. Clocks, right. Yeah, yeah. So pattern recognition, areas of psychology. Subset I don't consider them very useful, but I did learn about them because it's in a pursuit of law, knowledge and learning here. Yeah. I mean, it's apophenia. I think the, the key important thing to take away from it is that we all, I mean, it loosely relates to so many different aspects of human psychology and human perception, but generally speaking just be aware of one's own biases um they're so they're operating so subtly in your subconscious as to make it feel as though you're never going to be aware of it but you need it as though as a mechanism to kind of keep you going so this challenge biases are only present challenge your beliefs challenge your ideas by 100 but biases are only present in things that you kind of know of but don't know about and that's why you have a bias Mm -hmm. and not knowledge experience or understanding of it right so i did not know about woodrow wilson other than he was a president in the united states right and then i read some of his papers and now i have a perspective on woodrow wilson that's not based on bias it's based on the fact that he says I know there's a small group of people that influence all these actions and people won't speak above their breath. Right. That quote. Yeah. yeah, I- yeah. And I remember looking that up one, one GTW I hosted. Cause I was like, is that a real quote? It's from one of his later writings. I think after he was a politician, after he finished. No, no, I got it. I got it. Okay. I was wondering where the book might be. Let's see if I can find it. Let's do it live. We ended up finding it. This took a long time, but we didn't have the physical book, so this will back it up. Even. All right, so this is uh, yeah, yeah, this is new. Tony has not the new freedom. Let's see. Let's get some white balance, and there we go. The new freedom by Doctor Woodrow Wilson. Someone bought it, 1917. Uh, so it's before he's president. It was published in London, London, 1913, and I believe this is from. 
uh, his campaign speeches in 1911, right? So it's called The New Freedom, a call for the emancipation of the generous energies of a people. I don't know which, which a people he means. Uh, here is a quote that is often referenced. This is page 12, kids. This is not like you don't have to read far into the book to get to this quote. Since I have entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confided to me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of somebody, are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. They know that America is not the place of which it can be said, as it used to be, that a man may choose his own calling and pursue it just as far as his abilities enable him to pursue it. Because today, if he enters certain fields, there are organizations which will use means against him that will prevent his building up a business which they do not want to have built up. Organizations that will see to it that the ground is cut from under him and the markets shut against him, right? And it goes on and on. We're going to hear more about this because this is uh, laid out in the DuPont documentary and intermission, that idea of closing you off to business if you yeah. won't play by their game. And that's their new freedom. That's like, the new freedom over a hundred years ago. I mean, is that my well, bias against Woodrow Wilson? I think he's one of the worst presidents ever, but I don't have a bias when I'm just reading a quote. Like that's the, he wrote that. It's not out of context. It goes on for eight pages, as a matter of fact. So now you know why there's inaccurate paraphrasings that are out there and people try to debunk them instead of actually just getting the book and reading 12 pages into it to be like, holy shit, this has been going on a long time. Maybe I should stop giving people a hard time because they read books. I don't know. Maybe. Let's go to this yeah, week in I, media malfeasance with Christy Lee. And then we'll so talk more about Dr. Woodrow Wilson and his fine work bringing in the Federal Reserve Act. This week, the New York Times suddenly has sympathy for an insurrectionist. Life as the victim of a January 6th conspiracy theory, Ray Epps, became the unwitting face of an attempt by pro-Trump forces to promote the baseless idea that the FBI was behind the attack on the Capitol. Baseless? Then why hasn't the FBI denied involvement? Who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh I don't have the specific background to him. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, fed, 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 fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. It's even stranger New York Times would use the adjective baseless about FBI involvement when it was the New York Times that wrote this article in September of last year. Quote, among those who marched into the Capitol on January 6th, an FBI informant. Hmm. This is bullshit. Now New York Times says Epps is the victim of a conspiracy theory? Then what's this? Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. And as Revolver points out, here are some questions the New York Times reporter didn't bother to ask Ray Epps. 
Why did Epps travel all the way to D.C. and skip Trump's speech? Where did Epps get the idea to urge people to go into the Capitol? Did the reporter ask how, despite this video evidence, Epps was never arrested or jailed? Why he was quietly removed from FBI's most wanted? Maybe we should ask AOC if any of this was an inside job. And in keeping with the New York Times' big media malfeasance week, well, it reports the U.S. may be losing the fight against monkeypox, scientists say. Truth-based media points out only 0.0002% of the population is infected with monkeypox. In other news, the laptop from hell makes another appearance. Corporate media feels the heat, and it has run out of the kitchen. While more images and incriminating texts and voicemails trickle out, MSM does its best to ignore, but the floodgates have opened. As Gateway Pundit reports, this video showing Hunter in a transaction for crack cocaine while naked was found on Hunter Biden's laptop from a backup of his phone. This criminal act should have landed him in prison for years. Where are the feds? And where is the wall-to-wall -wall reporting we would have seen had it been the former president's son in the video. Kudos to Yahoo News for actually crediting the contents of the laptop as authentic according to Secret Service and pointing out why the leaks actually matter. While it's more sensationalism to share the hookers, drugs, and nudity, the laptop has revealed Biden's big lie. Quote, the president knew about his son's business dealings with China despite repeatedly claiming that he has never spoken to him about his overseas business dealings. Yes, I'm having to credit Yahoo News, not CNN, not MSNBC, not WAPA or New York Times and a story with implications bigger than Watergate. The legacy media has also ignored that the Biden administration is restricting access to over 150 suspicious activity reports on Hunter and more salacious material released from his devices, according to American Greatness. However, thanks to the Washington Examiner, we do now know Hunter Biden's payments to a Ukrainian woman linked to an escort ring were flagged by J.P. Morgan Chase in late 2018 and early 2019 in a report filed with the federal government. This after President Joe Biden committed to wiring him a total of a hundred grand to help pay his bills. What's this conversation with an escort about? I'm sorry that it took so long to give you ten thousand dollars. Do you have any bruise? Anything? Is any? Have I ever touched you in a bad way? Ever? Have I asked you every time if I could touch you? Every time. You cannot talk to me that way and say things like that because. I'm more respectful than anyone you've ever met. Hunter's computer is a treasure trove of information. And my concern about the way the Treasury Department, Justice Department may be using suspicious activity reports is uh, they'll certainly use them against Republicans. But we now have we don't have equal justice. We have a two tier justice system, uh, one that will uh, 
treat with kid gloves or cover up for Democrats and their powerful friends, the elite, and the rest of Americans. And I think we're seeing that big time with Hunter Biden. But are there signs the corporate media is turning its tide, turning on Biden to throw him under the bus? Now that inflation has hit yet another peak, here's CNN. Yes, CNN actually calling Biden out. CNN's Caitlin Collins asked President Biden about inflation on December 10th. It's July now, on December 10th. And President Biden told her then that he thought December 10th was the peak of the crisis. Take a listen. And I think you'll see it change uh, um, sooner than quicker, than more rapidly than it will take than most people think. Every other aspect of the economy is racing ahead. It's doing incredibly well. Now, obviously, the war in Ukraine has happened since then, which is partially to blame for higher gas prices, although Putin's forces were on the border right then. Um, but it just seems clear that the Biden administration has misjudged how bad inflation was going to get for months and months and months. New York Times has come out with its own hit pieces concerning Biden. Quote, he often shuffles when he walks and aides worry he will trip on a wire. He stumbles over words during public events and they hold their breath to see if he makes it to the end without a gaffe. It also published a poll that shows 64% of Democrats want Joe Biden out and a new candidate in for 2024. CNBC is even highlighting Biden's dismal approval ratings, ratings lower than the worst scores ever for Donald Trump. And while most of the media ignored the Durham investigation until a jury nullified his case against Clinton lawyer Michael Sussman, now they have something else to ignore. Special counsel John Durham's probe into the origins of the Russian investigation is heating up again. Today, he asked a federal court to subpoena witnesses to testify in the trial against a Russian lawyer who allegedly served as British ex-spy Christopher Steele's primary source in that infamous Steele dossier. Well, Durham's filing requests the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia issue 30 subpoenas for witness appearances in Alexandria, Virginia. That's beginning October 11th. Bringing you its ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false, that's your media malfeasance for the second week of July. Let's just wrap up with some wise words from VP Harris. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue, it's a big issue. You need to get to go, to get to go, and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. So we have expanded access. You need to get to go, to get to go, where you need to go. You need to get to go, to get to go, where you need to go. You need to get to go, to get to go, where you need to go to do the work and get home. So we have expanded access to transportation. So Biden's own party wants him out. That's interesting, right? Because they do kind of have to keep an eye on him. He's shuffling around. He could trip on a wire. Uh, this past week, he missed like the the red carpet. It wasn't really red, but he was a carpet walkway. He's supposed to yeah. be going down. They had to lead him back on. He went to shake somebody's hand who wasn't there. But who knows? There's you know, I'm I, I'm not trying to unperson the invisible people, right? I know they're <laughs> part of like uh, a group of people that need special attention because they're invisible and people are tripping over them all the time. And I think it was nice for him to recognize their belief. Uh, and being invisible like that so all those invisible he, millions of those i think too. well they want to leave him out i got a really good strategy don't pick him up that day he's not going to find his way to work you know what i'm saying <laughs> don't go up to the third floor the second floor the executives you know offices uh the, ho- the household the residents he resembles there, right? a man that don't has- bring him downstairs he'll never figure it out <laughs> you know and you can just have the uh 
the lobbyists and uh, the cabinet keep running things for their special interests benefactors as they have been right they write the teleprompter that makes the world go around yes that's exactly right it's the lobbyists and the lawyers it's the people behind our unelected rulers behind the scenes crafting the message that then the gullible masses eat up uh, well that's believe as part of the the daily geopolitical news cycle that's kind of not only in america but around the world then it's not a new thing it is a real thing it is going on today but it's been going on a long time now before i can give you the other juicy part of this real thing that exists this artifact i gotta make a correction last week in the show i said that former vice president biden put the congressional medal of honor on somebody backwards Mm -hmm. it turns out it was just low fidelity video and uh it didn't really happen so even though it looked like that and the video was going around LD in the GTW control room alerted me just as soon as the show was ending. He's like, Hey, we got to make a correction. That actually didn't happen. And I said, well, let's make a, let's make a note and let's correct ourselves on the record. Cause if we make mistakes like that, we do want to correct our, cause we don't want you going out there spreading any type of misinformation because we messed up on our due diligence. So, uh, mea culpa, mea culpa. We are sorry about that. But now let's go to a little more evidence about our non-elected rulers. Cause I closed the book. And I thought maybe we were done, but I said, you know what? Let me just check. I got other cards marked in and, this book. Hey, let's I was put like, this in perspective real quick. Yeah, let's 19, put it in perspective. 1913. Well, these are his campaign so, speeches from 1911. This is how he got to be president. Right. And that's the, the publication that was printed, I think, around 1912 or 1913. Yeah. But the fact that he so he's alluding to his campaign speeches and the, the road to becoming president. So he's still sort of somewhat, I, wanna, I don't want to say necessarily early on, obviously, in his political life, but certainly before he becomes president. And this is what he's saying about his dealings with people behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. It's Freeman, not like he was president. It's not like FDR that kind of realized at the end of his life when we were laughing over that a couple months FDR ago. FDR came from an opium family? What? Yeah, the yeah. Delano family. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the, the, part of like the Boston Brahmin sect, too, I think, if not, yeah. there, it comes we from that. We can go to that in the brain model here in a second. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But the point is, like, FDR realized it at the end. Now, FDR is kind of a joke to me because British intelligence was so all over his entire cabinet that, I mean, it makes Woodrow Wilson seem clean to me. So FDR, I can see him being even more out of it mm-hmm. than maybe Woodrow Wilson was just in the fact of not being conscientious of his surroundings. Now, Biden literally isn't there. He's someone who seemingly is suffering from severe dementia. He's like an invisible man, Alzheimer's. but he's visible. It's perfect. It's like he's invisible on the inside. Like watching. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to give you a couple of these Go titles and chapters. Free free men need no guardians. That's the title of one of his chapters in here. Life comes from the soil. Well, that's a big deal tonight when we hear Vandana Shiva coming up, right? Because yeah. this was known. The toil of millions of men bringing about life for the earth prior to petrochemical Monsatanism. Yeah. That's- Parliament of the people. Woo. It's like a world government type thing. Let there, Let be, there light. be light. Anyway, yeah. let's go back to uh, this section is called the old war. The old order changes. And uh, it's page 16. So it's not even too far from the original quote that I showed you. Let's again lock in focus. So about that. Waltz over the crystal clear, clear for you. The Hegelian waltz. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to start. This paragraph right here. Mm -hmm. There has come over the land that un-American set of conditions which enables a small number of men who control the government to get favors from the government. So it's people, if I understand correct, Tony, because we're halfway through a sentence, right? This is a 
These are people who are expressing yeah, longer phrase, thoughts, right? Yeah. So let's, this is a phrase inside the sentence. Men who control government and they get favors from the government. To get something from the government means they're not government. And if they're getting favors, it means they're above government, right? And if they control government, it also means they're above government, right? Yeah, like, okay. what's so government made up of? Oh, men. Men doing things. Let's, so let's continue. What's controlling government? By those favors to exclude their fellows from equal business opportunity. Oh, it's like Nancy Pelosi and her husband. Kind of like that. I mean, that's Bi- a small. Or it's like Elon Musk. Like I mean, Elon Musk. Biden did it. Biden's yeah. family charisma. Elon Burst. Musk certainly. You know it's what Hunter Biden does? This is like his laptop a hundred years ago. <laughs> by, by those favors, <laughs> wink, wink, to extend a network of control that will presently drive every industry in the country. And so make men forget the ancient time when America lay in every hamlet, when America was to be seen on every fair valley, when America displayed her great forces on the broad prairies, ran her fine fires of enterprise up over the mountainsides and down into the bowels of the earth. And eager men were everywhere, captains of industry, not employees, not looking to a distant city to find out what they might do, but looking above about among their neighbors finding credit according to their character not according to their connections finding credit in proportion to what was known to be in them and be behind them not in proportion to the securities that they were known to have approved uh i'm sorry the securities they held that were approved where they were not known right you got to have collateral to do business with the bank right instead of just having a good reputation you got to have something they can seize right yeah in other words seeking financial cap or private capital is much different experience than having to go through like a bank commercial. I'm reading this because it hasn't changed. It's just got worse in order to start an enterprise. Now you have to be authenticated, right? You need to be in a social credit system. You need to be vaccinated. You need to be good. You know, all these sort of things, the ideas of the in a perfectly impersonal way, very Amstrucka bureaucratic. Sorry, this this is is just doing my job. Right. This is technocracy. This is like the beginnings of the early 20th century vision of a world that can be based on technocracy. Not according to yourself, but according to what you own that someone else approves of your owning. You cannot begin such an enterprise as those who have made America until you are so authenticated, until Mm -hmm. you have succeeded in obtaining the goodwill of large allied capitalists. Is that freedom? That is dependence not freedom so anyway it's a great book published you know like i said way back in the day you can still probably get it out there uh i'm sure you can find an ebook of it oh yeah, yeah uh, we did we did oh, just I, I to find that, that quote because i wanted to make it. sure that that quote was legit and we we found that a lot of that but i'm glad you have the actual Page physical 16. book because uh, now we have that on the record yeah i'm just you know every now and then you got to break out the good books and take a look around that's all i'm saying you might find what's going on today a little bit more interesting, a little bit more understandable when you're like, hey, why are these media companies lying to us? It's like, well, did like you check with the people who created these media companies? Because right. they might have wanted to lie to you. Who <laughs> watches the launchman sort of Do thing. you think Monsanto and DuPont advertising on CNN over the years is like them supporting CNN lying to you about DuPont and Monsanto <laughs> products? Or this. the big pharma companies supporting sponsored by Pfizer? Everything everyone saw during the pandemic. 
there's no has... there's nothing circular there at all to see rich nothing to be hmm. concerned about you know it's not one hand patting the other i will tell my brain to stand Back. down then tony thank you for helping me get that off my shoulders don't have to worry at all advertising dollars never goes to you know sway never. the opinion of corporations media corporations at all and according to albert borla they don't really advertise i can't even albert borla the guy who says about the ingestible pill from pfizer that's coming up soon yeah so they can track whether or not you took it that guy yeah that guy nice guy i'm sure it's a different albert borla that spoke at the world economic forum conference with klaus schwab then right different guy uh, same, same guy? guy small world small world huh they say there's seven and a half maybe eight billion of us and yet we're only we keep talking about less than 100 people it's like hmm, small world maybe i should check into that borla guy sounds like maybe we should know more hmm. i mean he's a hoot and a holler bro yeah right he ran the open air experiments in israel right where he's they put Sabbath, the whole country he's a, Sabbate- he's a sabbatean they put the whole country on his concoction pretty much yeah they were interesting thing about the Zionists is they were Do you call it early about. adopters when it's forced on people without informed consent? I'm just curious, asking for a friend. Um, the fact checkers, Snopes, etc., would say that is an early adopter. Yes. Hmm. Now, as far as the definition of early adopter, that's a very loose definition of it, but you know, we don't have to get into like that the first thing. people who starved in Stalin's Holodomor, they were like the early adopters of that system. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was just you know, and it was honestly had to have been the farmer's fault right they just didn't know how to farm all this well they, uh, it's the same excuse as today it's ukraine's fault <laughs> too soon oh because it's still going on shit my bad uh, <laughs> all right uh let's go oh, ukraine and russia section coming up right here mm-hmm. youtube host silenced for challenging the us government us oh, united states government on ukraine it's funny that the abbreviation for our government is us i'm just saying we're all in it together, bro. It's it's almost like it's on purpose. Fifteen to make days us to think like the curve, right? Like uh, like if you are a shop owner and the mafia extorts money from you, and then the mafia does something, are you talking about with your shop owner friends? Like, hey, that was us that won yesterday, even though you weren't there. Is it like a football game to them? How's it work? <laughs> Just trying to put it together. All right, let's go to uh, Jimmy Shanta front door, and we're gonna check out this clip. Again, best news coming out of his garage instead of on the TV. It's pretty interesting. Glad he has a webcam, in other words. Let's go to Jimmy. And he's not on OnlyFans. (laughs) (laughs) How do you know? Did you search for him? Uh, (laughs) How could you miss out on Jimmy Dore? You know our friend, uh, Mr. Hare, Jackson Hinkle, Mr. Hare. Um, if Hare could cure the world and save it, what his hair would do it. <laughs> um, so he's been doing fantastic work on Ukraine war. He's been doing really great work and telling the truth and uh, blowing up the propaganda against the establishment, which doesn't sit well with Google, which is in bed with the CIA, the FBI, the military industrial complex, which is owns owns YouTube. So he's been telling the truth and they've been pretending like he's been breaking their terms of service uh saying that well here's what they sent him they said during a recent review our team of policy specialists carefully looked over the videos you've uploaded to your channel the double jackson hinkle 
we found that a significant portion of your channel is not in line with our YouTube partner program policies. But they won't tell you what video, you know, what it is. Never. As of today, your channel is not eligible to monetize. Yeah, what you're doing is you're going against the military industrial complex establishment figures. And, uh, well, we've got to try to suppress you before you grow because he was growing very fast. He's he went from zero to over 100,000 uh, subscribers like that Why? because he was providing a service that the mainstream news media isn't providing. And neither is anyone else. He's telling the truth about what's happening with our Ukraine, with the Ukraine war. So that's what they did. And then he tweeted this out. He says, YouTube has permanently demonetized my channel because I am critical of Biden's foreign policy decisions. Please support my work. And there's his link. Uh, Jackson Hinkle Locals. He does that. And he has a Patreon. Then he has a uh, Give, Send, Go. I don't know what that is. I've never even heard of that. That replaces the GoFundMe, Give, Send, Go. Yeah. Oh, does it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. They're a little Christian-y right-winger, like you can hit a prayer button and stuff, but they were the guys who came on in after uh, GoFundMe had had stolen and seized all the money from the truckers in Canada. Oh. That's where Give, Send, Go came into play. So I, told, I told Jackson that when I spoke to him on the phone the day after he got uh, the, the, the PayPal and the uh, GoFundMe. I'm like, Jackson, go set up a Give, Send, Go right away. Get that rolling. Get over on Rockfin more. Start drawing people in there. They're going to come for you completely and take your whole head off. And we, we, we know what this is like. We're on 19 months of this. So, you know, we told I told him about this. I'm like, Jackson, just get this shit, uh, get it ready. And sure enough, a week and a half later, he gets the same dreadful letter, which is so vague because they don't ever want to set a precedent because you, they can't tell you exactly why they demonetize you because that would that would be too harmful for them in, in the court of law. So they make it very vague and act like it's an algorithm. But that algorithm was written by a person. Black and the Empire says after directions from the security state, YouTube has reviewed his videos and seen his channel grow to the point where they can no longer monetize his challenging the lies necessary for our government to continue their corruption. Wow. Well said. Aaron Mate, award-winning, Izzy award-winning independent journalist who debunked Russiagate, said Jackson has built a large following as a vocal critic of the U U.S. proxy war in Ukraine. This move not only penalizes him for dissenting, but sends a chilling message to others who challenge or think about challenging the war state line. And that's why you don't think that other people have real doubts about our COVID policy. They're afraid to talk about them. I'm talking about other YouTubers who are in the space that we all occupy. They're afraid. That's why no one does any videos about them, because they're afraid of stuff like this happening. And you can't almost blame them. And same thing with uh, uh, what's going on with Syria, or what's going on with Venezuela when it was going on or what's going on in Ukraine. You can't you know, you can't call Nazis Nazis, stuff like that. Uh, but you can call truckers Nazis all day long. And that's not hate speech. Um. Here's what uh, our good friend Caitlin Johnstone says. She says, people aren't gra grasping the significance of the fact that Silicon Valley is now shutting down content creators, not because they allegedly harm the public good, but because they disagree with the United States government about a war. Ukraine censorship is a wildly unprecedented escalation, and it is. 
Imagine, you know what they would have been doing down the Iraq war. They would be censoring anybody who said they didn't have ma- weapons of mass destruction. They, they would be censored. You'd be censored. You'd be called a conspiracy theorist. So people don't. So, have, by the way, he's also gotten another strike. So go ahead, Fiorella. No, I was just going to say this. This started uh, a, a whiff. You could go back to the election. That's when we started getting strikes, when we started questioning the legitimacy of the elections. Uh, first, Bernie Sanders and, of course, the 2020 elections, which I'm not even going to talk about because, again, I don't want to get you in trouble. So, but like there, we, when we started questioning that and then, of course, early on in 2020, when we started questioning COVID, that's when all of this started. And, and January 6th as well. Also, of course, as you recall, the Hunter Biden story right. that people got taken off Twitter. So this has been a long time coming. And now uh, because the Ukraine-Russia situation, I think, is the next sort of, you know, psyop. And, and, and by psyop, I mean like the next sort of thing that they're trying to manipulate people to believe a certain narrative, just like they've done in previous times. People are finally starting to see through it and they're pushing back more against it. So now they're going after just everybody down the line, people are getting strikes for old videos that are two years old. And so that that just signals that, okay, now like too many of you are know too much. And if you have under like 200,000 subscribers, like Pasta says all the time, you're, you're primed to just get knocked out. And, and even channels that are tiny, tiny, that don't have a lot of subscribers, maybe a couple thousand, they don't want them to grow. Because what they're seeing is people like you and and others who have a huge following are are absolutely getting these more popular because p- people want to hear that you could talk about the rising right and see every time kim iverson's on and she's challenging the COVID narrative or challenging the the russia anti-russia narrative the views are much higher and so and so they can't help that they can't help that people want content that is truthful that isn't formulaic like cnn and msnbc this is why the cnn plus thing failed so they're seeing like the rise of independent media and they're seeing also people see through this bullshit so they have to shut it down and now they're not going to let it grow at any given point and even max blumenthal gray zone just got a video taken down as well that we found out earlier today i didn't even know about it so yeah yeah people like fair and franzak fair and balanced uh, she got removed. She got demonetized the other day. She used to work for Fiorella's outlet for quite some time. Roar Media got taken down. Uh, you know, our friends over at Slow News Day for years just in the penalty box. So this is all a group of people. And it used to be, you know, these other things you can talk about. But that was always the problem. For me, I always look it back to Julian Assange. You know, if you, they, they were never going after Julian Assange. They were always coming after us. They were just using Julian to get to us. So, yeah, back in the days, people, oh, it's elections. You can't talk elections. That's just the one thing. But then they moved on to COVID. Oh, it's just elections and COVID. Now you can't talk about that. Now it's what? Foreign policy? So it's going to just keep going and going and going, Mm -hmm. and it's never going to stop until we make it stop. Well, it's okay to question the 2016 election to the cows come home, and you can even blame it on another country. You could say a coup was committed. You could say it wasn't uh, Donald Trump isn't a legitimate president, which is what Hillary Clinton actually said. You can say all that stuff about the 2016 election, but you can't say that about the 2020 election. It just it just makes me it's just curious to me. I wonder why that is. Because um, you, know, you can't question the ruling class, right? Like if you yes. ever question the ruling class, that's what it's about. I mean, they were going to have. A, uh, a what, what was the board that they were going to put Nina Jankowitz on? When That's she right. Was, she was com- coming out completely saying 
you know, as a true statement that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian, Russian disinformation. Dis so she was herself, of course, spreading disinformation, which is why we have free speech. And uh, the, the, the antidote to bad speech is better speech. It's not censorship. But the, they're, they're, what, what I am trying to explain to people in my live act and, is that the, the government isn't doing the Democrats nor the Republicans are going to make your life materially better uh, unless you make a half million dollars a year or more. They're not going to make your life materially better. So what they do is they do all they have to do censorship and they have to keep everybody down from telling the truth about their scams that we see. People know that that fifty four billion dollars sent to Ukraine was a scam. People know that because they, they look out their window and they see people living under every bridge and they can't afford their own medicine. And we're sending fifty four billion dollars to another country for what? And we're paying higher gas prices. I guess we're paying higher gas prices because uh, it'll mean a likelier chance of a nuclear war, I guess. So I guess it's worth it. But here's what Glenn Greenwald says about this Jackson Hinkle. He says, Google and Facebook are trying hard to degrade the Internet from its early promise. Its early promise was it's going to be an unprecedented tool of liberation and everybody's going to have a voice. It, and it's turning it into one of the most repressive weapons ruling class power centers ever had. Beyond left-right, Jackson Hinkle is, above all, an anti-establishment critic. And that's why they're coming for him. From the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Jackson has used his growing YouTube show to question and, and dissent from the orthodoxies of NATO, CIA, and their corporate media servants. Only free speech platforms, not ones that censor for these ends, deserve your support. There's one more. The YouTube team of policy specialists had ruled that Jackson Hinkle is not in line with their security state policies. The odd thing is that they don't block his videos, which they would if they could prove they contain disinformation. They just demonetize them. Well, they're also going back two years in his catalog and finding stuff, and they're now striking him for old videos. That doesn't seem fair, does it? This is not about fairness or anything. Ch Glenn Greenwald says, oh, this is what Chomsky said about censorship. Here's what he says. Chomsky continued, of course it was provoked, meaning the war in Ukraine. That's what Chomsky's saying. Otherwise, they wouldn't refer to it all the time as an unprovoked invasion. That's so clever. By now, censorship in the United States has reached such a level beyond anything in my lifetime such a level that you are not permitted to read what the Russian position even is. That's how yeah. bad that's how <laughs> bad it's gotten. Go ahead. RT. Hello. RT RT is completely off YouTube in the United States because they showed the Russian side and I'm here right now and uh, as somebody that that works for RT I have full say as to what I want to say and what I don't want to say. I'm not being forced to say anything. And yet still, it gets painted as a Russian state affiliated media and it gets painted as Russian misinformation and disinformation and whatever else they want to put a label on it. I mean, this. I, let me take the opportunity to also promote the fact that we as content creators, whether you're a journalist, a comedian, whatever you, you are, need to diversify your content. You need to go on Rockfin. You need to realize that a lot of 
really great stuff on Ukraine and Russia is being covered outside of YouTube. I mean, it's being covered on, on Telegram. It's being covered by independent journalists that are on the ground that are there and that are, that are literally like in the in the ground zone. It's being covered by Rumble and Odyssey because these people can't put their content on Twitter or they get taken down any other day. Uh, the last American vagabond, Vanessa Bealey, all just got taken down. It's several or restricted on Twitter and stuff. So the so this is like this is it. What are we going to do? That's the question. What are we going to do about it? Um. We're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, I mean, I'm on Rumble. I'm on Rockfin. Um, I'm that. That's all I can do, and I can do videos yeah. like this, push back against it. I can, uh, you know, support Julian Assange, point out the hypocrisy of the establishment, saying they're for free speech and journalism while they're torturing and killing the, the greatest journalists of our lifetime. So here, when Chomsky said that, that the war in Ukraine was provoked, uh, that we provoked the invasion. Uh, this is what one of these lackeys for the for this security state, Chris York, he says, despite, so he retweets that, what I just read to you. He retweets it and said, despite Putin himself stating it's a war of imperial conquest, Noam Chomsky continues to claim Russia's invasion of Ukraine was provoked by the West, says a guy who doesn't know dip, or if he does even worse, because he's a willing tool of empire. And that's what I said. I go, Chomsky makes true statement about Ukraine war. Hacks for empire immediately attack him. Imagine being this much of a dupe for imperialism while calling yourself a journalism. Well, I can because they're all over the place. He's now he's a dime a dozen guys like Chris York. And they're, you know, uh, they're willing to lie for money and spread military industrial complex propaganda, which is what that is. Um, anybody, uh, anybody, anything you want to say about this? I think we just need to get better elected officials in there. <laughs> yeah, we just need to we need to vote harder. That's what that guy was saying. <laughs> All right. The the next clip sure. in this section also comes from Jimmy. It's a shorter clip, but you just heard about journalists being censored on social media for speaking out. Oh, did my yeah, uh, did Zoom freeze? Me, did you? No. Can you hear me? I can hear you, but All right, cool. it's just my computer. Video. My, okay. my computer is just it's the tech gremlins. I haven't fed them in a while. No, you're good. You're back. Yeah, so I haven't fed them. I'll have to give them like a Tootsie Roll. They like things like that. Can you believe that uh, Noam Chomsky said that? After I agree. all the crazy and belligerent right. so shit like he said about COVID-19. Still right twice a day. Uh, yeah, I mean, just it's wild. That dude's been all over the place. So it, Unprovoked <clears throat> invasion. Yeah, I mean, anyway. So, yeah, these journalists uh, being persecuted for showing the other side uh, that just happens to contradict what uh, the current regime in power is saying. Right. So it's censorship. We've seen this through history. We've seen it, especially in other countries. It's a policy to do. If you're going to take over that country, you got to shut down one side of the conversation. Right. So this is something that we've seen in Guatemala and Honduras and Iran and all the other places that MI6 oh, yeah. and CIA have cohabitated over the years. We've seen that before. But what's different now is this next story. Someone who shouldn't be getting censored in the public's eyes. I'm sure that you're going to be a little surprised because it's not just like random YouTube journalists with you know 70,000 followers this is someone who is defense secretary punished for telling the truth about ukraine this is kind of an unprecedented uh terrain we find ourselves in so let's look at it carefully and let's uh let's weigh it out and see what it means this story is interesting because the secretary of defense accidentally told the truth out loud and he got in trouble and what was the truth? Well, here's the truth. We want to see 
uh, Ukraine uh, remain a sovereign uh, country, a democratic country, able to protect its, uh, uh, its sovereign territory. Uh, we want to see Russia uh, weakened uh, to the degree that it can't uh, do the kinds of things that uh, it has done uh, in, in invading Ukraine. So it has already lost a lot of military capability. So that was always the goal, but he wasn't supposed to say that out loud because the powers that be were afraid it would incite Putin to do even more. Don't say that part. That the point of this was to degrade Russia so they wouldn't have the ability to do to other countries what they did to Ukraine. He wasn't supposed to say that out loud. And how do I know this? Some officials, including Mr. Biden, cringed when Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said in April that we want to see Russia weaken to the degree to the degree that it can't do the kind of things that it has done in invading Ukraine. The president, get this, the president then called Mr. Austin to remonstrate. That's another word I never heard. To remonstrate him. Look that up. What does that mean? Remonstrate him for the comment, then directed his staff to leak the fact that he had done so. But officials acknowledged that he was indeed the law, that this was indeed the long term strategy. So he didn't say anything wrong. He just wasn't supposed to say it. You know, the worst part, they told Biden he said it while he was on a bike. Ha ha! <laughs> so he reamed him is what it, what it means. <laughs> yes. What does that word mean? Make a forcefully reproachful protest. Make a forcefully reproachful protest. Jesus Christ! So he was remonstrating. He was remonstrating, and You're then right. and then Joe Biden leaks it on purpose that he remonstrated him. Sounds like you need a cotex for that. <laughs> he remonstrated him. He, he remonstrated him. So here's what Aaron Mate had to say. Aaron Mate said, when Austin blurted out that the United States wants to use the Ukraine proxy war to see Russia weakened, he was reprimanded or remonstrated. But Biden officials now admit that was indeed the long-term strategy. Luckily, they can count on Matt Duss to market it to progressives. So what he meant by that is Matt Duss used to be the foreign policy advisor to Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders who tuned, who turned super shitty in his last presidential run, would hire guys like this piece of it, Matt Duss. Where is he from? The Center for American Progress. What? You mean, yeah, that, that Center for American Progress. No matter how many Ukrainians die... It will be worth it if we weaken Russia so they can't kill Ukrainians. <laughs> <laughs> Got to spend money to make money, you know? <laughs> That's right. Look, we're committed to keeping this thing going as long as it takes to build out Act 3 of the Ben Stiller Zelensky movie. How about that? It's got no Act 3 right now. It's we want we want a weak Russia with a strong ruble and cheaper gas prices in America for some reason. That's what we want, and that's what we're getting. On the Ukraine proxy war, Bernie Sanders advisor Matt Duss has lavishly praised what he calls the Biden administration's strenuous diplomacy, judicious reaction, and responsible progressive position. So that's Matt Duss telling lies and propaganda for the Biden administration because he wants a job. 
He and what and he's he's saying yeah he's saying that the Biden is doing strenuous diplomacy with <laughs> Russia to stop the end the Ukraine war really because the reality is this headline here says Blinken which is the Secretary of State for Biden Blinken Antony Blinken won't meet with Lavrov who is the Russian person he's supposed to be meeting with he won't meet with them they won't even meet with them you know why because they don't want to end this war. The United States wants to keep the Ukraine war going indefinitely. Maybe we'll get another $54 billion grift to the military-industrial complex. Why am I, like, in that video, too, when they were talking about, like, well, now Russia hasn't got its goal of conquering all of Ukraine. I thought when I watched Putin from the clips that I saw in regular news, he said, no, the eastern part wanted to be neutral. And then yeah. The eastern part is... The Donbass. So so they're making up what his goal is at this point. Yes, they're right. making up. They're trying to make it look like uh, uh, Putin has been waiting his whole life to take over Ukraine or something. And what he wanted to do was stop them killing the people in the Donbass, which is the eastern part of Ukraine. And that was after those people wouldn't go along with the coup that the United States helped to institute, which overthrew their democratically elected president and installed someone who's more friendly to the European Union. Yeah, well, that guy was corrupt, not like Zelensky. Not like hero. Zelensky, yeah. <laughs> not like the hero Zelensky. So there you go. That's quite an interesting story. That was, all along, that was the goal. The goal was to try to do that to Russia, except Joe Biden was afraid. Mr. Biden did not want to publicly provoke Mr. Putin into escalation. And that is so that's interesting. The only time it's a gaffe in Washington is when you accidentally tell the truth. And that's what happened to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. He told the truth about what our policy was in Ukraine, and he got in trouble. And now we all know he was telling the truth. Hey, get, get Secretary Corn Pop on the phone. I that's wanted right. to remonstrate him for what he said about it. <laughs> so when Joe Biden was remonstrating, what he was doing was spreading misinformation about the war. All right, I, I pulled a couple books off the shelf just real quick because I want to show people who might be new to these topics. We're going to get into some deep dives later. I just wanted to give a little conference uh, or a little preference by showing you this conference. Let's get, clear the deck here. These are the proceedings of the 42nd Pugwash Conference on Science and World Affairs. This is volume one, happened in 1992 in Berlin. The title was Shaping Our Common Future, Dangers, and Opportunities. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> dig into that volume right now. It's not the point. I wanted to show you volume two, but you don't know what volume two is all about in 1992. Shaping Our Common Future, Dangers, and Opportunities. Uh, until, uh, let's see, get into Malthus Revisited. So this world population type movement has been planning for a long time, and they keep referring back to people like Malthus and, you know, <clears throat> obviously human populations cannot increase at this rate for very long, since if they did, the earth would be completely choked with the people after, in a few centuries. Well, it's been a few centuries since Malthus said that, and people refuse to update their information or to incorporate new inventions, technology, things to help you grow food, all this, all this good stuff that goes on. So there's, they're clinging to kind of, uh, ideas that lend themselves to the Anglo-American establishment, but aren't much good for the average person. And um, 
So they got population charts and how it's going to be overpopulated. And this is like their scientific justification for depopulation, right? Now, it just won't give it up. Like, the, the, despite all the evidence against them, they just won't all. give up that theory. And then inside here, I found uh, here's so first the, of all, what's the here's pug, the proceedings. Uh, this the is the pug, handout from the what's conference. What's the pugwash? Well, like, I'm just who, gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you. The, okay. At the pugwash conference, it's a world conference, right? Yep. Here's the proceedings of the first plenary session. Boutros Boutros Ghali, former head of the United Nations. Boris Yeltsin, former back at this time, he was the head of Russia. Right. Yeah. So this was the United Nations had the Russian uh, chief. Right. Yeah, but down here, I just happened to keep reading through. Right. Because I was like, maybe I'll recognize another name. And I did. Dr. Vandana Shiva, who's in tonight's episode. So, yeah. I, I mean, it was kind of random that I grabbed this book off over there and then That's found crazy. this in there that came with the book. It's like the, the pamphlet from the conference. And uh, yeah. So anyway, Pugwash. Maybe LD can look that up and we can get a definition. That must be stuff that was added. Now, they did a striving for peace, security, and development in the World Conference. They also did one towards a nuclear-free world in 1995. So these books, let's see. Pugwash. Let's see. Put them in order, maybe like this, something like this. Put them back on the shelf conferences about how to rule people that uh it's not a democratically these like your elected leaders dealing in an international forum whether it's united nations or davos or bilderberg any of these other places this anti-freedom it's not for your interest it's like they're over there having that meeting not in front of you for a reason you're not invited and you're the the target of their actions i'll say it like that all right, Pugwash. We get that? Yeah, no, that's yeah. very interesting. I've, I've, Pug, no Pugwash conferences and on science and world affairs, according to the Wikipedia page, an international organization that brings together scholars and public figures to work toward reducing the danger of armed conflict and to seek solutions to global security threats. Founded in 1957 by Joseph Rotblot and Bertrand Russell in Pugwash, hmm. Nova Scotia, Canada. Fascinating. Bertie Russell, the Fabian socialist. Now, let me ask a question. It's been 30 years since those proceedings. Have they achieved their aims or are they still claiming today to battle those same things? Kind of like when Agenda 21 last week, you know, they're still trying to cure polio with vaccinations in the year by the year 2000 in this 1992 document. And they're still trying to do Polio's it. So wiped out the rich. What are you talking again, there's about? Huh. this hypocrisy or inconsistency. Call them contradictions. Call them splinters in the mind. Small that inconvenient truths actually is what they are for they're inconvenient truths. yeah bill faggy yeah well he's another one all right so uh i said inconvenient truth. in the chat we we're going to do paul joseph watson's video next but i think maybe we should go to the russell brand vendetta shiva unless it messes up the flow for the show later what do you think tony that's totally fine. Uh, I have that clip somewhere in the mess of clips in the technology section. Let me see if I can. I can pull it up. I had it up earlier today. Okay. Search for Shiva. Yeah, it's. All right, so it's a powerful clip. It's a short clip, and I think it's from. Yeah, it's ironically enough, it's I'll, from I'll Russell's podcast, it. Under the Skin. Which it. apparently Noah Yuval Harari did not trademark. Otherwise, he'd be making money off Russell Brand every time Russell says Under the Skin. 
Oh, uh, that looks like a different clip than I watched. Okay. Right, Pull that up. Got it. Dun, dun, dun. It's like a 12-minute clip, and yeah. it's the interview. You're yeah, it's the interview. Sure talking, yeah, interview. Yeah, yeah. They're outside. Yeah, there was a different, different clip. Uh, okay, yeah. It was on YouTube, but I got this one up. Cool. Either or. Uh, also, um, and we'll get it done. Yeah. <clears throat> Do the one on YouTube, maybe. That's the one we got about. Um, okay. I don't, I don't. Well, that, yeah, that was the one that, uh, that Richie shared earlier, I believe. Yeah, probably. Bill yeah, Gates' book is one. rubbish. Vandana Shiva, the Indian scholar and activist, ain't shy when it comes to digging out and heavily criticising Bill Gates, is she? In my conversation with her on my Luminary podcast, Under the Skin, we talked about the impact and power that Bill Gates and other tech giants have and the negative impact it's had on Indian agriculture and farming in general. And Vandana Shiva was very clear that in her opinion, this is a new wave of colonization, every bit as potent and as destructive as the previous one that created the great or vast European empires. In this brilliant conversation, Vandana Shiva talks about Bill Gates's power the power that we have as the citizens of Earth, the subjects of Earth, the inhabitants of Earth, the, uh, what do we want to call ourselves, the custodians of Earth. It's a very, very beautiful conversation from an incredibly powerful human being and a true leader in the necessary movement to reverse the dreadful actions that are currently taking place that are preventing us having access to our birthright and living in harmony with the planet and one another. Check it out. And Russell, I think you'll have to do a lot of work in the next few years because they're going to do a lot of colonization in the name of sustainability. Just by chance, I was reading the rubbish in Bill Gates' new book. <laughs> I, I normally don't read rubbish, but when they try, want to be rulers through rubbish, I read it. And it's lovely because he says the greenhouse gases from factory farms are not because of factory farms and putting animals in prisons, but it's because the cows were the problem. They have four stomachs. And the four stomachs make them emit methane. No, you walk behind a good cow on a grazing pasture, she's not stinking. It goes even further to a colonization. He has put the Indian plow that has existed for 10,000 years and says, this primitive technology must go. I call this as the future technology of a partnership between our bodies, the body of the earth, and the body of the animals, realizing that we are not masters, but we are there to serve through what Gandhi called bread labor, the labor of our body in the service of the earth, in the service of community. So we are for sure at an epic moment where everything wrong is being given a new life, just at the time where the world was waking up and say, oh, you know, this dissection doesn't work, lack of faith doesn't work, desacralization doesn't work. That's precisely when everything is being crushed again. And I think this is happening, Russell, because of an arrogance that we have create, created such immunity for ourselves. We've destroyed every international law. We've destroyed all democracy. We have locked people into fear. We, no one can hold us to account. I mean, look at the debate right now on the GMO question in Europe where we created laws on GMO regulation and they want to knock it down and Bill Gates again is financing the lobbies for that deregulation. So there is an arrogance, I can't be touched. 
And, you know, the British Empire had that arrogance. The sun never sets on the British Empire, and it's it. Mm. So I think if we, if we realize that we live in a power, powerful world full of energy, and that energy is a creative energy of the universe, and our power is the spiritual power of aligning ourselves, which we call rita and the right action, you know, that's what dharma is. Aligning yourself with that power, then we are very powerful. And these people who think they are beyond all accountability can be brought to account. We just have to ensure that none of us allow our ego to overtake us. None of us allow hate and division to become the way we start to think. And third, none of us ever give up the power we have. We are powerful beings in a powerful world. I like the thing you said about um, the sort of the uh, the arrogance, you know, the um, uh, of the the, the uh, colonial arrogance, and just the perhaps unconscious phrasing of the sun never setting on the British Empire, and the indication, the syntactic indication of an unawareness of shadow, unawareness of shadow, unawareness of inhered darkness. I wondered too, uh, Vandana, if um, you know, when you're saying that thing about the unaccountability of Bill Gates and how that kind of um, mimics this kind of monotheistic, authoritative deity, a kind of a deity that asserts power and dominion, how this motif is recurrent historically. I I wonder if in a yeah, uh, there, a with it was the other clip it's the one where they're sitting outside and i think we did play that clip that we were just watching in the show like last year and it's a good clip and it also kind of foreshadows the recent clip from this past week do you see the one where they're outside it was probably in my yes. youtube playlist I, i've got it now all right I, cool uh, and it's going to be complimentary it. and it's not going to be redundant really so it's going to work it's going to flow very nicely so that was actually a fortuitous type of unplanned unscheduled event okay um ideal Wait. Is, oh, for example, uh, divine feminine power or spiritual principles that live, are plainly neglected in this um, materialistic ideology. Yeah, sorry. The uh, yeah. audio was coming from the wrong one. Yeah. Wow. Here we go. The mainstream media will tell you that the Dutch farmer protesters are about environmental irresponsibility. But could it be that this is the Great Reset in action? Hello there, you 5.7 million awakening wonders. Thank you for joining us on this great voyage towards truth. If you don't subscribe yet, subscribe now and turn on your notification bell. We make a video every single day. And in order to use the algorithm, we have to ensure that you participate with us. Who knows if big tech platforms treat people that convey radical news in the way that they should. Hmm. At our first ever community event this weekend, I had a fantastic time. I wish you'd been there. It was 
was fantastic. Let me know in the comments if you were there. I spoke to Vandana Shiva, the great activist and scholar, a woman who ain't afraid to bring down the globalist agenda, a woman who ain't afraid to call out Bill Gates and other technocratic globalist tyrants. These are her words, not mine. I talked to her about the Dutch farmer protest. While the mainstream media may be portraying the Dutch farmer protests as an anti-environmentalist movement peopled by selfish farmers, Vandana Shiva, with her experience in how corrupt, centralised, agricultural, monocultural giants are oppressing independent farmers all over the world, this is connected to the land grab of Bill Gates, this is connected to corruption of companies like Monsanto, this whole fertiliser situation is a scam. They present it as a green ideology. Oh, we can't keep using these fertilizers and anyone who lives in the rural area will know that when those fertilizers get used you think oh god is this a bit dodgy but the reason that farmers are using those fertilizers is because it's necessary economically because of the pressure they are under financially because of often because of government enforced imperatives and the objective isn't to get the farmers to behave in an organic responsible ecologically apposite manner no far from it it's in order to bankrupt the farmers so that their land can be grabbed my mind was blown by that. This shows you how the Great Reset operates. It uses a green agenda, and just so you know, I agree with the green agenda. I think that the planet should be treated with love and respect, that we should see ourselves as in harmony with it. But when regulations are passed down from a globalist level and it affects the lives of ordinary farmers, it's the duty of all of us to support them, to stand in solidarity, to give them time to make those transitions, to say to the farming and agricultural community, we'll support you by buying your product if you make these concessions and changes, which we'll agree between us. It doesn't need to be mediated by technocratic globalist bodies. We, the people, can make these decisions together. Anyway, you don't care what I think about this stuff, but you should care what Vandana Shiva thinks. She is a bold, brilliant world teacher. Stay to the end of this clip. You're going to be smarter at the end of it. You're going to understand stuff that they don't want you to understand. It's vital that you watch all of it. Let me know what you think in the comments. Give it a thumbs up. Share it around. Vandana Shiva, I'm so honoured that you have joined us today. I'm very happy to be here physically with you, Russell. I, I feel like uh, that you are one of the most important voices in the activist movement, and with the, particularly with regard to the challenges we face with the ongoing rise of globalism and its observable consequences. I'd like to start off, if I may, by asking you about the current Dutch agricultural protests as a person that's only taken my information about this protest movement from the mainstream media I would see this this issue seems to have been framed as uh, well there are new ecological regulations that need to be introduced to prevent Dutch farmers irresponsibly using harmful toxic fertilizers and that uh, and that their protests have been framed very negatively by the media can you tell me is there a different perspective on that that you could share well, there are m many different ways of looking at and responding to the crisis we face. We do face a serious crisis caused by industrial agriculture. 50% greenhouse gases come from farming with fossil fuels and chemicals and shifting food long distance, transforming it with ultra-processing, packaging it. All of this has added up to greenhouse gases. But that same system that is punishing the farmer is as punishing the earth and is punishing the consumers through disease. 
when did it start? The chemical fertilizers are a byproduct of Hitler's regime. The IG Farben group of cartel of corporations combined with Standard Oil of the US used fossil fuels to fix atmospheric nitrogen by burning fossil fuels at very high temperature. Now there are better ways to fix nitrogen and that is well, let the earthworms give you 40 kilograms per hectare. Let the soil microorizer work. So what's happened is uh, the same people who are pushing a very anti-nature, anti-people, anti-life globalization agenda shaped a system that has caused problem, forced the farmers into that system to use chemical fertilizers to get the cows off the grass and into factory farms, then feed them with GMO soil that's chopping down the Amazon. 40% um, of soil goes for animal feed. Another 40% goes for biofuel. It's not feeding the world. All of this was forced on people through regulation. It was forced through subsidies. 50% of the European tax money was going to create this kind of agriculture. Now, the same people who caused the problem are saying, farmers, you're responsible. It's a bit like saying to a person who went to base because of junk food, to say, you are responsible. No, the junk food industry is responsible. The Pepsis and the Cokes are responsible. The fertile, these are identifiable players. And there's a principle of justice called polluter pays. The original cause of pollution is the manufacturers and the governments who subsidized it and the governments that promoted the false idea that without chemicals you can't grow food and billionaires today who are promoting that same false idea, Bill Gates. So there are huge numbers of alternatives, but farmers need to be given a five to ten year period of transition and the structures that were created to promote chemicals should be used to promote ecological agriculture. You need new re research, you need new schools, and you definitely cannot punish the victim. Farmers are a victim of this system. So these are systemic problems that have complex origins that even include that great moniker of 20th century evil, the Nazi party. But at the point that we hear about it, it is reductively conveyed as an issue that for which the agricultural industry in the hands of individual farmers is what's culpable. It's so interesting the way that that, it, that, that information is rendered. And also, Vandana, sometimes I have to marvel almost at the mendacity of a system that can create problems, present solutions, and every step of the way, it's to the ongoing advantage of centralized financial and sometimes state powers and to the continuing disadvantage of us as individuals and as the inhabitants and partners of the planet. It's extraordinary to me. Sometimes it's because some of the connections that you have just made in answering that question are difficult to make and sometimes it's because those stories are simply never told. So in short, you're saying that really we should be supporting those farmers and recognizing how this admittedly ecologically difficult uh, practice came about. Absolutely. And I think well, we definitely need to see the world that the greedy want to create. All of natural resources in their hands all of land in their hands. The same billionaires who are telling the farmers, forget the land, take money and leave it, want that land. The same people who say, oh, food is unnecessary, we're going to make lab food, are the very people who are then also investing in land to have real food. It's, it's the ultimate colonization that's happening and it's, it's con con 
condensing everything that's went gone wrong. In my view, the witch hunts were really killing those people who lived and taught the life that we are part of nature. The witches were teachers of oneness with nature. They were the ones who were hunted down. And that for a century or two centuries, nine million people killed in Europe. It was a killing of the ecological mind. The colonialism, then the chemical agriculture from Hitler's Germany, the new GMO push, the earlier push, the new push. All of this is combining to say we will disenfranchise you. We will not let you make your living. We will not let you have a livelihood because with the earth, with her animals, with her trees, we can create life. The fact that people are marching in every country on cost of living should become a deeper question. The right to live. When so many powerful forces combine to create a power matrix, uh, why, why is it that th these ideas are continually dismissed as conspiracy theories? When you just described you know, the killing of the ecological mind through the witch hunt, when you described that co uh, it explained that colonization is, in a sense, an extrapolation on the dominion that's already been established with a domestic population, and what we are seeing now is a billionaire class land grab where the idea that we will have un, un, um, unmediated relationships with nature becomes less and less likely. Why, why is it so difficult to have these conversations? And why is it so difficult to achieve alliances when it seems that there's so many of us have shared interests? Why is it that we're not, why is there not right now a global agricultural movement that ordinary people are engaged in? Well, I think the three reasons why the natural alliances are not emerging without effort and we will have to put love and effort into it. I mean, my next commitment is to reach out to conventional farmers and show them it is possible to have ecological agriculture rich in nitrogen in, mo in our movement, Navdanya. Um, we've, you know, the nitrogen in our soil through ecological methods is 100% more than it was 20 years ago. And in the chemically farmed soils, it's 22% less. In effect, nitrogen fertilizers are aware of extracting soil nitrogen by killing the soil organisms. Why don't people know this? Number one, the science was distorted. When I started this work in 84, the text used to say soil is an empty container. The soil is living, the richest ecosystem. Uh, fer without fertilizers, you cannot feed the world. And that is what was taught in every agriculture university. It was all our public money was used to push agriculture in that direction. The second reason why people don't know and we are not having these conversations is the billionaires have bought the mainstream media. They've totally bought the mainstream media. And even the social media is their media. Well, what do you think of that? Do you feel a little bit smarter? Do you feel that globalism doesn't sound like a conspiracy anymore? That this agenda of the WEF and the Great Reset, which, by the way, they explicitly declare they're doing themselves, I'm talking explicitly there, about Klaus Schwab, there's going to be a great reset. I've got too much spit in my mouth. I think I'm allergic to this cat. Oh God, where is my cat? Did you enjoy it? Did you learn from it? Let me know in the comments below what you thought about it. Give us a thumbs up. Okay, so <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there. Fertilizer, bad. Growing food without fertilizer might be good. There's a the history that that underlies like all that commentary, right? There was talk about IG Farben. What is that? 
it's a chemical corporate conglomerate for colonialism circa World War II. Really what it was is a way to take German proprietary patent information and internationalize it. So if Germany loses, they can preserve that type of technocratic infrastructure. So the defining, the defining book on this is called The Crime and Punishment of I.G. Farben, a startling account of the unholy alliance of Adolf Hitler and Germany's great chemical combine, which then, after the war, got into the hands of the Allies, the Anglo-American establishment, who funded this, then took it over afterwards. Nice guys they are. Now, these are the same people who brought you War Against the Weak, eugenics in America's campaign to create a master race, and that inspired Hitler in the first place. Of course, I.G. Farben is not uh, alone. There was IBM in the Holocaust, also an Edwin Black book about the such things. Now, <clears throat> there's also talk about like Monsanto. This is a book called Conspiracy of Fools by Kurt Eichenwald. Behind the thick corporate walls in the shadows of Wall Street, along the corridors of political power, scandal is brewing. I think this is about the A. Archer Daniel Midland uh, scandal back in the day, ADM. If not, uh, oh, the civil action that uh, the movie with John Travolta about them poisoning the water and, and people getting sick. It's very similar uh, okay. to what Vandana Shiva mm -hmm. is talking about. Let me see if there's a hot spot here for you. No, no, no. Anyway, so the point being, whether it's Archer, Arthur, Archer Daniels Midland conspiracy uh, or the just, you know, molecular biology and eugenics that came post-World War II, that's Bill Gates, right? Population control. All these things are rolled together along with chemical growing of food from the place that started back during the Nazi days, IG Farben. So when she's talking about IG Farben, it's a legit back in the, like you can verify the history. It's a company that existed and, uh, and Bayer, sort of Bayer, you might've been taking oil. their aspirin. I think IG Farben and Bayer were merged at one point. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting history about these Anglo-American companies. And, um, but that's all 20th century history. And it's kind of under, it's hard to understand what's going on today without knowing a little bit about what happened last century, but even for Americans, it's what happened in the century before in the 1800s, what they would call the 19th century, right? Because America went from horses and buggies in the early 1800s to steam boats, steam trains. And then you had the appearance of the early robber barons like Cornelius Commodore Vanderbilt. And from that early, like kind of nascent westward expansion, yeah. you had guys like Rockefeller who were drilling for oil, barreling oil, needed to ship oil to refineries. And he starts doing business with, with Vanderbilt. But at some point, Rockefeller decides he wants to just own all the refineries. And then he pushes back against the railroad industry. The supply chain. That's how yeah. he wanted to be able to continue. Yeah. And there was a, one point when the railroad barons pushed back against Rockefeller. Now he's like 33 when this is going on, right? They push back and all five of them say, we're not going to ship your oil anymore. Like, give him the middle finger, you know? And so he invents the oil pipeline. So he's like, I don't need railroads now. Right. And then Andrew Carnegie comes along and they're trying to build bridges that can't be built. So they come up with this, you know, they have this new, new material called steel, but it's very expensive to produce. But Carnegie comes up with this process 
think it's called the the Henry Bessemer process. It goes from two weeks for production of a piece oh, of steel to 15 so minutes. Long. I grew up in Pittsburgh. It's no, part of the yeah, history. No, you got to know about steel, that's, where that's, I come uh, from. I haven't heard that reference. In the and uh, then Carnegie ends up selling out to J.P. Morgan, yeah. who takes over Carnegie Steel, which was U.S. Steel. The biggest company in the world at the time was in Pittsburgh. And then that brings you into the 20th century, where you've got these large corporate personhood entities, formerly directly owned by robber barons, but now just kind of controlled by elite oligarchical class. Yeah. And the same Rockefeller that developed, you know, kerosene and then later gasoline and these sort of things monopolized and then funded the Royal Institute of International Affairs, funded right. the Council on Foreign Relations, funded the they Rockefeller Brothers Fund, funded the Rockefeller Foundation, just like Carnegie. fund all right. these different areas. Same so as they Carnegie. insulate from, right, exactly. And, and Carly, they Carnegie have an wrote, impact. So good triumphant democracy in like 1896 i have a first edition copy back here we can pull that out if we need to but the point is it went from robber baron to oligarchical non-profit foundation pushing forward robber baron's interests it's not too different from bill gates today you know what uh, is oligarch? 20 years it's, ago. it's the same thing i mean it's it, you're exactly right on that i mean what is oligarch though but it's really a form of just fast a form of fascism with paper what what really differentiated the great monopolies of the robber barons, let's you know talk about them, is that they really lobbied government more so than any other great sort of millionaire at the time to protect their industries, to get in bed and protect their industries. And I think that's the most important thing is when there's you know sort of this big government, big business sort of collusion going on, that's where obviously things got way out of control. And at that point, they controlled the supply, particularly in the case of Rockefeller. Well, they're also yeah, able to, cr- method, like to crush and control supply. competition and these sort of things, right? Like um, That's what I mean by controlling the supply chain. They're able to control all the competition. Then they're able to get the government to protect that one industry because there is no real other industry. And he's monopolized it to the point where he has full control and it's hard to get anyone to have the opportunity to get in there unless government allows them to have the opportunity to get in there and have competition. That becomes a whole can of worms. So it's just... They did a well, good job. When when they came bastards. after Bill Gates for antitrust, he right away created his nonprofit foundation and put right, all his wealth exactly. over there, right? right Same thing yes. Rockefeller did back in the day. Standard Oil was going through antitrust under idea, probably. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, other other families like the DuPonts, they got broken up as a monopoly because they had a monopoly on gunpowder for the US government and they mm-hmm. played that hand a little too much. So I'd watched the documentary watched on the, yeah. the DuPonts a couple of weeks ago. It was a long documentary, it was really good. But the Jake Tran version that we're going to do in intermission tonight. Yeah, we did play a small clip yeah, from that a couple good. like months ago, right? Mm-hmm. So Jake Tran has the intermission, one of the intermission pieces tonight. He does a little expose on an I'm aspect of the DuPonts that had eluded me because I knew Teflon's not good for you. I didn't know it had been around and on things since like World War II. And he goes oh, through yeah. the whole thing. And now it's in everybody's body. And it's a wonderful, Pasta, wonderful thing. Like made in large manufacturing. I'm sure like, it doesn't uh, help hurt our immune get, systems it gets at pushed all. through like Teflon tubes. Yeah. So you can get a faster yield that way. Like the, traditionally these bronze, it creates a starchier pasta, which is actually nice because you get a starchier water and it's good for. Something. Well, but the point is like, I mean, yeah, everything was for the transforming wartime industry to commercial industry and making sure whatever chemicals. There's that book, uh, Cancer Gate. Yeah, I mean, uh, the C8 chemical that, that DuPont, like you're going to learn about that. later. Anyways, yeah, it is 
it is something that might cause cancer in people. We'll have to learn more about that. And it's after like World War II, there's like hundreds of thousands of chemicals that were just sort of introduced into society as normal and and safe. Right. Yeah. There's an acronym for it called GRAIA. Almost as if they knew that things in our environment created cancers and polios and things like that. And they decided to do that, but tell us it's not dangerous until later when they don't have to be liable for it. It's an interesting technique. I'm sure it's not going on still like that today, but like not today, of course. Yeah. The summary of all that stuff from Vanderbilt all the way up to Bill Gates, world economic forum, world government summit in Dubai, all those things like that whole arc of history. It's the same philosophy, same goal, same generations of people. Like it's an upper crust. It's not, you know, they definitely suppress people who aren't them and limit their educations and give them schooling and indoctrination so that they're not upwardly mobile and they don't have a chance. And even though you might be a fantastic musician, their cousin or their nephew wants the job and they're going to get it because they're a talentless hack and it's all about nepotism for them. Right. So it's not a meritocracy in an oligarchy. That's yeah, the, they're, it's, it's not their irre- irreconcilable differences. Those those two systems have. So you can have something built on your hard work and your worth. And are you getting good results and improving and learning? Or you can have it because you were born into it. And that's uh you know, not too far from the hierarchies that are working the best are the ones that are based on ability, based on merit, but the hierarchies that are, you know, self-consuming are the ones that we're experiencing now, or it's based on nepotism. It's based on aristocracy. It's based on oligarchy. And because like, and that's what happens at the end stage, you could say of any form of hierarchy and that may, may or may not be true, but there's a way to like offset that by not having to degrade into means of violence or starvation or like end game scenarios, like that would be a great. Well, that's what they over. want you to fear, sure. they, you know, but they don't want you to rise to the occasion. They don't want you to get your learning on. They don't want you to be inventive or ingenious or learn how to work with others or learn what other people have done on this topic that you didn't know about and it inspires you or gives you an idea to go forward. They don't want that. I do. I would like to have that happen. So uh, the, that whole arc of history from Vanderbilt to Klaus Schwab. I mean, if you follow Klaus Schwab's dad back, he worked for the Nazis. Like he's, he's not oh, yeah. too far from what they were just talking about. Crime the and punishment. Is, Swobia, is that right? Is that all right. Moore said it? Johnny Vetmore's interview. Go back and, and check out that Grand Theft World episode oh, where we interviewed right? Johnny on his article about Klaus Schwab and how he came to, to love the, uh, the World Economic Forum. <laughs> but the point being that whole arc from then to now, right? This, this show covers now my past work and peace revolution covered then, right? So you put the two together, you got the understanding of not just what's going on now, but why these things are going on now. They planned it. They wrote books like this agenda 21 earth summit. Like they're still working on this. It's, this goes to 2030. Right. They're doing it right now. They're trying to get to the, you know, yeah, it goes to, to get... 2030. That's the scary thing, right? So that whole arc, let's refer to that as the war against us all. There's a lot you need to come up to speed on. There's some history, but there's also some science, some technology, some horticulture, some things you need to know about food, air, water, shelter, economics, these sort of things that they hide this useful information from us. They don't want you to look into it or start thinking for yourself, right? So on this 15th anniversary of my 2007 film, The War Against Us All, Daniel Humbert and the uh, Grand Theft World Media Group in the media pool, he made a trailer that's uh, the original film. I don't know. It's long. It was in two parts. Daniel made a trailer for each part. So what we're going to do is, uh, LD, if you have those available, let's look at the trailer. 
This is going to be for Grand Theft World members. So if you're already a member, yay, freedom. You can check it out. It's going to be in the Library of Cognitive Liberty. All my content is in there. It's like a $300 value just having that as a member. That's really cool. And um, I think we will live stream it on July 22nd. And the reason I released the film back in 2007 on July 22nd was July 22nd, 2004 was the date when they released the 9-11 commission report. And I read through that whole thing and like I printed it out and then I got, I've got several hard copy versions. Uh Yeah. That's really the thing that made me start questioning it seriously. Cause I was like, the people investigating it are not like, they're not, they're excluding evidence that's relevant. They're not telling people about oh, it. It exists. They know about it. Yeah. There's a cover up. I disagree with their investigative process and the results. And I'm going to keep researching on my own. And eventually I came to publish. And then that was 2006 that I podcasted. This trailer is from a 2007 film. So I just learned filmmaking. I don't even have a camera in, in this trailer. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out. And um, yeah, it's a flashback. So let's go ahead and roll it as Daniel cut it. And uh, I applaud his creativity because it was his idea to do the whole thing in the first place. So I said, yeah, have at it. Let's check it out. Fifteen years ago, a transmission was sent out. Its message has gained attention. Have you noticed the war against us all? The number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. I'm about to snap. I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to snap. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing the story. No, I hate this story. Your life, all right? The prompter. To the news now. You're on lighter. Unhand me. Hold on a second. I'm going to make a point. I'm done with the Parasite story. Okay. I, I won't do it. Will you burn this for me, please? He can actually control exactly what people think. And that, that is if our you, job. That is our job. Our job. Well, until the internet, you didn't have a choice to do much about it at all. Unless, you know, you want to go spend a lot of time in the library. Because it's hard to find all this stuff to even know it's there. If you own a PC, a lot of people have a firewall, a virus scan, a spam killer, all these different products that we're paying for to protect this box of sand and rust on a disk, right? What are you doing to protect what comes into your head? What type of firewall do you have on information? What kind of uh, quarantine do you have for certain things? How do you delete information? Violence will gather and multiply in destructive power. If I tell you that there's a white arrow in the FedEx logo and you didn't know that and you go look and you see it, you can't unsee that. I just put that in your head. You might not like that I just put that thought there and that you can't unsee it. So now you have to discover, well, how do I delete information? Because if your head is like a computer, can't somebody give you a virus? Can't someone structure a meme? And that, you know, through mimetic programming, and this is go, turns back into Dawkins and, and evolution and things like this, but the idea is that People with the highest level of knowledge, if they're not using it to free the rest of us, they're using it to make a living off of us. And in that aspect, they, you know, I, I refer to them as social vampires. These are people who use the rest of us and the ignorance that they establish to rule over us because if, if everything was equal, they wouldn't be in charge. Freedom, tyranny, freedom, 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 tyranny, freedom, freedom, tyranny. 
as a result of violence and killing, there would be chaos. The freedom is universal in its application. The war against us all. This war in Iraq isn't the end, it's the beginning of wars to come. All around the world, at the whim of the neocons in the White House. This is the Bush Doctrine come to life. War, war, and more war. War brought to you by the big corporate masters who run the show. This isn't just a war on Iraqis or Afghanis or even Arabs or Muslims. It is ultimately a war on us all. That's because the billions and billions of dollars that are being spent on this war, the cost of tanks, rocketry, bullets, and yes, even salaries for the 125,000 plus troops, is money that will never be spent on education, on health care, on the reconstruction of crumbling public housing, or to train and place the millions of workers who have lost manufacturing jobs in the past three years alone. The war in Iraq is, in reality, a war against the nation's workers and the poor who are getting less and less while the big defense industries are making a killing, literally. What's next? Iran? Syria? North Korea? Venezuela? We've already seen the corporate media play megaphone to the White House to build and promote a war based on lies. War is utilized by the imperialists first and foremost to crush internal enemies. We're seeing the truth of his insight when we see the sad state of American education, the rush of seniors to buy affordable medications from the Canadians because American drugs are just too expensive, the threatened privatization of social security, and the wave of repression that comes with an increasingly militarized police. This is a war on all of us. And the struggle against war is really a struggle for a better life for the millions of folks who are in need here in this country. The fight against the war is really to fight for your own interests, not the false interests of the defense industries or the corporate media or the White House. Down with the wars for empire. From death row, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. This summer, get a second look at how we got here. Rewind 15 years and re-examine where we've come from. In a time when we all feel like something is going wrong, look and see the war against us all. To see the full film, sign up for a membership with Grand Theft World. This film and many others come free with a membership. Navigate through the tabs and you'll find it here. The War Against Us All, Part 1 and 2. To get free content like this, get the Freedom Vault. Link in the description. Well, who knows how it'll all wash in Wisconsin. <laughs> all right. Daniel from Wisconsin, you did a good job, dude. Thank that was you. fantastic. I haven't seen some of those clips and oh my goodness. I was getting a good out of it at first i was cringing because i was like man this editing's rough but then <laughs> i was looking at it and that's actually like there's clips in there those are the literally the first things i ever edited in video yeah. 
some of those clips. Yeah. It is. So anyway. Old clips. It was, I uh, think. Uh, I haven't seen those in many, many years. Like, got a great I, enjoyment out of it. I can't remember the total length of the movie, but it's probably three hours and three hours. I'm pretty. I've, I've been long form since the get go because there's I got a lot to show you that you haven't seen before. And I'm pretty sure that most of the stuff in those movies, even though it's 15 years old, is still going to be news to people. Oh, and it might inspire people because the the two aspects were the energy crisis that was about to pop off like the next year and the whole subprime loans crash. Right. So this was all just about pop off. So it was um, the energy crisis and alternative forms of energy that have been suppressed. And then uh, what was the other part? Uh, hemp being suppressed. Right. Food, fuel, medicine, you know, uh, fiber, all these things that could be used for. We wouldn't have plastic in the ocean if DuPont had not made hemp prohibited and for most of the 20th century. You would have hemp fields in every town and people could grow hemp. You could take it to the town. They would process it, give you a check because it's a raw material used for almost everything in America. Could be our future, should have been our past. I'm surprised, though, because when we when we when I put that together and uh, I was looking at all those clips back in 2007, marijuana legalization was far off. Marijuana for medicinal purposes was far off. Like the people's opinions back then, you're going to see a difference of, well, it's changed in the past 15 years a lot. So there's also those aspects. The Unfortunately, the energy aspects, people having alternative ingenious ways it's of changed, propelling have been crushed sure by those. Right monopolies uh, that that Woodrow Wilson was talking about you try mm -hmm. to develop in the area of oh, railroad yeah, or energy yeah. or one of these mm -hmm. places these other guys were going to come in and Main crush infrastructure you. you cannot touch that's right. how they control the world because they control access to the main raw materials of the world itself that everyone needs every country needs to operate on to right. produce a so, commodity Sorry, go ahead. so whether it's world economic forum and it's 500 companies that are the biggest companies in the world or yeah. it's the united nations or it's one of these other groups, the World Bank, the IMF, yeah, IMF like yeah. gangster capitalism is a real thing in the 20th century. It was well, just kind of invented in the it, 1800s. It is the main thing. It was it, the main, the primary thing. driver of 20th kidding. century history. At least uh, banking, international banking and finance capital, the way they were able to manipulate markets in the 20th centuries. It's easier to manipulate everything if you ex export the uh, oversight of the money printing business to a nebulous international entity that's not America, it all suddenly becomes possible the 20th century. Then you get the internet and you get the speed at which all that's happening. Yeah. Right. So that's my point. From the beginning of the story arc, you got horse and buggy, and now you've got, uh, you know, people flying Crazy in the upper atmosphere right. calling it space. But, you know, they're just taking plane rides like individuals used to take in the 1960s it's pretty much what bezos and and uh, musk are offering people for low exorbitant earth, fees yeah earth, low earth orbit. Orbit. Yeah, yeah 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 big money you know yeah for those who are bored with netflix there's low earth orbit <laughs> <laughs> all right we've laid out a lot of netflix substance i want to make sure people out. have plenty of facts to chew on you got some good book references good 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 uh, let's see. How do we get out of this so what, section? What do you think? What was um, your inspiration be, like behind 9-11 synchronicity? 
someone asked me that the other day i was thinking about that and i said something like mark lombardi maybe the way you like you well behind the history blueprint that. i mean i knew about that before 9-11 synchronicity as well mark lombardi was a new york artist who died that by his me. own hand yeah. on march 22nd 2000 on 322 2000 322 is the number of skull and bones skull oh, and bones yeah, yeah, was yeah. actually one of the focus points of his work the skull and bones financial network of George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, James R. Bass, Salim bin Laden. Going back into the 1970s, the Bush family had worked with through James R. Bath as their financier with the Saudis, namely the bin Laden family, namely Osama bin Laden's brother, Salim, who was also at the Carlisle Group meeting in Washington, D.C., the morning of September 11th, 2001, with H.W. Bush, who spent the night in the White House, just laying out the facts of the matter for the court. Okay, so Mark Lombardi did this artwork and I didn't see it personally at first. I had a friend come over to my place. It was after we moved out of New York City. So we're in Jersey and he comes over and he's looking at all my research. He's like, oh, I just saw an art exhibit in New York that was like this, you know, like, you know, kind of representing like these types of things. Right. I had all these index cards and I was doing these uh, drawings, which now are represented in my history blueprint. And he said, uh, yeah, this guy, you know, this big wall mural and you'd see these dots and these lines and you walk up to it because you want to know what it is. And as you walk oh, up inside the circles sure. are people's yeah. names and the lines are transactions. And he has one called BCCI. Right. And it's this huge wall. These are in the MoMA, the Whitney Museum, the Jewish Museum in New York. Okay. Ironically, the book on Mark Lombardi is published by Judith Rothschild. And his work is owned by the Whitney Museum and the Jewish Museum. The Whitney Museum is the Skull and Bones family. Whitney's are Skull and Bones with the Vanderbilts uh, married okay. together. So you have the opium producers and the shipping yeah. people because Vanderbilt was yeah. shipping. That's where he got his money, kids. He wasn't shipping furs back you know, to get tea over oh, here. Yeah, tea, right? Yeah, sure. And the Astors were right along with him. There's a whole bunch of those Robert Barron kind of early opium Anglo-American establishment families with the boats. That makes total sense. Just dig in, dig in. What does Delano mean? Who was Russell and company? (laughs) Actually, you're going to hear about Russell and company. Oh, the the other part of the war on us all was the drug war. So in this next trailer clip, you're going to see Chris Milligan from Trine Day, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. You're going to see him like 20 years ago. And when he talks about these families dealing opium, they cut him off. So that's going to be funny. We'll have oh, that coming up. Classic. Yeah, it's a, that that's a classic. But yeah, so the point is, um, this is work, though. Yeah. it's not new that these things are going on. And by showing things that have happened in the past, even about the past, you know, here's a documentary from 15 years ago about things that happened in the 20th century. You can still learn from that before the shit oh, hits yeah. the fan. Way more insight on the honest. upcoming hill that they're planning for everybody. So I'm saying the more you know about the game and the angle and what they're doing, the less you're going to panic at the next time they want to drop a pandemic on you or ask you to take some experimental concoction under some peer pressure circumstances, you might be able to hold your ground better because you got some facts, you know, you might be young, but you weren't born yesterday and you have done little reading about the facts of these matters. So I do want to cover before we get out of this section, Mm -hmm. the CNN scaremonger is calling it the worst variant ever. And I don't want that fear that they're trying to transmit. See, they have a mind virus over there at CNN that they like to give their audience called fear. Now, we're going to give you an inoculation of information to help you maybe like balance that out. Right. So can we play the CNN news clip that Jimmy plays? 
and then maybe put Dell Big Tree after it to kind of like balance it out for people. Yeah. What I mean, do you think, Tony? There's plenty here. Of it's balancing an acid with a base to neutralize the reaction. That's basically it. And then you're not going to be under the influence of propaganda anymore. Right. Sound pretty simple. I think we could do it. Yes. Yeah. So then we have obviously either the Jackson Ford or Dell Big Tree's monologue. I don't know which one's better. Mm, sure maybe we'll flip a coin or use a game of chance to decide that one. We'll see when we get there. But let's go ahead. They must have filmed on the road. So it's kind of interesting to see how they did things because they were at some expo or something. All right. So LDI yeah. outlined it. It's the uh, CNN scaremonger's worst variant ever. Yeah. We're not going to play the whole clip, but we'll go to uh, the beginning and get the gist. And if you like it and want to see the whole thing, it'll be linked in the show notes, show notes as everything is in every show that we do. Malcolm Fleshner's here. Hi, Malcolm. Hi, Jimmy. How are you today? I'm doing well. How uh, what, should we? Let's not. Uh, should we hold? Should we? Should we? Should we should do the punchline and tell people, or should we wait to tell people? Let's wait. I don't Let's, think it's it's not it's not like it's a huge reveal. <laughs> well, Malcolm, okay. I'll, I'll follow. I'll follow your lead. Malcolm has. Uh, Omicron BA5. Yes. Yes, uh, I do. Malcolm's entire family has Omicron BA5. Yeah, it's uh, we got a nice little uh, little COVID bubble. My wife has it. I have it. My three children have it. You should come over, Jimmy. How come I don't see you? You should come around. I should come over and get it again? You should come over and hang out. Now, why do I bring this? Why do I mention that he, his whole family has COVID BA5 in him? Because CNN is telling people that it's the worst variant says the worst variant is here, and they mean BA5. And why do they put it in quotes? Because it's not true. <laughs> now, is is it the worst variant of Omicron? Yes. But they make it seem like it. They don't say that in the headline, do they? The worst variant of Omicron. They say the worst variant, and then they leave it vague. Why do you think they do that? Well, maybe they're 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 you know it's uh, sort of like the comic book guy, comic book store guy from The Simpsons. It's sarcastic. Worst variant ever. You know, like it's not <laughs> a very good variant. It's really not not living up to the hype. Okay, so I just want to tell you that they call it the worst variant. But how long does it ta take them in the story to tell you? what the severity of the illness is caused by this variant that they call the worst. Do you want to see how long it takes for them to tell you that? Because what they do is they spend the first eight paragraphs fear-mongering. Watch this. So here's how long it takes. Oh, my God. Look at this. It's kill. Everybody's dying. The whole thing. Everybody's getting it. In Europe, things are going to hell. Everybody's watching out for it. It's horrible. And then, all oh, my God, one million new cases every day. And then finally, down here, finally, right here, it tells you what, what makes BA5 different. Finally, they get down there, and, and they still haven't told you what the severity of the illness is yet. Still. So watch this. So this is what the... the this is what it says. What makes BA5 different? 
Eric Topol, a cardiologist and professor of molecular. So what they what they spend the whole article doing is stuff like this, scaring you, saying some experts think there could be as many as one million new infections every day in the United States, 10 times higher than the official count. As for how to manage the new wave, they urged Americans to get a second booster. So that was all those paragraphs that I showed you was full of stuff like this. And then finally you got down to like whatever that was, eighth or ninth paragraph. Then they finally decided to tell you what makes this variant different. The worst variant. What makes it different? Uh, it takes a immune escape already extensive to the next level. And as a function of that, Enhanced tr transmissibility well beyond earlier versions of Omicron. So they're saying what makes it the worst is it that it makes you sicker. They're saying what makes it the worst finally in paragraph nine <laughs> is that it is it makes it more transmissible. Not that it's more deadly, but that it's more transmissible. That's what makes it the worst. And they spend eight, nine paragraphs scaring the bejesus out of you about that and using all this carefully structured words to leave out what the severity of the illness is. So let's go. Let's go on more. In, in other words, BA5 can easily evade immunity from previous infections and vaccines, increasing the risk of reinfection. Though the variant, here it is, finally, whoa, hold on. Though the variant does not appear to lead to more severe illness. What paragraph did they put that in? They call it the worst variant is here. Look at this. The worst variant is here. Two different headlines. And, what, and then finally, in paragraph nine, Though the variant does not appear to lead to more severe in severe illness, it's almost like they're disappointed. Yes, <laughs> believe me, because if it did, that would be the first sentence. So they're listening to this guy Topol, and if you ever see this guy, this Doctor Topol, uh, his name is. Eric Topol, he's a cardiologist and professor of molecular medicine at Scripps Research and professional scaremonger about anything related to COVID. Oh. There is this guy who I retweeted. I just remembered. There's this doctor from Johns Hopkins, this virologist, who just tweeted out a thread about why the new the BA5 is good news. There's good news about COVID, and there isn't reason you should be less scared. David Dowdy, this guy is from Johns Hopkins. He's a virologist. He says, does it make sense to, to use bivalent vax this winter? Yes, circulating strains will likely be Omicron descendants, meaning bivalent. Vax. But current vaccines still prevent new vaccines will not be game changers. Okay. And then he says, viruses evolve, but our immune system also adapts. One can always focus on the virus for bad news, but the overall trend is good news. April through June 2022 was the least deadly three-month period since the pandemic started, even as transmission has risen. That you can look at it like that. 
Gradual rise. Whereas Omicron fully established itself in one month, BA5 has taken two months to get to 50%. And the size of the wave has been much smaller, meaning that any advantage BA5 has over other subvariants is very small compared to the advantage Omicron had over Delta. Gra- uh, we already did that. Although hospitalizations across the U.S. are rising, they have already stabilized in places that had a larger BA2 wave, New York and below, suggesting that the rise seen in other places is mostly because of less immunity, not a new subvariant. Although hospitalizations across the U.S. are, we just did that, COVID transmission is as high now as it's ever been except last winter, so not much room for transmissions to go higher. Yet COVID death rate is lower than for the flu in an average pre-pandemic season. And did you just see that goddamn CNN report? Could we see more deaths from the flu than COVID this coming winter? Possibly. Quick comment on long COVID. Long COVID is real and for some devastating, but long COVID is not one thing, and it can be weeks of a cough or a debilitating brain fog and can happen with any infection. As COVID gets milder, not sure long COVID versus long flu deserves a special treatment. In summary, BA5 is now the dominant subvariant in the United States, but deaths are stable and low. Hospitalizations are stable in areas with larger BA2 waves and despite transmission levels that can't go too much higher, meaning we shouldn't be too pessimistic about the upcoming winter. That does not get a lot of traction. And that guy is a virologist from Johns Hopkins University. And so now you know the the other side of the story. Now I gave you both sides. I provided context. All right. So anyway, so they keep going to this guy. And he's calling it the worst version of the virus we've seen, which sounds scary. But they don't tell you. They don't tell you. It does not lead to more severe illness. And and I'm not supposed to. And if I question that or point this out, everybody on YouTube in the, the establishment press and comedy calls me an anti-vaxer for pointing out that the government is and their corporate and the big pharma's corporate media are lying to you and scaremongering you for profit. That Malcolm, would you you have BA five Omicron? How do you feel? I feel like I, I had to, uh, Monday was not great, but I was, uh, you know, my employer thankfully allowed me to put in a full day, actually gave me a double workload and I was able to do that. And uh, I was very appreciative of that, that, uh, that uh, I wasn't uh, deemed that I would be unable to, unable to do my, my, my full now, job and then some. Not Monday. Uh, <laughs> now, Monday, if, if you would have called in sick, that would have been your 17th day in a row on vacation yeah i did i came back from vacation and i i brought back as a as a memento covid so yeah so monday was not great tuesday was was worse and i'm glad we didn't have a stream on tuesday because that would have been tough to do but then today i'm you know i'm i'm mostly back and by tomorrow i expect to be fine and obviously my experience is not tell tell me about your son everybody in my family also similar similarly everybody in my family seems to be recovering relatively quickly and i do have one member of my household who is immunocompromised so we were concerned about him but he recovered quicker than everybody else uh so no fear no fear no fear just get a little information get a little knowledge get a little perspective get something other than the megaphone narrative that they're giving everybody 
Now, let me ask a rhetorical question. Maybe there's I got an answer. The amphibolous line. I'm sorry. That's amphibolous. Oh, throw an amphiboly. Mm-hmm. We have a rule. It says you can't throw amphiboly on the show. I had to throw it in there, dude. Can you effectively organize if you're getting ill, wrong, bad information? Can you effectively organize? I'll wait a second. Just think of it. Do you think you can effectively organize on bad information? Next part of the question. Can you effectively be organized if the information that you need is being censored and it doesn't get to you? I think in both cases, I would answer no. I can't be organized, right? And then I was thinking about this point that Carol Quigley made in uh, a book that nobody probably here has read. It's an unfinished manuscript. He died in 1977. It's supposed to, it's called uh, Weapon Systems and Political Stability. Yeah. A History. It's a great big thick book. I'm going to show you inside it in a second, but I just want to lay it out. It's the past 6,000 years of human struggle, civilization, warfare, political stability. Why has this problem been going on for 6,000 years? Do we think it's going to stop in our lifetime? Because the United Nations wants world peace. It means no one has the will to fight back or the ability to fight back anymore. It means solitude, not community their plan for world peace. They've stated it very clearly. It's in the writing. Well, peace through a mediating force called technocracy. Peace through is, domination. Peace through subjugation. For social control. Peace through colonialism. Social engineering. Yeah. Okay. So my point would be this. Why do people fight? What's the, what's the, uh, what's the goal of war? Think of that. Hold that in your head. I'm going to read three, three paragraphs. And we're get into it because I think it's about meeting human needs. And when you see what might have been discovered before you were born, you might think differently about how they are telling you to meet your needs these days. Because they say less carbon for you, less gasoline, less travel for you, higher prices for you, bigger jets for them, less people in Dubai for them. Right. So let's go back to this, this meeting of human needs and why conflict arises in communities in the first place. Let's zoom in. This is on page six. Okay. This is a <laughs> 1,000 page book. All right. Uh, you don't have to get very far into it to get some substance and understanding. Again, published posthumously, it's an unfinished manuscript. In recent years, there's been a fair amount of unproductive controversy about the real nature of man and what may be be his real needs. In most cases, these discussions have not been very, uh, let's see, not very, have not gone very far because the, uh, and the participants have generally been talking in groups, which are already largely in agreement, and they have not been carrying on any real dialogue across lines of basic disagreement. I think it's the same thing that's going on today. So even though this is 1977-ish, this still applies. Accordingly, each group has simply rejected the views of, uh, of uh, rejected the views most antithetical to its own assumptions, with little effort to resolve the areas of acute contradiction. So he's setting up the problem of human needs. If each individual has his own autonomous will, 
and making his own decisions, there will inevitably be numerous clashes of conflicting wills. So skirmishes, wars, fights are, are because of freedom in the first place. So if you have world peace, you have to take away freedom. Okay. And how would you do that? You have to have superior armaments, superior political strategies, superior military strategy, uh, uh, economic strategies, these sort of things. Right. So conflict is going on because there's individual people following their wills. They break into conflict. There would be no need to reconcile these clashes if individuals were able to satisfy their needs as independent individuals. But there are almost no needs beyond those of space, time, oxygen, and physiological elimination, which can be satisfied by a man in isolation. Therefore, you have to go interact with other people, and then you find yourself over here in these definitions of community. Community equals people plus artifacts plus patterns of thoughts, feelings, and actions. Community can equal people plus culture, or community can equal people plus artifacts plus organization, right? I like this last one, and you'll see why in a second. When two communities are in conflict, each trying to impose its will on the other, this can be achieved if the organization of one can be destroyed so that it can no longer be able to resist the will of the other. That means that the purpose of their conflict to be able to destroy the organization, but leave the people and artifacts remaining. That's happened in the last 10 years. Destroy the organization, leave the people and artifacts remaining, except they also censor and delete a lot of artifacts, don't they? Except to the degree that these are destroyed incidentally in the process of disrupting their organization in order to reduce their capacity to resist. That's wholeheartedly going on. There's an, any number of cases in the last 10 years, especially with uh, you know, the whole Trumpism type thing that was going on, right? So one side is trying to destroy the organizational structure and understanding process of the other so that they can be confused into subjugation. So you can read a thousand pages, but that's the gist. You want to break people's will to resist, and you do that by taking away their ability to accurately make decisions, reach conclusions, make judgments, take actions that are in line with their goals and their desires. And then it's game over. It's checkmate, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's very Sun Tzu-like, if you will. Defeat the enemy internally, psychologically first. I forget Yvonne Klauswitz also acknowledged that or if he sort of like overlooked that facet. The psychological Yvonne Klauswitz writes about similar things. I mean, any military historian starts with Sun Tzu and gets to Yvonne Klauswitz eventually. Yeah. Or Miyamoto Musashi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are good ones to start with. All right. So the point is. But yeah, breaking the Freedom exists. You're going to have skirmishes. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to need policies of resolution that don't involve violence. That's all well and good. But the, the structures that are in control, the top-down oligarchical structures, they're aimed at destroying the organizational structure of your life, your family, your country, your economics. It's a full-spectrum dominance approach. Well, and like Everything, the dist- they just turn it upside down and make it crazier times 10 every week. But the, if you notice sort of the, what that quote was alluding to is the idea that it's like tearing down the infrastructure. So we're still going through the routine of our life and all around us, everything is disintegrated. And like we're just sort of left with like the little bit we have and we have anything left by that point at all. And so it's sort of it's a harrowing sort of ominous portrayal of what could manifest in the future. If we continue down this hyperinflation, supply chain, incompetent 
executive branch of our government, the World Economic Forum, the Build Back Better, all this absolute insanity that has engulfed the world, Ukraine and Russia. I mean, <laughs> COVID. Well, can people change the their perspectives COVID. before starvation changes it for them? Yeah, right. Because they got to get that bad again. We have to, in the 21st century. Because I have a I have a four volume set of Orwell's letter over in the other part of the library, mm. uh, his letter, his personal papers, right? And in there, there's this great quote about illusions and how you can hold, only hold illusions so long because uh, they'll they'll be exposed eventually, usually on a battlefield. So the way I find that quote is the actually I probably have a history blueprint. Let me see. Can we do it live? Let's see. Usually on a battlefield. Very interesting. Let's see. It's a good point, and, uh, though. I probably sort don't of have like there's no atheists in foxholes, but a very different spin on that. <laughs> no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> All right. So uh, these illusions of, well, the United Nations and UNESCO and the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and Build Back Better, it's all just going to, you know, this is like the, this is the thing we need to do to save the planet. These people are not interested in saving the planet. No. They're not. 100% they're, they're not, not interested in reality. They didn't give up their helicopters, their jets, their limousines, any and of the that data, stuff. The, the models, the data, you know, the, the culprit, anthropogenic level, like all of it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold up to any sort of reasonable scrutiny. So it's just right. like everything they're operating on. It's, it's a almost, lie top down from every conceivable it's path. A, it's like if somebody took your credit card, went shopping and sent you the bill. This is kind of what they're doing on a grand theft world scale. Right, they're doing a bunch of things, and they're sending us the bill That's pretty much for true. all the stuff that they're doing. We're not asking them to do those things; they're just doing it and sending us the bill, saying, "Here's more thirty trillion dollar debt to the people we don't know who we owe it to." Right? I'm sure the people to whom we owe thirty trillion dollars in debt, I'm sure they don't have any influence whatsoever over the United States government, because the United States government's a sovereign entity and it's independent from the people who hold the strings on the thirty trillion dollars in debt that they have balance obligated. Of powers. Balance of power, something next generations to uh-huh. right. What's it called if you're a slave before you even get here? Like they they like they're like two generations out, people will still be paying off that debt. Ha ha ha. I mean, I don't think reality is gonna let that happen, but that's their plan. That's why they have that number hanging out there. The national debt. Yeah, no, it's very convenient because once that whole thing implodes and uh the banking industry and the financial industry get what they want, which is more granular control. Yeah. Over your life, like the way you transact in your life. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Track trace database, baby. So everyone sort of wins in that scenario. At least everyone, not us. No, like not us, but them. If you think of everyone, because that's how they think. You got to think think like them. See, when you say everyone. Yeah. The the people living on the space station. How they see things. While the slaves on Earth make their food and clothing and send it up to them. That's right. I think I saw that movie. It's one of those dystopian sci-fi movies like Logan's Run, right? A lot of those. A lot of those. They, shared a, they seem to share a common theme. Maybe they should have focused over on and over again. something happier. Sort of an essential characteristic or idea they're trying to get across. All right, so let's head into... Uh, we don't have to play the whole Jackson report, but we want to check mm-hmm. out Turning the Tide because even though it's the most dangerous variant any uh, ever... And what was it called? V5? V5. Alberto VO5 is the new variant. And, um, you know, they get that that new snazzy branding V5, right? They were just about to roll out the MPX. So you don't have to say monkeypox anymore. Then it just like faded into the background for a while. 
we'll see. We'll see what they bring up when it comes to election time. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. They just have like a bag of tricks. Yeah, right now, this like, is fucking July. Like, we're what? Halfway through July. I know, man. Let's give it it's another crazy. three months. What kind of stuff you think they're going to do if Trump says he's back, back in the ring? I mean, Next two a, years are going to be absolutely absurd. Got to need a lot we of popcorn to watch that show. Yeah. Yeah. Understatement. All right, so let's do the Jackson report. Let's get a gist of uh, the medical tyranny front and what we might want to know to outweigh that fear that they're going to throw. And, uh, incredible. I just want to say to everybody out there before you start sending hate mail to Jen, I think we all agreed once we're able to cool down. Del, can you get up on the mic? Right like That's what happens. Everyone's away from the mic. Right you're in the high wire. We're not just trying to get it first. We want to get it right. <laughs> and Jen, I think it was a good call. We're going to use that footage for a, a long time in the future. So thank you. Love you too. <laughs> all, all right, Del. All right, enough with the fun and games, walking high wire. We really do feel, I do feel like we are walking on high wire now yeah. like never before. It seems as though, you know, COVID is sort of in the background right mm -hmm. now. We'll, we're going to discuss the new variants and things coming up with, with Robert Malone, Pierre Corey, and, right. and Dr. Urso. But there's really a lot going on in the world right now that's it's, it's yeah. quite alarming. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, one of the biggest stories right now in the world, and for our U.S. audience that may not know this, there is a, it's been called a rebellion in the Netherlands of Dutch farmers. So to bring people up to speed, let's take a look at some of the news montage we have put together for this. Take a look. Massive farmer protests have broken out around the Netherlands. The government in the Netherlands is shutting down farms in the name of climate change. Why is the Dutch prime minister pushing this anti-agriculture plan? He wants to reduce nitrogen emissions by so much that it's going to throw tens of thousands of farmers here in the Netherlands out of job. The government there ordered farmers to slash emissions from their cows by 50%. A 50% reduction in 2030, that's, that's in seven years. It's simply unfeasible. The Netherlands has been ramping up regulations despite farmers saying they needed time to adapt and to go slow or they will go out of business. This nitrogen policy is, let me say, a disaster. Farmers say they are being unfairly targeted as opposed to big businesses and industries. Many are vowing to resist any plans to scale down or close farms. Farmers across the country held mass demonstrations and blocked highways with their tractors. Manure has been sprayed in front of some of the government buildings. Media buildings have been blocked with tractors, trucks and surrounded with poo. A few of them had a scaffold with police officials. Police have been using tear gas on the farmers, and military tanks have been called in to deal with the blockades. Police open fire at protesters in a tractor as farmers storm the streets. A 16-year-old boy in a tractor was shot at by police uh, and arrested and held uh, in jail for you know, driving a tractor at one of these protests. After weeks of blocking highways and some confrontations with police, now they're targeting the very core of society, food. So this new order in the Netherlands would have the effect of destroying agriculture in the Netherlands. We're seeing potential uh, food shortages here, and that's really a fear as well, correct? That, I mean, that's absurd right now, right? We're from right. a world where there's not enough food, and then we're saying, no, let's produce less food. I think we're going to see a lot more protests because nobody has told anyone how incredibly costly these 
promises aren't, and people are going to revolt when they start seeing the bills. It's so, I mean, I've spent some time, you know, years ago uh, traveling in the Netherlands, and these images are shocking. This yeah. is a very peaceful place. It's a beautiful people. It's a great country. Mm-hmm. Always seems to not engage in sort of battles around the world. It right. just, it's, you know, it's sort of a live and let live country. So to see these images, you know, yeah. tractors and people being shot at, it's, it's really, it's like, what's next? I mean, we've seen it here in America, the riots here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... Netherlands, seriously? What, what's, what's really going on here? And, and these protests have been simmering underneath, uh, underneath the social uh, fabric for some time now, at least three years. Okay. Take a look at this headline from 2021. This was, uh, Netherlands announces 25 billion euro plan to radically reduce livestock numbers. They're trying to reduce the nitrogen pollution from animal manure, but also fertilizer use. And what that led to, the farmers were already really mad about this. They've been going back and forth with their so government. Both ranchers and, you know, yes. agricultural farmers. Yes. They, you can't get fertilizer because it's nitrogen to, to grow vegetables right and you've got to get rid of your cows because i'm assuming you know yeah take the crap it's releasing nitrogen absolutely absolutely and so what happened the government there this is the headline that started off this we really call it a hot rebellion at this point because it is in full swing they're blockading they're blockading towns airports um, government buildings this is the headline here in june so just last month uh, it says, Dutch government angers farmers with tough emission goals. And it goes on to say, calling it an unavoidable transition, the government mandated reductions in emissions of up to 70% in many places close to protected nature areas and as high as 95% in other places. The ruling coalition earmarked an extra 24.3 billion euros to finance changes that will likely make many farmers drastically reduce their numbers of livestock or get rid of them altogether. So we're talking about out of the farming business, we're talking about generations of farming, small and medium-sized farmers that put food on the table. They're done, deadline 2030. And so this is a big time uh, issue. There's really no uh, lead up to this transition plan. It was just a hammer that was dropped. And so here we have Fox News comparing it to something we've reported on here, the Canadian protests. Here's the headline here. Uh, Dutch farmers fr- uh, form freedom convoys. That's what they're calling that, liking it as the Canadian uh, protest, to protest government's strict environmental rules. But, Dell, this is not contained. So unlike Canada, which was with the COVID restrictions, that was obviously contained in, the, in, in, in Canada. This is spilling out into the uh, European Union. So here's the headline here. This is starting to roll. Dutch farmers protest against emission cuts spreads across EU. So we look at information from the World Bank. Uh, about percentage use of agricultural land to really understand why this is spreading across the European Union. So if you look at this graph, we have four different European Union countries, member states. We have the Netherlands at the top, and you can see here 54% uh, of the Netherlands is farmland. Of All of their land is farmland. We have Germany and Poland, just under 50% of their entire country is farmland. And then Italy, down at the bottom, just over 40%. So it makes sense that we're going to see, this is where we're seeing this action spill out into Germany, into Poland, into Italy. It's spreading across, and there's solidarity with the farmers in the Netherlands. So this is a big, big deal, and a big problem for the leaders that are really pushing this hard. But where did this come from? Yeah. So everyone's seeing it now for the first time, really. But in 2017, the European Union pushed uh, something called the EU Action Plan for Nature, People, and the Economy. 
And this is where it really started. So we have here in the Netherlands media reporting. They talked about uh, the the protected areas. This is the other aspect of this. So we're getting rid of the nitrogen. We're getting rid of the the farming because of the cows. But we have these protected areas. And here's the headline here about these uh, 131 protected areas. Nitrogen emissions must be reduced by 70% in 131 areas. In many parts of the Netherlands, nitrogen emissions must be reduced by 70%. This concerns 131 areas close to vulnerable nature. This means that not all farmers can continue with their business according to the nitrogen plans that the cabinet released today. So where did these things come from? We have 131 protected areas that just popped out of nowhere in 20, in 2017. So if we look at a map here, it's called Natura 2000. That is the term if anybody wants to look that up. And you look at the map of the Netherlands here, everything in green is a protected nature area. So you can see 54% of the country is farmland and the rest of it is these na nature areas. Now if you have a farm and you're next to one of these nature areas, sorry, but you're going to have to reduce your nitrogen emissions. You're going to have to cut your livestock because we have to protect these, uh, the birds, the insects, the wildlife, the biodiversity, make this, these, these things sustainable by, uh, uh, right. sustainable development. So that's where that's really coming from. And why agriculture? This is really the key that's going to bring most people into this fold. And we're going to be reporting on this for a long time, yeah. I believe. So we look at the International Food Policy Research Institute, and they published a paper called The Central Position of Agriculture Within the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Remember those words. And it says in there, as both a direct and indirect path way to social, economic, and environmental dimensions of sustainable development. Agriculture, more than any other sector, is the common thread which holds the 17 SDGs together. These are sustainable development goals of what's called the Agenda 2030. And we're going to flash up here all of these goals. This is an agenda by the United Nations that is being kind of downloaded into our elected officials. The United Nations are unelected bureaucrats that are telling uh, prime ministers, our president, how to run the country, and we're seeing the business end of this Agenda 2030 with these emissions cuts. So we look at this chart here. We have 17 sustainable development goals, and this is what's going on here. This is what they're trying to achieve, but if we look at them, they're not really achieving this. Number one's no poverty. Number two, zero hunger. Well, just right there alone, you start cutting the food to people's... How do you get zero hunger if you're shutting down food supply? If exactly. You're stopping people from getting fertilizer to grow the crops you feed the people with. Exactly. 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 And, and, you know, here in the United States, we have a lot of we have a lot of people onto this agenda. It's literally an agenda 2030 and they're pushing back. But other countries are in various phases of this this push, this this really radical push, climate push. And not, we're going to take a look here at Sri Lanka. Okay. This country has been in the news for over two weeks now. Uh, we have some footage here. We're going to look at some B-roll we're going to show. And if you see here, this is the country. Thousands upon thousands of citizens are storming the presidential residence. They get inside. They breach it. And eventually, I believe, it was burned. Uh, this is because uh, we're going to cover why this was happening. But they also uh, went to the the, uh, the bank, the central bank of Sri Lanka. Same treatment by the citizenry there. They breached it. They're unhappy. They're protesting. Total chaos in the country right now. A, a lot of factors that really led to this bad monetary policy. They were doing uh, hyperinflation of their currency. Uh, COVID lockdowns killed their tourism industry because there was no travel, and they rely on that. There was nothing. But in the middle of that, let's look at this headline from 2021. It says here, economists, October 2021, a rush to farm organically has plunged Sri Lanka's economy into crisis. And then we go to Al Jazeera, 
present day, January 2022, here's the headlines. Sri Lanka to pay $200 million to compensation for failed organic farming drive. So they're giving uh, these farmers that they botched this scheme. They're giving them uh, all of this money to try to make it work, but the money's not really worth anything at this point. And what's really interesting, when we talk about these, these, these climate goals, Sri Lanka, according to the World Economic Research uh, Organization, they have a ranking of 0 to 100, 100 being the most, uh, I guess, climately conscious country as far as emissions and all of those things and low impacts of the environment. Yeah. Sri Lanka was at 98.1%. So they, they had an A-plus on this card during their collapse and leading up to their collapse. So you got to kind of scratch your head. But really, to, to connect this together, we have a Fox News contributor and author. He really knocked this out of the park. Take a listen to this. There's an element of the green movement globally that is simply trying to make the world move too far, too fast on the green agenda. And we've just seen some of the consequences in Sri Lanka. The Sri Lankan government fell for a bunch of basically left-wing Western activist ideas about ESG, about environmental issues, including use of fertilizer and much more. And they went so fast, so fast on it, that basically much of Sri Lanka's agriculture is not there anymore. It's agricultural industry that used to be so much of the country's export is just not there because they went into the ESG agenda. They got higher markings in all of the international bodies even than Sweden, even than the US in this. And the result is uh, shortages, uh, riots, and eventually the overturning of the government, and the, and, and the Prime Minister having to flee and work from a ship off the coast. Well, it's the same thing with the green activists in Europe and some of the ones we have here in the United States. They all demand the same thing. They say, you've got to get off fossil fuels, or you've got to get off fertilizer, and all these sort of things. But none of their supposed solutions are yet in place. They want us to get off fossil fuels. They want us to get off all of the other things that they deprecate, nuclear and much more. But they don't yet have the green answers that, yeah, you know, maybe we'll have down the road, but we don't, know, we don't now. So, you know, sorry to make the pun about the Tour de France, but they're trying to make us run before we can walk on green. And the results are the sort of things we've just seen in Sri Lanka. That is so well stated. It's exactly what I wanted to say. And, and, and when I think about when we were talking to Valerie about this event and bringing all sides together, I want to be perfectly honest. I still consider myself an environmentalist. I want clean air. I want clean water. I want a clean food supply. I don't like industries poisoning anything around me. We have to deal with it. We have to figure out ways. I am aware, and I have been aware, that nitrogen runoff is a problem in rivers. It's a problem for wildlife. I get all of that. But here is my issue, and here's where I've really jumped ship and thought, you know, the, the, the party, the Democrats, and how I grew up, whether this is political or not, I don't mean to make it that, but here's my beef. It's exactly what they just did. They just say, okay, go organic tomorrow. Right. But they don't send in anyone to help. They don't send in any way to deal with it. I think about, you know, I, I argue with my family and friends, you know, when it came to, like, coal mining and saying, well, we've just got to stop coal. And those miners, can, they can build solar panels. I was like, you know, that's a great thought. Do you see anyone in our government going and building a solar plant, you know, panel plant in the middle of West Virginia or, or, or whatever it is? It's just, it, these, are, these are statements and they're slogans, but they don't fit the reality. There are real human beings here, and we're all a part of this. This is going to be our food supply. Yes. And I want to say this. You know, there are people out there that could make this transition. Why aren't they calling Zach Bush? You know, to me, I mean, of, of all the interviews I've, I've done and the, and the people that I've discussed this issue with, I mean, I think he transcends all the parties, all the chaos, into ways that we can start moving people into better ways of farming. They're using less nitrogen, things like All of that's possible, right. you know. And so that's what has to happen. But these people aren't being called. He's not getting called for anyone 
out there that even has a question about, you know, Zach Bush, you've never heard of him, um, go back and watch some of the episodes of The High Wire. But you have an opportunity coming up this week, just ironically because this topic was coming up, Zach Bush is, is doing an event. Uh, this is on July 19th, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register uh, at farmersfootprint.us. Zach Bush is brilliant in the way that he has got ways that we can start moving people yes. into better farming practices. But that's where our billions of dollars should be going. When we're spending billions of dollars, it shouldn't be to figure out how to advertise to people that don't want to get a vaccine. How about let's get people to start learning how to farm better? How about we start you know, giving resources? Why don't we bring in the Zach Bushes of the world and people like that to train other people to go out and really let's make the world a better place? I'm down with that, but this is not how we do it. Right, right, right. All right, now let's let's kind of bring it all full circle. Let's see if our, let's see how long your attention span is. You guys have been here about three hours. We've talked about a lot of stuff, so let's see if we can bring it to a little full circle moment. Because there are good ideas out there. There are ideas about how to improve the world and make things a better place, make it a better place, and end hunger. All these great things, and it seems like those ideas get squashed. They get set off to the side. They don't get covered. They get threatened, they get harassed, they get obstacles thrown in front of them, kind of like what Woodrow Wilson was saying was going on back in 1911, right? That uh, if, you can, if you try to compete in certain areas against certain agendas, someone's going to come out and squash you. Do you think Klaus Schwab's going to let you develop a new way to have a salad shack in a Connex container and make organic hydroponic food for people in your backyard? Probably not. Probably, you know. Those ideas can only go so far to the point about using fertilizer to grow food. I spent the entire day with my family at a buddy's uh, organic farm. And on one acre, he probably produces enough food for four or five families, no chemicals, hardly any work beyond planning because it uses the wood chip method of uh, raised beds. It's beautiful and it's functional and it feeds many, many people and there is no damage to the earth. It's all natural. It's organic. So those types of things, people could repurpose their properties. There, a lot of people are doing permaculture, and you know, people in this audience, you're actually taking action. But in the normie world, people watching CNN, they're they're dependent on Whole Foods and Jeff Bezos for every morsel that comes into their house if they can afford that quality of morsel. Let's also look at the United Nations has this agenda 2030. They want to change your lifestyle without asking you about it by 2030. So it's like putting you on a diet, but no one asked you if you wanted to go on a diet. The UN's got this agenda. Okay, so that's that's there. What is the United Nations? It's a piece of property in New York that used to be a slaughterhouse district that was purchased by the Rockefeller family that was made into international territory. And the architect that built the monolith there is the Rockefeller family architect. So I don't know what you think it is, but that's how it started. And those are the people reshaping the world in their image using your tax dollars for the most part, because Rockefellers, remember Woodrow Wilson said there's some people above government, that level of robber baronness is uh, what we're talking about. So you got the UN, you got Rockefeller. Now you got this other group that came along called the World Wildlife Foundation, WWF. It's got this little panda. It's so cute. Give money to the w, you know, World Wildlife Foundation. Yeah. That's Prince Philip who wanted to come back as a virus to depopulate the earth and Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, who was a Nazi SS officer under Hitler, who co-founded the world economic forum, 
who was part of the Club of Rome's Predicament of Mankind 1970 document that impl- inspired Klaus Schwab to start the World Economic the Forum. Foundation of the Bilderberg Group. So the people doing this green sustainable agenda are literally, in this case, a Nazi-inspired group of people to take nature and own it so that they can squeeze everybody else out of society. Now let's move to the next part. CO2, greenhouse gas, that we have to get down to zero, right? Well, Tony, don't we exhale CO2? Isn't that a function of living things? How convenient that they came up with a problem that this applies to every living. And then CO2 has been higher in the past. What happened? Lush foliage, big animals. Yeah. Dinosaur era back in the day. Megafauna. Right? Megafauna. And then CO2 is also artificially raised in greenhouses where people like to get their food because it makes things grow a lot faster. There was a a quote I heard on this in the past week. It might have been Vandana Shiva, but in South Korea, in the valleys, they just have all these greenhouses and they produce super amounts of food because they pump up the CO2 mm-hmm. and the, you know, that's how they feed their country, right? People could be doing similar things like okay. that if they didn't think CO2 was the enemy. Oh, wait, so that's food for plants. Food for people. That ends world hunger. But Bill Gates yeah, wants to get CO2 to zero, which means no people and no food growing, right? Which brings me to this next point i'll, I'll get to it in yeah, a second about Bill Gates, but they also have you heard a lot about nitrogen right mm-hmm. nitrogen bad you gotta stop the fertilizer blah 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 right that's the well, wood chips captures nitrogen right because carbon layer captures nitrogen hemp also runs. captures carbon and nitrogen these sort of things anyway but but the, my yeah, point yeah, is any carbon layer is going to capture nitrogen they but. almost obliterated all the nitrogen in the world when they set off the first atomic bomb tests that we learned that with scott horton a couple weeks ago like so they almost obliterated all the nitrogen and ended humanity these people the same group of people that are doing this right there are a number of concerns that was certainly one of them so co2 the, and the nitrogen not really the, the real concerns the real concern might be psychopaths on this planet trying to end humanity maybe which brings me to Bill Gates. In fact, they aren't concerned. Bill Gates has buy, been buying up all the farmland, right? Sure. Yep. Is he you an organic that. farmer? <laughs> Last I checked, Bill Gates is not. You're so going to see a lot more actual laboratories. Well, remember at the beginning of the episode, I talked about those contradictions like Bill Gates and the nonprofit foundations and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, them, they say get rid of the carbon, but they have the big planes and yachts and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a contradiction with Bill Gates. Technically, by this plan, Agenda 2030, all this farmland that Bill Gates bought is worthless because he can't corporate farm it. He can't use fertilizers and he can't have cows. He can't produce food. So all that land he bought is worthless. Why did he buy that land? Is it not going to produce food in the future or is it going to produce food in the future using chemical and fertilizers and tractors and all these things he's telling us not to use? Or is it going to produce food that's been regulated regulated using fertilizers and other chemical methods um, pesticides and fungicides and all the various types of like petrochemical chemicals because they're driving you everyone else have out of business. Regulators, you know, you have your lobbyists in the government making sure that you have your people in positions to legislate that. So you get you see how it all interconnects. And so by the end of it, he happens to be one of maybe the only one that can fall in line with all the regulations, and he happens to be so protected. By so many government regulations by that point, it won't matter. And he can do his chemical farming or create meat in a laboratory or make us eat the bugs, I guess, at that point. I mean, well, that sounds really conspiratorial, Tony, like he's doing it on purpose. And I think he really has the best intentions for humanity and he loves people because he wears sweaters like Mr. Rogers. And I'm sure that and he's pregnant. 
international corporate governance like ESG, environmental social government governance that they got coming out like he and his friends are the only ones who can afford to implement those new laws and everyone else has to go out of business which is like deep capture or monopolization of a market just like jd rockefeller did back with standard oil in the 1800s which we talked about three hours ago and that's also like what shapiro is alluding to in regards to this like concept of enabling legislation or like yeah everyone will denounce these summits like yeah we won't go along with you know the kyoto or it could be whatever summit right but then they come back home and all of a sudden there's legislation for it seemingly coming out of organic roots and they'll vote for it in the house and the Senate. Like, and so in other words, it gets through sort of like normal channels, but it doesn't go. So like they feign as though I'm against this, then they support legislation back home. That is. So what does that end up doing? Let's bring it back to Quigley's weapon systems and political stability. What does it do that? The thing you just described, what does that Mm -hmm. do? It throws, the other side off balance and destroys their ability to organize effectively, which leaves them impotent to resist the will of the other side. And they breaks the other side's will also. Yeah. That's what they're doing because they're leaving them impotent, keeping them off balance means you're always a step behind. And when you're always, when you're being led like by your enemy who has the initiative, you're, you're done. It's very difficult to be able to, especially in modern warfare with asymmetry going on to be able to get another step ahead. Yeah, now you don't. can't see that if you think it's all coincidence or just people mean well, and it's incompetence theory or whatever your level you're at of realization. But when you get to the part of, Oh, it's a military styled operation that's being conducted mm-hmm. on a full spectrum of dominance on, on the entire world at the same time. Yeah. Like we've never seen this before. Like I take it personally. Like, like, Other people should take it personally. Probably too. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I'm not telling you what to do. I don't want to do that. That's very it's non-liberty. Been like, it's a type of warfare where so much of tonight's reminding me of this fallacy, the, the, the fallacy of the mean. Um, you can sort of analogize it to the frog in boiling water where it's just like... Just so get halfway out, happening. frog. You'll be fine. Yeah, just, just get... <laughs> it's a fallacy of the mean. In between, that's you know, the middle. There are a couple of times that I wanted to bring that up. Just compromise. That, it reminds me so much of what's happening right now um, in regards to how politics is being conducted or everything's sort of falling into this like middle position. If we just, you know, um, politics is war by other methods. That's the thing. Like this is the fallacy of the mean on the entire world. That's like the sort of psychological sort of fallacy that's being perpetrated and perpetuated, utilized across the world in regards to COVID then in regards to depending on where you live, east or west, there's a couple different themes, but still, you know, narratives that sort of are sanctified by either side um, in regards to Ukraine and Russia. And, um, you know, multipolar versus unipolar alliances, all these different memes and constructs out there to describe a world that doesn't really reflect reality. If you can sort of pierce through the veil of um somewhat witty but you know hey i'm thinking that part holog- about the holographic it, it, sorry project uh, i was just thinking the, the part about the south korean greenhouses i was like how did i know that where did i hear that i think it was jack spirko earlier this week out back with jack check out an episode it's funny how that works see how there is world at one point was more green co2 bad 
Really? Let's let's just go back to the premise of the argument before we end civilization as we know it and stop people from growing food and put people in prison camps and shit like that. Like maybe we should just question Methane, Bill Gates on the TED CO2, Talk premise of we must we, we have to get all these things to zero, right? Let's maybe just stop the record there and let's have a talk because otherwise it looks like he's bringing out artificially created Bill Gates branded Armageddon for everybody. Lab created meat. And bugs. And he's just the public spokesman for that whole movement. GMO. That's all. Right. Yeah. At this point, I think he's embraced it completely. He doesn't mind. Like, he probably gets off to like videos of people making fun of him. Well, let's not think about such things, dude. Come on now. You heard me talk 15 years ago about how do you delete that meme from your head, man? Don't get that. Here. <laughs> Unless you got a delete button, bro. You better be careful what you put in there. <laughs> that was my point. Uh-huh. All right. So, these events are going to continue to transpire and unfold. And the best we can do right now is just become aware of them. And what's the history? And these people, you know, might not be who they uh, pose to be as far as like Bill Gates he cares about opposite. kids in Africa. Does he? Yeah. he kills them with his vaccinations? He used to have a depopulation council. Like you heard the lady last week in the clip. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a thing. They're, they're into eugenics. I mean, they used to be proud of it, but now it's like they're a little hush-hush about it. They're a little too out in the open. I mean, they were getting away with it for a while, but then the internet sort of caught up. And there's a brief period where we had interactive video, the web 2.0 or 3.0, however one wants to sort of characterize it. But the, the, inter- the internet became very interactive short, for a short amount of time where the algorithm wasn't completely sort of whitewashed. Google reversed its search and started to hide. Yeah, stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, they broke yeah, that I mean, company. Used it used to, to be a great search algorithm, and oh, now it's dude, a hiding algorithm that's weak because yeah. you can still find stuff. The it's not the only power that engine. must go into trying to hide, essentially, with how they came up to sort of connect ideas together, terms and whatnot. If Anyways. you work at Google and you write algorithms to hide information from people, first off, shame on you. Secondly, save your soul and call Project Veritas and we'll play your clip. <laughs> it's not Better a good yeah, career, come on kid. our show. That's all I'm saying. You know, write algorithms to help liberate people, not to enslave them, please. Just, you know, pro tips on algorithms and AI. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, as far as getting out of this section, um, we could play more of the Jackson clip. You guys got the gist. You know, the variant V5 is not as dangerous as maybe V5. they're making it out to be. They might be banging the fear drums real loud, and you can just put some earplugs in and move about your day freely and ignore those. Um, didn't even know it was a thing, to be honest. See, right. Tony didn't even know it was a thing. He puts together the show card. All right, so uh, other essential clips out of this section would be such as what? Let's look. I would say... To make people oh, aware that, of it, there's the um, the Malone workshop. Doctor, do we have a don't we have a time code for that? The six that hour so Malone workshop. Yeah, yeah, we have like a fifteen. So we do want to play that. We do on that. Let me see what that. It, yeah, it's different than the one in the intermission. I'm looking at the one on Rumble yeah, here. I was also going to see the John Bound. Was one of our great listeners. Listen to that whole six hour Robert Malone interview, and we do have a time yeah, code. It's amazing. I believe. Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's get to that, and then we'll get to. Uh, I think we want to go to Gareth Ike's interview after this clip. So we'll what's that? Uh, what section are we jumping to in that? Oh, right before intermission. 
Five hours, 26 minutes. Robert Williams speaks about 15 minutes. Yeah, five hours, 26 minutes out of the six-hour, 11-minute session. Long attention spans. That's what you need to survive in this world. I'm just making making it obvious for you. It's amazing how much you can learn in that time. Okay, we can we can pull that up. Doing it live. And what did you want to play after? It's like every week we solve a maze and you get to watch us bump into a wall every now and then, but then we find our way through. What do you want to play? What do you want to play after that? Oh, we'll just come back after that. Uh, okay. I was looking to do the uh Gareth Ike interview. Oh yes, okay. Um also oh. maybe we'll wait for after the Gareth. But master glossary for GTW members, you wanna have a shout out for that? There's a reminder that wasn't sure. Well, no, that's a good idea. Uh, yeah, I'll do that because these next two clips. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the war against us all. We talked about it a half hour ago. It's going to be re-premiering on July 22nd for Grand Theft World members uh, of the community there. And uh, the second trailer to tee it up is about uh, the war on drugs, the war on hemp, the other things that they do to uh, control you aside from the monetary system and the, the energy situation that are discussed in the first part of the film. This is the war against us all part two. And we're going to watch uh, the trailer for that. And then we'll just go straight to that Malone clip from that conference. And then we'll come back before intermission. And then, or, you know, we'll just move forward after that. We'll figure out one step at a time. All right. You got it. Thank you. It's similar, but different. So 15 years ago, a transmission was sent out. Its message has gained attention. Have you noticed the war against us all? The number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. You can make it, man. We can make it together. We can get it together. We can get it together. Now that's all. has discovered a way, hear this, to use water to run your car. It's a major breakthrough that will no doubt make motorists happy. And as Ralph Robinson explains, the Pentagon is also showing lots of interest in this project. And I don't care if you use rainwater, well water, city water, ocean water. If you don't have any fresh water, go ahead and use snow. If you don't have any snow available to you, then use salt water because there's no adverse effect to the fuel cell. Now there may be an energy crisis. Well, this... This president has a very forward-thinking energy policy. He's trying to create an alternative energy source. And I told him, yes, I do. I'll, I'll stand up with you. His machine is probably the most important invention and discovery in the history of man. The only comment that the patent office made was the judge should refrain from believing in the tooth fairy. I did that in good faith and my government betrayed it and tried to say that me and all of them were conspirators or incompetent. That was their comments they made about these people. We have reviewed hospital policies and procedures and believe that we are fully compliant with these requirements. So, sir, is the problem that the requirements aren't strict enough? They're planning to be fully compliant, but certainly when they dropped off 
a woman uh, on the streets in a nightgown who uh, had high blood pressure, a fever, didn't know time or place. They weren't in compliance, and certainly when they dropped off. The reason is uh, our society just does not have uh, the heart that it needs to have for the poor, for, for the sick. We, we want to spend billions on uh, war and building prisons, but uh, we don't seem to want to spend any money taking care of folks. hoping you might be willing to enlist and ship out for training within 30 days. It's something we use uh, in times like this to just be that little extra incentive. What do you say to soldiers who are already in the war zone who didn't get this extra $20,000, but they might be fighting next to some who did? That is usually the case with uh, Army recruiting incentives, and I think soldiers understand it. That's no little incentive, $20,000. That's, no. that's quite a chunk of change. No, and uh, we can offer up to $40,000. After his school banned water bottles, a 13-year-old decided he didn't like the alternative, drinking from school water fountains, so he tested the fountains. And guess what? What did you find when you compared bacteria in toilets to what was in the water fountains? Toilets were cleaner than the drinking fountains. How much cleaner are toilets than drinking fountains? Significantly so? Yeah. I could go anywhere in my house when I was a child. You know, there was three or four different rooms. I could go into my basement and I could get clean water and drink it. Mm. <laughs> and those were great times. <laughs> then we decided, said, we'll save money. We won't clean the water so much. And with the money we can save, we can then buy the water at the supermarket. <laughs> I want to drive and drive and drive and look for water, like my ancestors did. As bus radio expands into four states, they may soon head north. But that's not all the corporations have in mind for enhancing public education. And if, if you think they're watching too much TV at home, just imagine seven million kids forced to watch commercial messages on school TV as part of the morning class. Folks at Channel One will provide free television sets to every classroom. And all they want in exchange is that the kids watch 12 minutes a day. Mika Nichols is at the White House with the story. The president has signed a bill that he says could keep some illegal immigrants out of the U.S. Between 1990 and 2000, 10 years, advertising to children in North America has gone from $100 million to $2 billion. They, they can't understand the fundamental basis of advertising. So how is it that they can defend against it? What Fox Television told us was that we were just the people to be the investigators. Do any stories you want. Ask tough questions and get answers. One of the first stories that Jane came up with was the uh, revelation that most of the milk in the state of Florida and throughout much of the country uh, was adulterated with the effects of bovine growth hormone. With Monsanto, I didn't realize how effectively a corporation could work to get something on the marketplace. They had to get university professors into the fold. They had to get experts into the fold. They had to get reporters into the fold. And of course the FDA, let's not leave them out. They had to get the federal regulators convinced that this was was a fine and safe product and they did that they did that very very well the scientists within health canada looked very carefully at bovine growth hormone and came to very different conclusions than the food and drug administration in the u.s did 
Monsanto's engineered growth hormone did not comply with safety requirements. It could be absorbed by the body and therefore did have implications for human health. Mysteriously, that conclusion was deleted from the final published version of their report. They knew there were problems. They saw serious potential human health problems and they stood up in Canada and said, we're not going to approve this because we don't believe it's safe. They were afraid of being sued and they were also afraid of losing advertising dollars. So we got into a battle about a week later, calls us back to the office and says, okay, we'd like you to make these changes. In fact, you will make these changes. And I'll never forget, he didn't pause a beat and he said, we just paid three billion dollars for these television stations. We'll tell you what the news is. He was going to offer us the rest of our year's salary if we agreed not to talk about what Monsanto had done, to not talk about the Fox corporate response in suppressing the story, and to not talk about the story, not talk about BGH. I said, you mean if I want to go to my daughter's PTA meetings and explain what's in the school milk? at the school lunch program, I, I can't, no. You can never speak about this anywhere. And Steve says, okay, write it up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Write it up. He wrote it up. And he FedExed it to us a couple days later. And he said, are you going to sign? And we said, nah, Dave, we're not going to sign that. And he said, we'll send it back, okay? I said, no, Dave, we're not going to send that back. I think we're dying. How much did you guys have? Uh, I, I don't know. We made brownies, and I think we're dead. It was it was a quarter ounce. How many pieces do you guys think you guys had? I, I don't know. My, I probably had like a small chunk. Please come. A former narcotics cop has switched sides. He's now offering tips to help pot smokers evade the law. Another great place to conceal your stash. Barry, just have to ask you, why are you trying to help the criminals flout the law now? Well, uh, maturity, compassion, and logic, and reasoning, and, and what really topped it off is when I learned Harry Anslinger testified in 1937 before the Senate, and I'll quote him, marijuana should be illegal because it causes Negroes to seek relationships with white women. Yeah, okay. It's a racist law, and there's a good argument well, the black people in this the black people in this land could sue the government because it's a racist law. Yeah, okay, I'm not sure I buy that. But, uh, yeah, I don't even know what to do with that. For to grow hemp legally, you must have a federal registration and tax stamp. This is provided for in your contract. It's the healthiest plant on the planet Earth. In fact, it's greater as paper, fiber, fuel, medicine, food, than virtually any other plant on earth. And if you take out medicine, it's greater than all the other plants on earth combined. And then one of the most disturbing things is that the family groups have been involved in drug running since the early 1800s. Drug running? And it seemed... Yes, yes. The, the founder of Skull and Bones was uh, William Huntington Russell, and his family business was Russell and Company, which was the uh, America's largest opium smuggler, the third largest in the world. Wow. Chris Milligan, unfortunately, we are out of time. We're going to have to leave it at that fascinating subject. The author of a book on uh, Skull and Bones. Thank you so much. It didn't work last century, so someone figured it was a PR problem and changed the name Prohibition to an even more bullshit macho name, the War on Drugs. 
If you live in a free country, you have the right to put anything you want into your own body. Anything else is bullshit. Here's one of their early efforts at scaring the shit out of you. There's a name for this kind of bullshit. Voodoo pharmacology. There are real dangers involved in drug use, there's no doubt about that. Kids need to know this stuff, but not from the government. So why don't we hear that alcohol and tobacco are a gateway drug? Well, it's because alcohol and tobacco are multi-billion dollar corporations and they make lots of money in our society. People ask about medical marijuana. Uh, that's a... a, a just a, 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 an excuse by the legalizers to get into the issue. When you, you look at the issue of medical marijuana, it's largely a big hoax. First of all, there's so few people, I don't know any good doctor out there who's going to say, hey, take a joint, it's going to make you better. Really? It only took us a few minutes to find a good doctor. Dr. Lester Grinspoon, professor of psychiatry emeritus at the Harvard Medical School. I learned that despite my training in medicine and science, I had been brainwashed like just about every other citizen in this country that marijuana was not only a, not a dangerous drug, but indeed it was remarkably non-toxic. And uh, I had to uh, revise my view of it. Don't smoke There's no need to be flattening these forests. We could be doing it with, other, with alternative fibers. Hemp and uh, canap are just two of them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and I didn't like it. And didn't inhale and never tried it again. Grows everywhere, serves a thousand different functions, all of them positive. To make marijuana against the law is like saying God made a mistake. Still may know little about. The CIA's involvement with drug lords happened in Vietnam, happened in the Iran Contra affair. This was a, a multi billion dollar business. Even more menacing, the CIA have gone into the drug trade and are trying to take over the government. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's funny! In the war on drugs, which side is the CIA on? When you think crack, don't think black. When you think crack, think CIA. This summer, get a second look at how we got here. Rewind 15 years and re-examine where we've come from. In a time when we all feel like something is going wrong, look and see the war against us all. To see the full film, sign up for a membership with Grand Theft World. This film and many others come free with a membership. Navigate through the tabs and you'll find it here. The War Against Us All, Part 1 and 2. To get free content like this, get the Freedom Vault. Link in the description. No, I just saw that you can go ahead and jump to the Malone clip. I think it's what we wanted to go. Do you need the timestamp for it? No, I've got that. You got that? Okay. Yeah. More about that. Because if we can learn COVID's lessons for science and policy, we can set us up for success before the next pandemic. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. That was fantastic. I, although I was sad to hear you're not going to run because I'd probably vote for you. Um, Robert. So I don't have prepared slides.
Um, I'm just, I'm in, so I should start with the COI. As I mentioned, I, uh, I serve as the chief medical officer and regulatory officer for the Unity Project. Um, I serve as the president of the Global COVID Alliance or International Alliance of Physicians and Scientists. I'm chairman of the board of a new startup called DMED or Decentralized Medicine, which is focused on making information available to patients in a format that is uh, um, protected from the influence of pharmaceutical uh, dollars. Um, I do have a long track record of working with the government. I've won or managed, uh, I don't know, $3 billion. During the last two years, I've captured about 250 to $300, 000, $300 million from my clients in COVID-related work, including uh, building a platform clinical trial activity and um, repurposed drug discovery for MIT Lincoln Labs, among others. That's through Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Um, I have uh, fortunately or unfortunately spent way too much time dealing with DC and I'm known as kind of a government insider, particularly within Defense Threat Reduction Agency in the biodefense space and BARDA. Um, I met Tony Fauci multiple times. I've had to deal with him my entire career. I understand how NIAID works and when it doesn't work. I know a lot of the bodies that are buried and where they're buried over the last two years and what's been happening. So I'm coming to you with um, thoughts that are congealing in the context of working up a book um, called The Lies That My Government Told Me in the Better Time Ahead. And part of that is focused on the better time ahead. How can we move forward? What do we need to do to correct what's happened here? In my opinion, what we're, I'm, I, it's lovely to see these uh, practical, pragmatic, uh, policy suggestions at the level of operational changes that might occur in our public health system. In my opinion, um, in my experience working with uh, the public health system, a lot of the folks at the operational level are very open and seeking this type of stuff, but they're incredibly constrained by, in terms of operational latitude by the system and their supervisors. We have a problem here in which, you know, we, we're all able to observe, I guess there's some dissent about whether or not the CDC is open and objective, but we have the GAO report saying the CDC has been weaponized and is uh, we have the CDC's own statements that they've been withholding information from public health and physicians all the way through this outbreak. So that kind of influences my point of view, um, in case you hadn't noticed. We have a situation in which, and I've watched it build through my entire career, we have a major financial investment and invested interests in um, infectious disease outbreaks. Infectious disease outbreaks like wars are very, very good for business. They are also very, very useful politically. We the the governments of the world, and now we have Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset and COVID-19, and no, this is not a conspiracy, read his book. Um, you'll find, for, for those of you here, by the way, I really recommend you read his book, because what you'll find is incredible naivete and um, hocus-pocus science. I mean, it's all through that thing. This is, this is not a well-thought-out treatise. 
but there are multiple lines of evidence that this outbreak has been weaponized for political purposes at a multitude of levels. At the largest level globally, um, at the national level politically, um, at the level of HHS for power within that structure. Um, we have built a system, and I've been part of building it, uh, that has that generates enormous revenue and has enormous vested interests in outbreaks. Outbreaks are really good business. And they have enabled the development of an incredibly powerful health and human services public health enterprise. It is so powerful that you'll recall the statement from Tony Fauci when the judge overturned the mask mandate. He said that the public health officers should be above the courts. The courts should not be able to regulate the public health officers. We're in a situation in which public health, talk about wag the dog, public health is controlling public policy. Public health bureaucrats of enormously long tenure are setting public health policy. Scott sat in the administration so has Peter Navarro, so have so many of my other friends that I've spoken to. And they tell me the story of what happened when Mr. Trump came in and when folks of, you know, with good intentions like Scott and Peter and others came in and they wish to implement change. And this is apparently a strategy that's been used for decades. They confronted an entrenched public health bureaucracy that threaten them, no, if you change these things, if you don't follow our particular um, interpretation of what the correct policy is, then if there are deaths, they will be on your head. This is a strategy that's been used administration after administration after administration to basically bully the incoming executive branch into following whatever policies, procedures, and culture the existing HHS infrastructure has developed. We absolutely have a situation that the political scientists describe using the terms inverse totalitarianism, meaning we're a situation in which government bureaucrats, entrenched government bureaucrats, are the ones setting policy, not the ones that we elect to set, set policy, and they are untouchable. Scott and his colleagues discovered this in a very rude way um, over the last two, you know, last few years. Am I am I off base? Well, I was only there for three. Yeah. It seemed like three years. Yeah, I bet it did. Well, um, so so the, this is what happens. We have a HHS bureaucracy that is completely out of control. Scientists, and these are not scientists, they are bureaucrats. Tony Fauci, I've known him for decades. Once upon a time, he was an immunologist. He is a very adroit Washington, D.C. bureaucrat politician. And um, he understands how to work the system. He has amassed massive power, in part at the expense of the Department of Defense after the anthrax attacks. You, so, getting back to policy changes, in my opinion, we must rescind the 2013 National Defense Act, which is what's enabled the intelligence community to implement their propaganda and their influence over media. 
This is the billion dollars that has been spent. It is literally a billion dollars that was spent, as we know because of FOIA documents pulled by Blaze Media. Over a billion dollars was spent to, to promote the party line, the policy, the narrative that the government wished to promote and to attack folks like those that we have here that were speaking out in contrast contrary to the uh, agenda. Um, this is enabled because of the 2013 National Defense Act, which is, a, they're basically saying that we're in a state of war and they have the right to implement um, uh, policies in which the government is directing both social media and legacy media to promote stories, to attack people, to, um, uh, suppress other types of information, etc. That's all, it didn't used to be that way. It wasn't allowed. There's a court case right now between the state of Louisiana, Facebook and the US government because of the collusion between the US government and Facebook. There's an office at CDC whose job it is to identify people and those that are saying things and statements that are to be suppressed. This office directly says to Twitter, you need to cancel this person, okay? That is an office in the CDC. It has staff, okay? That has to stop. In my opinion, employees should not receive compensation. Employees of the federal government should no longer receive compensation under the Bayh-Dole Act. This creates a profound conflict of interest. We heard about the $350 million that has gone to the leadership at NIH or under the Bayh-Dole Act for um, uh, royalties on patents. And what that creates is a situation. Remember, the, every, I don't know how many of you are under the misconception that peer review makes the decision about who gets to grant, who gets to be awarded a grant. It's only a triage. It is a triage and initial ranking. I don't know how much, I've spent way too much time on study sections, usually these days for big contracts. Um, all you do as an academic in your peer review is you do the initial triage, you rank things, and then the leadership makes the decision about funding. That leadership is receiving major money from patent royalties. So they're in a situation where they control who gets the money, and they're in a position to control whether or not money goes to projects and technologies that are competitive to the ones that they're receiving royalties on major financial interest throughout the whole system and it remains unresolved. NIAD and the NIH absolutely need a new organizational chart. I completely agree with Rand Paul. Uh, the, the problem is that we've set up our federal agencies in a number of ways um, that are counterproductive. Um, and one of them is, in the case of NIH for sure, and really all the way through all of these HHS agencies, they're now too big to fail. What do we do? This has been a dilemma that my people and my buddies talk about every time we have a new administration. Is Tony gonna resign and who would replace him because he's gotten rid of all of his lieutenants pretty much? Um, Tony has amazing power and um, he will not retire and he cannot be controlled. We have to break up 
those positions of power that are akin to J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. Tony is akin to J. Edgar Hoover right now. Another thing that we have all the way through our federal bureaucracy in these agencies is they have a dual purpose. Those per that purpose is to both promote the industry and to regulate the industry. And we have seen again and again and again, you know, Boeing hey, pause and 737 MAX. All right. I had written down a couple thoughts and I didn't want to lose them. So I wrote them down. And then he just said some words, which made me come running in here because he said, Tony Fauci can't be fired. And he can't be controlled. Fire is a dangerous master. Uh, uh, what is it? Fire is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Okay. So in this scenario, we're going to look at fire for a second because he can't be fired. He can't be controlled. Fire is a necessary thing, though. Fire in household, traditionally, you'd have a fireplace, a place to put the fire where it was safe and it could be contained and provide warmth without burning down the house. Fire had a chimney to take that heat and smoke <clears throat> out of the house so it didn't poison the people living in the house and thus they could live with warmth. This has been a necessity for a long time in human history, thousands of years. Government is much like fire. Government is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. And if government is not contained in a fireplace like a constitution and a chimney, uh, active citizens politically representing themselves and not special interests and corporations top down like Woodrow Wilson talked about it 100 years ago, right? If that fire is not contained, if that government <clears throat> is not contained, it will disorganize rapidly the house, right? Because that's what fire does. It disorganizes things molecularly disorganizes things yeah. <clears throat> what did quigley say dramatic. you have the other side is going to seek to disorganize the other side so that mm -hmm. they won't have the will you don't have the will to politically object to anything when your house is burning down that's right right so this is a valid metaphor to help you understand like what robert malone's talking about oh he's saying pfizer and their investors and the world economic forum above them are top down directing functionality of the United States government. To me, the United States government is like, uh, like a handgun, right? It's all about in whose hand is that handgun? Is it in the hand of the people? I feel safe. Is it in the hand of Pfizer and the World Economic Forum and Davos crew? I don't feel so safe all of a sudden. And that crew wants to disorganize and, and disarm us. So maybe we should see that for what it is, is all I'm saying. I think Robert Malone's pointing that out right now in that speech. And uh, he's making he's some pointing good points. out the, the entire hhs under which there's the nih and the niaid which falls under the nih but the hhs is the entire structure health and yeah. human services so we look at all these agencies that are underneath this like umbrella called hhs he's saying every one of them has been institutionally captured a regulatory capture whatever i mean it's it's also now that's a claim major corporations Let's compare it to the known landscape. Is there oh, an actually, HHS whistleblower back in the day, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, who said maybe they were stealing billions and doing this crazy stuff with HHS back then, right? And not to mention and Fauci the is like the capo de tutti capo, and he got rid of his lieutenants. <laughs> I mean, these are good points. No, it feels, banking. No, it feels like it's on organized purpose. crime. It feels like organized yeah, on purpose for sure, but it reminds you of just how organized crime would act. Hmm. when under pressure 
and they disorganize the other side like they like when you remove the constitution and you let government just you know burn down the house is that the state of the affairs all right let's let's hear a couple more minutes of uh dr malone it is a good he does make some good points there though oh by the way for those of you playing at home defense threat research agency is darpa even though it's dtra ditra is part of darpa so he's like he's in like flint over at darpa weigh that with mentioned barda you will yeah barda rick rick from barda he's famous on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right let's go federal bureaucracy in these agencies is they have a dual purpose those per that purpose is to both promote the industry and to regulate the industry. And we have seen again and again and again, you know, Boeing and 737 MAX and the FAA, right? The um, uh, regulation of agriculture in Monsanto and the FDA. We've heard about the money that's going into FDA. the CDC has a dual mission to promote vaccines and regulate vaccines. Guess which one gets more money? It's about five-fold difference to promote vaccines. Very little money to regulate vaccines. That's been part of the problem with the database analysis. There's no money for doing it. That's an understaffed group. That's why we don't have the build-out of an improved VAERS. Improved VAERS has been built. It has been available for implementation. There's no interest in implementing it. So. We must break up these very large agencies. They're creating too much power in centralized leadership. This leadership has been in place for generations in many cases. We have to stop this dual agency of uh, both regulating industry and promoting industry. And in my opinion, the public health agencies must be put back in their box. As was said earlier, they're in a position to advise but they are not elected officials. They should not have um, uh, the right to establish policy. Policy is the function of elected officials. And we somehow have to extract that back into both the executive branch and to the legislature, which one of the problems with that loop that Tony has been running for years and years is it's essentially a pork barrel loop. I don't know if that's another thing that most people don't get, is that Pony, Tony carefully tracks where all the money goes by congressional district. There is a quid pro quo. When money gets allocated, I, I once worked on a contract for John Murtha. That's where I learned how this works in DC. Basically, when you're one of these folks um, in Congress, you can allocate money to public health or medical research. No one will complain about it. Who who doesn't want more money for breast cancer? And you allocate that money to an individual within the bureaucracy or a non, an NGO that's associated with it. And then that money comes back into your district. And that's kind of the way it works with the NIH. If you look at where, for instance, the Biodefense Centers of Excellence is a classic case Look at where those things got put. Do they make any sense at all for the most of them? You know, how does it make a whole lot of sense to put a high containment facility in the middle of Boston? 
It doesn't make sense. It ought to be out of major urban centers, but these things go as basically rewards to congressional districts and, and trade for power. So I'm out of time. As far as I'm concerned, we have a big problem. We've learned now how thoroughly corrupted HHS is, and we've learned how big the problem is that we're gonna have to solve. And there's a number of very discreet actions that we can take to get there as a starting point. Over. Thank you, Bob. And thank you for those constructors. I think I think it's refreshing that uh, you know, Dr. Malone, because of this whole COVID thing, he has realized that there is a war against us all. And he's coming up to speed on it. He's right. It's multi-generational. Yeah, I heard him say that as well. The people Obviously, he dropped the Great you, Reset and he talked like, about the what economic form a little bit. So it's like, he, you know. Petrochemicals are made by petroleum refining companies like Standard Oil. Mm -hmm. And Standard Oil set up the medical, the allopathic medical establishment in America and the rest of the world, China too. It's all the same system that they set up in the like 1920s. Yeah. Read it in the Rockefeller Foundation by Raymond Fosdick, the president of the Rockefeller Foundation. He would know. And he wrote it down and you could know too, if you read it and you understand that this is not accidental, that the, you know, your, every problem that you have at the doctor is a chemical petrochemical solution made by one of the pharmaceutical companies that takes those raw materials out of the petroleum and, uh, reorganizes nature for your, your betterment. Right. Whereas Vandana Shiva would say, try Ayurvedic medicine. And here's a variety of plants that they've grown in India for thousands of years. And there's a little knowledge of this left because the British colonizing India didn't kill off all those people with indigenous knowledge of, you know, using food the from rich, the earth. other what a crazy idea. Science-based medicine. So science-based science medicine, eugenics-based medicine is what it should be called <laughs> because you're dealing with people who used to sterilize people sure. not too long ago, not even a hundred years ago in this country, you know, full on control over other people's lives just like who was that guy bertrand russell didn't we hear about him earlier in this episode another full circle moment what did bertrand russell say mm -hmm. about the uh like the weak people what was he what was his idea for them oh he said that uh they should be killed off he's a fabian socialist uh philosopher of eugenics and genocide so i don't know i'm not making up these things that they said i just read what they said i said yeah that's, oh, anyway, that's knowledge you know, we kind of right, okay. kept reading what they said beyond just the quotes that are oftentimes built used as straw men against them. Excerpt lifted, built as straw men to be used against them. But nope, if you keep reading from their quotes forward or even beforehand, you find it's usually much more damning for a lot of these individuals, a lot of these intellectuals in history. Bertrand Russell being one of them, one of the great sort of thought leaders uh, for technocracy, for the idea of how a scientific society would ultimately have to manifest itself. I think that's like sort of he approaches it more abstractly. Well, he, you know, he's a real academic. Let me just go to Bertie Bert <laughs> in my in my tribute to Mark Lombardi. See, it's another callback to earlier in the episode. You got to pay attention. Sure. It's about long attention spans, people. Yeah. Right. As part of the British class system, you had Bertrand Arthur William Russell, third Earl of Russell, O M and F R S. Just so you know, for those of you. Uh, let's see, <laughs> Fabian socialism, uh, was participating around the time. Uh, he, he, he was influenced by the first opium war. That's what I uh, that that was, mm -hmm. uh, HG Wells helped to mentor him, like work beside him. 
influenced him. London School of Economics, of course, the uh, the Rothschild funded School of Economics that you heard a, a report for from earlier in this episode. And uh, let's see, logical positivism. They got a lot of great things. He was working with Beatrice Webb, uh, the Coefficients yeah, Dining Fabian's. Club. That's another good place. Yeah, these are all part of the Fabian Socialist milieu. If you would like to say it like that, Fabian socialism, we can go here. Mark Lombardi, again, you know, I had uh, known about, you know, entity relationship diagramming. I had sold products for software in big companies that did stuff like this, but it wasn't until seeing the artwork of Mark Lombardi that I was like, you know what, maybe I could be putting down some of the stuff I learned and make some connections and, you know, uh, be able to share it with others. That's the important part, right? It's not just about knowing for yourself. It's about knowledge becomes wisdom only when shared and making a model like this, you know, where anyone can just click in. What's a Fabian strategy? Maybe we should check that out. Is there some sort of history? Oh, Fabius Maximus was his Roman general and he waged war using a strategy of attrition and attack from behind. Here's war of attrition. What's that? Right. And you can read the wiki page and just crawl your way through and learn step-by-step how all this sort of things. Now, if you want to know, we might've talked about that in the ultimate history lesson, hour three, it's a concept. One of all these concepts talked about in that one hour of that one movie, the ultimate history lesson with John Taylor Gatto. Of course, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the war against us all. And there might be uh, the Fabian strategy embedded in that movie. I don't know. You're going to have to check it out on July 22nd. And we'll do that. Uh, live stream kind of watch along interactive thing i think to celebrate uh the you know the full circle moment that those bring that that's brought together in those two parts of that movie part one and part two now we got out of the robert malone we're almost to intermission but i feel like we should roll uh the interview with gareth ike that i filmed i think on thursday or friday this week he has, uh, he's, he's in the UK kids and it's five hour time difference. And you know, right now it's middle of his night. So we did a pre-taped session and, uh, <clears throat> we're going to learn about, um, iconic media, the whole platform that they've put together, why they put it together, these sort of things. So now that we're going to present like a, an interview that's going to showcase, uh, iconic and all of its great offerings. Also, don't forget grand theft world, become a member. Well, now let's go uh, maybe over to Gareth Ike and let's check out that interview where I'm looking like this in different clothes. But we'll do you want right to show back. that then and come back for comments? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then we'll do intermission. We'll come back. Gotcha. Welcome back to Grand Theft World Podcast. Tonight's guest is musician, media mogul, Gareth Ike. Gareth, how are you doing this evening? I'm great, thanks, mate. I've never been called a mogul in my life. Ah, well, you're uh, your second generation freedom fighter. I like to look at the world that, uh, you know, what we're up against is a multi-generational group of serial killers. And what you've got there is multi-generational freedom fighters. So you're fighting back grassroots you don't have any billionaire funding you went from your uh, prodigious musician career and you've refocused over the last couple of years on iconic media and you've got a whole bunch of you got like a a stable of talent over there just producing and 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 uh putting out all this great content how did that come about what made you think you could do something like that and uh why didn't it exist before you guys did it um 
Good question. Basically, my brother is the businessman. He's the the, the brains in, in 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 the business sense. And so, you know, I was up for launching a podcast and and you know, kind of having conversations with people coming at it from a slightly you know maybe a younger angle, which I might not look at the minute, but I am a bit younger. Um, and he was like, kind of, why don't we just launch a channel? Um, which to me was like, okay, that's that's a pretty big leap. But you know, yeah, why not? There's nothing out there that's doing that. Um, at the moment, so we'll go for it. And um, we launched the channel, and um, and then COVID kind of all that nonsense happened um, when the channel was really in its infancy, and that I think just concentrated everyone's minds. Then that was kind of like now nah, this now nah. when when you're seeing you know what's happening in terms of I don't know how it was over there, but here in the UK, Boris Johnson would stand at five pm every uh, every weekday and would give this speech and he'd go to the scientists next slide please and all this sort of nonsense and it was just absolutely ridiculous how you had this whole room full of media and no one was asking these questions and so I was watching it and he would trip himself up because you know Boris Johnson is a buffoon and he would trip himself up and I'm like ah like shh. Laura Kunzberg or someone from the BBC is going to jump in now you know they've got to because he's literally like no, no question. Okay. And then they do it again and do it again. And I realized actually these people are literally, they're not asking the questions that not even, you know, other sort of, you know, journalists or investigative journalists or whatever would be asking. These are questions that, you know, John down the pub would ask, you know, these are just real obvious questions. Um, and they weren't being asked. And it was like, do you know what? They're not going to do it. It, it. It's all well and good slagging off the mainstream media, but you can whinge about it till the cows come home. They're not going to change because they are what they are. So, We'll launch our own basically and um and that was what we did and it's just grown and grown and i think there's more more of an appetite for it now and also you know the more content that we've made um that have pointed out things you know i think back now occasionally like if my wife goes away i might stick on an old episode of right now or, or whatever um from you know six seven months ago and you're saying stuff um and you're talking to to guests that are saying what's coming and then i'm i've coming forward to now and it's like this is exactly what they said would happen you know and um and so that gives you credibility it gives the channel credibility and um and and i think that's why people are interested now you know people want to want to know what's going on because they know they're being lied to they just don't know to what level basically right i think covid was this great switch and it's like people now know they're being lied to but they don't know the history of who what where when why and how and to my point of uh, the multi-generational serial killers, let me see if this button will work for me. Oh, no, I got to hit this. I got to hit one button here. Pardon my French. Deactivate. Activate. No, that's not it. I'm going to have to play with that in a second. I have a book here, uh, Agenda 21. Boris Johnson's dad helped to create Agenda 21 and the narrative that Boris, the buffoon, is there then to manage in the second generation of their of their uh, anti-freedom cult. Let's just call it like that, right? Anti-freedom cult. So for years and years, researchers have been trying to communicate to the public globalism. There's a group of people, they seek kind of a medical martial law situation. They write scenarios and do exercises and, you know, all these sort of things. And nobody could hear us. Nobody could hear us. We were like voices in the forest and there's no one around. But all of a sudden with COVID, 
everybody's tuned in. Like there's something going on. What is the history? Who are these people? How long has this been going on? How far are they? What is this world economic forum thing? What is the club of Rome? What is this population agenda? What is, you know, all these sort of things. And now you guys have like the magnet to bring all that content together to help people digest, understand, cognize this ever-changing, ever-increasing tension situation that they've brought upon us in the past couple of years. So it's like, just when the lights go out, you guys invented the flashlight and you're like, look, we can see, you know, and now it's like a million candle power floodlight. And you're like, ah, we can really see now. Right. And you guys just keep attracting more talent and growing your audience. So uh, talk about some of the freedoms that gives you as a producer and as a platform not to have corporate sponsorship or billionaires telling you what to do. Talk about the type of freedom that you get from doing business directly with your audience. Um, well, there's one question before we yeah, for sure. before we publish anything on the show or put anything on the show is, is, is this true? And if the answer is yes, then we go with it. And that's the beauty of it. You know, it's not a case of, is this true? Yeah, it is, but this is going to cause some issues down the road with X, Y, and Z, you know, um, for instance, the, the subscriber model is is perfect because we're answerable to answerable to no one at all apart from the subscribers. Um, and so, you know, if you have sponsorship or you have you rely on advertising, you know, you're, you're you, for instance a show like right now where you get a lot of whistleblowers that are telling you you know what's going on in certain aspects, particularly in, in the medical industry, but in in arms and 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 in technology and everything, social media. Um, you know, you, you could have a very real possibility that a whistleblower comes on the show and wants to expose your biggest sponsor, in which case you're in a difficult scenario because you're like, obviously I want to expose them because they've done bad stuff, but then the channel dies. If the channel dies, then you can't expose anyone else. And so you kind of would have that conversation with, you know, what we're going to do. Um, whereas we will never have that because we, we simply don't have advertising. It's purely subscriber-based. We know every month how many subscribers we've got, which means how much money is coming into the uh, into the channel, which then means what what can we make? Can we commission documentaries this month? Can we do this? Can we do that? Um, because obviously there's no shareholders or anything like that. And so um, it gives you a great freedom, mate. Like I, when I put guests up for right now, I, I don't think about anything. I literally, I don't think, you know, like a lot of, like say YouTube channels would have to they'd worry like say like for my dad, for instance, you have my dad on your show, that show will get deleted and you'll get struck. Full stop. Like when I get people now will ask me, say, "Oh, you need to get um, your dad on my podcast," and I'm like, well, "Where where'd you host the podcast?" It's like YouTube. I was like, "But you host it somewhere else as well." No, YouTube. Like, mate, mate. Honest. Well, I, I can ask, but and there's a couple of times it's happened, and they've emailed me going, "Oh, the thing's been deleted after two hours." I'm like, two hours, mate. You did it right. <laughs> you did it right. Two hours. They're getting slow, mate. Um, and so you know they would have to worry about who they're having on their show. Whereas I don't, I, I will literally interview anyone and they can say what they like as long as it's true or, or, as, or as long as they can provide evidence that it's true. Well, and the ability to have that freedom to say, I can give you a platform so you can speak truth to power was never more essential than during the pandemic where you had all these doctors and medical people trying to speak out YouTube, Facebook, like it was all lockstep in censorship. Right. And it happened back in the day with your dad and Alex Jones. And they're like, oh, they're talking about crazy stuff. We can censor them. But then it trickles down to like they're censoring people on the left now. They're censoring whatever they find inconvenient because they're trying to maintain a narrative that is fictional 
And that always needs artificial buoyancy that needs censorship. And the censorship comes in like uh, carpet bombing before they send in the infantry of propaganda. Because if they if they have dissenting voices, people will push back against the propaganda. But if they can silence people like your dad and silence people like the doctors you've had on your platform, then people are basically under control, whether they assume or they follow authority or they just don't have access to the information. They're under control. And so it's a liberating experience, not only, I'm sure, as an entrepreneur, but for your audience, because this refreshing, invigorating you know, inventive content is coming together because you have to create a place artificially for these doctors to speak. Now, the other places and platforms, they were persona non grata, right? So it was like a perfect storm of there's this tragedy and we can leave it like that and let everything be censored. Or you can create something on your own, bring the hope into the situation, get people involved and give them not telling them what to think, but here's a couple things. If you're going to learn how to think, you might want to consider this raw data and cognize it and process it yourself, and make your own decisions. Right. So really I see what you guys are doing as giving people freedom back. And, you know, an example of the, the, the case you cited was, you know, you don't want to have sponsors tell you what you can and can't publish. Well, that happens here in America for sure. And the evidence is that it was an NBC did that whole Epstein interview, the expose, and then Buckingham Palace called them and said, you can't run that story. And they sat on it. And then once the Epstein thing popped, that reporter was caught on tape saying we had that years ago, but we weren't allowed to run it. There was that whole expose. So that definitely that situation that you're trying to avoid is, is the status quo here. They will get you like that. And if they can't, then they just censor or delete, but you guys found the independence motive. We can put technology together and connect it to the web, make an offer that's hard to refuse, right? You guys do the seven day free trial and then it just gives people a sample. It's like seven day free trial, on Netflix, same thing, right? Yeah. Only you're the freedom equal and opposite to the, like the Netflixy type stuff out there. It's substantial, meaningful, uh, thoughtful content. Yeah. And there's something for everyone. And it's something that I've found like over the last couple of years, you know, going to protests down in London. And, and that was incredible, by the way, mate, the, the speed in which that grew because people started to realize very quickly that they were being lied to and they couldn't really figure it out. And a lot of people didn't really want to cross the Rubicon to actually, this is being done intentionally. You know, a lot of people clung to this kind of politicians are, are kind of incompetent. And then they would look around at all these other politicians. And then, you know, you start pointing stuff out to people about the world economic forum and how they're all young global leaders and hang on a minute, this, you know, and so these protests swelled. I mean, there's one in London, it was about 600 people, uh, which weren't bad. And then I think it was the following month, it was about 45,000. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're, we're on it now. And it went up to the best part of a million in the end. And um, it pushed back on a lot of what the UK government was trying to do. It, it made a difference, absolutely made a difference. Um, and but- if I might just add, it inspired us around the world. Because when I saw that trying to pop off over there, I'm like, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. But then when they had like the one with like 50,000 people, and I see your dad out there talking, I'm like, oh, it's going on. People are getting it. And they can finally hear someone like him clearly, yeah. right? It's not like a, a hypothetical entertaining thing. That's no longer touching you. It had touched everybody at that point. And some people were smart enough to be like, I want to know more. Well, that's the point. Like what you were saying, you know, how people are, are, are COVID was a, a kind of a, a trigger for people to wake up. And I think it's because it touched everyone in one way or another, 
you know, it affected them, even if it was, you know, the government not allowing them to see a dying relative. I mean, it doesn't matter what your political persuasion is. If the state tells you you can't see your relative to say goodbye, you're going to have an issue with that. Um, and so it was affecting everyone. You're sticking masks on kids. You know, it, it shouldn't, again, matter what your political persuasion is. Like, that's just freaking wrong, man. And so people started to to ask a lot of questions. And, um, and the answers that they were being given by the state were just factually inaccurate they were just nonsense and they didn't tie in with people's life experiences so um i mean i don't have a tv license and i don't watch mainstream media i don't watch telly um because of better things to do but i couldn't understand how people a certain amount of people at first at least just weren't getting it they, they weren't getting it it was extraordinary people were staying locked down in their houses and i was making the point if i was going out more times a day i was you know i was making a point like I would nip to the shop to get something and then I'd come back and I'd nip to the shop to get some else. And Gemma was going, you, you do realise you can just get more than one thing? I'm like, nah, because they've told me I'm staying in, which means I'm going out. Like, I'll go out as many times as I want. Um, and, you know, the local play park, they put all, um, you know, uh, tape all around the railings of the play park so the kids, could, kids couldn't get in. No chance, mate. Just ripped it all off. Daughter on a swing. I'm not having it. And, and then more people started seeing that and, 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 and doing the same and, and going, well, hang on a minute, actually... It doesn't really add up, actually, because what I'm being told and what I'm seeing aren't the same thing. There's not dead bodies everywhere like there were in China and India. Only two places people drop dead, apparently, from COVID. Um, but I had to get my car MOT'd. So I don't know how it is over there, but every year you basically have to take your car in and they just make sure it's not going to kill anyone, um, like a wheel's going to fall off or whatever. And so I was sat in the waiting room and they had BBC News 24 on. And I was only sat there for about 10 minutes um, while the guy went and sort of, you know, filled out all the paperwork and brought it back. And I left, mate, going, no wonder everyone's mental. Honestly, after 10 minutes of the BBC, no wonder everyone's crazy. Like, you would think you were, you were in a war zone of, of death, you know. Um, and a lot of people just stayed in their house. And they, they literally just watched the BBC. And they thought out there was carnage, you know. And they didn't realise, actually, if they were out there, they'd just see me run into the shops for the 20th time that day. Um, and then what happened in the summer, they lifted some of the restrictions and people started coming out and going for a drink and whatever. And then you'd have a conversation. You know, how's it been for you the last three months? People go, oh, yeah. And then, do you know anyone that's died? No, why do you? No. It's weird, isn't it? And I found that was a tagline, mate. I was using that all the time because I don't like to preach at people because if someone preaches at me, it winds me up. So I thought, I don't want to do that. But I just find that. I just go, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? That you're telling telling me the people are dying everywhere and you know they're not. It's weird, isn't it? And then just see the cogs going in people's heads of, well, that is weird, isn't it? Why would they do that? Yeah, why would they do that? Anyway, I'll see you later. And, and you can just, you know, and I did that with a guy that, that runs a burrito stall down the road in Derby. And, and then I would, uh, would come and, and, like, you know, a week later or whatever, buy another burrito because burritos are amazing. And he, but then he started telling me things. He was like, yeah, mate, I've just heard this from a relative that said X, Y, and Z. Apparently they're, they're, um, they're killing old people in the nursing homes, giving them these drugs and that. And I was going, yeah, why would they be doing that? It's weird, isn't it? And it, and it went on and it went on and went on. And then more people started getting switched on to the fact they're being lied to. And, and then in the end, like, there's no way they can bring back restrictions here, mate, in England. No chance. It will not fly. It will not fly at all. And it's amazing. I've never been so proud to be an Englishman um, than, than I have been over the last two years. Yeah, I was, I was proud to see the protests that you guys were having. I, I was proud of the Canadian protest, the Australian. I was really surprised to see them protesting because I saw some footage from their protest and I was like, oh, is this London? Where, where is it? Oh, it's Australia. So 
the lackluster response of Americans who are still armed uh, during this whole thing, it was left to the rest of the world to kind of have these big protests. I mean, they tried to do like a truckers thing here, but it got squashed pretty, pretty good after, after the world economic forum dealt with the Canadian truckers, the Americans are like, Oh, we'll just do that type of thing. And they, they kind of got all scattered, but um, they're not done with this. They're going to bring back pandemic two, three, you know, they've told us Bill Gates has his germ team ready, you know, and, Peter Dazak and EcoHealth, they still got a lot of projects going with DARPA that are still ongoing out to 2024, 2025. So uh, they've got no shortage of, of surprises up their sleeve. Um, but I was really pleased to see how you guys dealt with that because a lot of people could be like, oh, this is, this is the end. We should just fall in line and I can't get food without a vaccine. This is crazy. And instead, you guys are like, we're going to start a business. We're going to start providing solutions. We're going to start getting more people in front of more people so that we can have this exchange of ideas. Because if we don't do that, that's exactly how they control us. They close down the pubs, the churches, any place where people might get together and, and be like, put two and two together. You know, they got two, they got two, but they don't know what the other party has. When they discover it's four and not five, they're going to go probably do the opposite of what they've been doing. Exactly. If they've been obedient and capitulating, they might now start to silently or verbally loudly resist. And that resistance is what they're fighting in the first place. So good for you guys. You know, it's a, it's a family affair. And I don't know of anyone else that's gone second generation, you know, like your dad has his substantial legacy of work. And then the second generation, what are you guys going to do? Right? Like what are Alex Jones's kids going to do? Are they going to continue Infowars in the future? You guys stepped up. I'm proud of you because like a Anthony Sutton's kids or Quigley's kids, or, you know, there's all these other truth tellers, researchers, um, whistleblowers who have come before you guys, but I don't know anyone that's rolled it second generation, you know, and you got a legit setup. Your production qualities kick ass. You have uh, great content. You guys are growing in the light direction and you got no reason to be corrupted because you put it in the architecture of the building, not to have external people telling you what's up or approving what you can say or can't say. You'll just leave that to the platforms. And if they censor you, you put it over here now. Or you yeah, take yeah. it to IPFS and now it's there forever, you know, and you guys are really exploring all the good options that I need to see as a white pill person to continue to be optimistic and focus on solutions and not get all tangled in the problems, man. What that's, are some of the biggest challenges? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, that's the thing. The, 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 the solution is simple. Um, it's been simple from the beginning. If in March 2020, they said, we're going to lock you down and you went, no, you're not. And then you carried on chatting to your mate. It was done. It was done immediately. That was it. It was over. And, and, and that was evidenced um, last Christmas. In the lead up to last Christmas here in the UK, they were talking about bringing back restrictions. We're going to bring back restrictions. We might have to. Infections are rising. And was looking around like, what are you on about? And so what the government started doing is they were polling, like incessantly polling, trying to find out what the public opinion was. And the public opinion was sod off. We're not going to lock down. So if you lock us down, that's fine. That's your prerogative. But I'm not locking down. I'm going to go to my mum's house for Christmas dinner and I'm going to do and, and that. So they lost. So with that, the government came out and said, oh, we're not going to lock down this Christmas. And it's like, but you're only saying that because if you did lock down and everyone ignored it, which they would, the game's done because it's shown the dynamic, which is that the people have the power. You have the perception of power. You know, people, you only have power if they perceive you to have power. You actually don't. As, long, as soon as they say bugger off, it's over. Um, and so they let us have Christmas. 
And and I made that point to a few people at the time that you know this is this is this is a watershed moment. This is this is huge. And all it's doing is it's proving the fact that if you can stand up and say no, they can't do anything. It's over because there's too many of us. But what you needed is you needed some courage. You needed some empowerment. You you needed to be a little bit fearless, I guess, in in some ways. Um, and you also needed to to feel like you were part of something, part of a tribe that you weren't on your own. You know, I'll go over the top, but I need to know that you guys are coming over the top with me. If I'm on my own, I'm I'm, I'm getting done by by the fire. So um, that's part of what the channel and the show and all the stuff that we're trying to do is all about. That actually, the answers are really simple, and they're within all of us. We just say no, but but you need to feel empowered enough and have enough confidence and enough belief in the people around you and your tribe to say no. Um, and, and, you know, it was evidence massively at the, at the protest when they got bigger and they got bigger and they got bigger, people started rising, you know, and you'd often have people that would just be kind of trundling along the side of the protest, you know, towards the edge thinking that actually if this, you know, there's some police, if this kicks off, I'm down a side street and I'm gone, you know, all of a sudden those same people all of a sudden prime place at the front of the march, the loudest ones there, like, no, this is, um, you know, um, and that's also part of, of what the channel is about is, is about people realizing that they're not on their own, that, that there are millions of us um, that, are, that are in this position. Um, you know, here in the UK, there's a, the BBC are doing this documentary called Unvaccinated, right, which is just another hit piece. It's another load of nonsense. And they're saying, you know, why are 8% of the population unvaccinated? Mate, it's about 40%. What are you talking about? 8%. They want you to feel like you're in a tiny minority because they know that most people kind of want to be part of the herd a bit. I want to belong. Um, and so that's again what the channel's about and what the protests were about, I think, was about bringing people together and going, no, hell, there's millions of us, man. Like I'm not, I'm not having it, you know. And as soon as you you feel the strength within you to say I'm not having it, then the game's up. Yeah, and I think it's a game of psychological warfare, and they try to psych you out. Oh, eight percent of people aren't vaccinated, which in your head says, Oh, so all the stores, all the airlines, they're gonna mandate that. So I might as well do that, otherwise, I'm gonna lose access to society. And they get people to buy into the fear, right? And I remember this really smart guy years and years ago talking this. He talked probably for six hours about just the concept of fear or love. And it's a fundamental choice in this universe. And the people who want to fear, they're going to be the people we were just talking about. And the people who want to love and learn and be interested and curious and not assume that they know everything or that the authorities tell them the truth, they're actually going to get to live, Right. So these people on the other side, it's not like they fear death. They actually fear living because living comes with risk and entrepreneurship is one who takes risk. And the calculated risk we take is that problems would be better off if we had a solution that goes with it. And at least you have choice, you know, you keep the problem or maybe you solve it, you know, and and then people have the ability to choose and that brings freedom and it's not going to be perfect. There's always going to be some violence and scuffles because Free people do those sort of things, but the totalitarian world peace they want to bring about means nobody on the planet will have a chance to resist. They won't have choice. They won't have freedom. And what we're talking about is not just something that's going to be like, it happens in our lifetime and it goes away. These people are, they're playing long-term transhumanism, take over the whole human species and alter the DNA forever. Right? So that's why I say on our side, we got to get multi-generational too. Like I was born into this problem. I didn't find out about it for the first 30 years, but then shit blew up in my face. And I was like, whoa, something's going on here. I better do some reading. Now, at least the next generations, our kids 
can have like, okay, there's a group of people. They're not so great, but it's a small group of people. It's a finite planet. Most people here are good. And if we just empower them with the tools to be self-reliant and successful, we can push back really hard. But when we're all scarcity minded, learned helplessness, oh, woe is me, victim mentality, they have total control and they're going to run rampant and ride roughshod over us. But we can take that power back the same way they removed it from our our awareness, we can reintroduce it through education to people's awareness. And that's where I think like your dad's legacy of books and talks and documentaries over the years uh, isn't lost on you. You appreciate what your old man's all about. You know what I'm saying? And I think that you guys have a, you're a, it's a lucky family situation where you got two brothers and a dad and you guys are all on the same page, so to speak, geopolitically, foreign policy, right? Like if we had to talk about Palestine and open air concentration camps and the irony of World War II and why Israel was like, there's an interesting conversation there, but none of us would like get angry at each other and yell because we're all open to like stuff we don't know. And, and we have a a thirst for knowledge and a curiosity and that curiosity has bubbled up or, or trickled down to you, man. So when did you start like getting into it other than periphery of your dad's work when did you say i'm gonna pick up a book and read it and try to learn something that maybe my dad doesn't know um i've, I've always been open to to stuff I've, we've always been raised to question everything um but my real red pill i think was was i used to play beach soccer um many years ago um and i played for england for five years and, and one of the tournaments we traveled to was in israel and so we spent about 10 days i think it was in israel um, and they could kind of, you know, I didn't know that much about it. I knew that, you know, essentially, whenever you heard about Israel, Palestine, it was never good news um, in terms of on the on the on the television. Um, but I didn't know that that much about it. You know, I know, my, my, you know, my dad used to get annoyed at the telly when they would, would be saying certain things. But, you know, you only ever pick up a bit of it. And then um, we went there and it became pretty obvious straight away that their establishment was basically going to try and use this English team as, you know, to almost kind of whitewash stuff. So we were, you know, we were given these guides around Jerusalem and they told us, you know, everything that we were supposed to hear and, you know, the party line. And what I was hearing, what I was seeing didn't add up and didn't tie up. And it, it didn't for most of the lads who, who weren't political in the slightest. Um, it didn't add up to them either. And so when I, when I got back from Israel, that was when I kind of was like, what I'm being told on my television screen by the BBC and what I'm seeing with my own eyes is not the same thing. Um, and so I looked into that a lot and, and didn't really like what I saw and ended up doing quite a lot of charity work with, with Palestinian charities and stuff. Um, and then, I, I, you know, off the back of that, ended up, you know, getting some crazy accusations of anti-Semitism because I was raising money for these Palestinian charities and I was funding terrorism, apparently, when actually I was buying school bags and food for kids, but there you go. Um, which led to some guy trying to get me sacked from my job. I was working as a personal trainer on, on the side, uh, working for Virgin Active, and they went to the head of Virgin Active to try and get me sacked. Um, it ended up with the police getting involved because they uh, recommended me getting a restraining order against this guy. It was just absolutely crazy. And I was wow. just like, this is freaking mad. Because um, in my mind, I'm thinking, if I'm going to attack someone, there's two places I wouldn't turn up to attack them. One's probably a building site, like with big like construction workers, and the other is a gym, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Full of guys big guys that are lifting weights. Um, but, you know, this guy was threatening to turn up and, and attack me and all this sort of stuff. I ended up having to get the police involved and they went down and arrested him. And it was all just crazy. And um, and so that made me look into other stuff because it's like, right, okay, if that 
is nonsense. If that whole thing is nonsense and I've been lied to to such a level and because I've tried to do something nice for kids, I'm getting attacked and labeled X, Y, and Z. Well, then what else? Do you know what I mean? What else am yeah. I being lied to about? What, what else can I not talk about? Oh, climate change, can't talk about that. Oh, trans- transgenderism, can't talk about that. All right, okay, fine. Um, the vaccines, even before COVID, couldn't talk about vaccines. And so they were just things then I'm like, okay, well, they're the things I'm going to look into then. Um, and that's what I did. And so when COVID came along, I mean, it was like a perfect storm of nonsense. Like um, as soon as as soon as soon it happened, my attitude was, well, I'm being lied to because I know what I'm being lied to. Um, I've now got to work out to what end, um, which became, became you know quite apparent pretty quickly, um, you know, what the end goal was for it. Um, and it always comes down to control. And on a certain level, it will be money. People, you know, he's making X amount out of his vaccines, old Kermit the Frog Arms, um, Bill Gates. But yeah, he is. But I don't think he cares about money. I think he's got enough of that. You know, I don't think he's going to run out. Um, it's deeper than that and it's darker than that. And um, that kind of way of thinking was left field before. And now I think most people at least entertain the idea that there's a dark force going on. I think they will at least entertain the idea. Maybe it might take a couple of glasses of wine, but they will entertain the idea of it, which they wouldn't have done before, um, which is why I think, because I believe everything happens for a reason, always have. And, and I believe also that they have to tell us, which is why they tell us. I mean, I don't think they want to tell us what they're doing. Um, but I think looking back, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we'll look back on the last two years as incredible in the sense that it's what brought about the downfall. You know? Well, I- yeah, it's been like a, a 9-11 type of event in the in the fact that bef- there's a before 9-11 world and there's a post 9-11 world. In the post 9-11 world, we have the Patriot Act. We lost a whole lot of rights. We went into this war on terror, all this stuff, right? Same thing with COVID. There's a pre-pandemic world and now there's a post-pandemic world. And it kind of looks, this. It's, it resembles the old world, but there's so many permanent changes. And then they have like the commons pass and all these other, you know, Nonprofit foundations driven track trace database, all living things, including people, especially people, uh, type of agenda, right? So while we get into like it's Ukraine now on the radar or something else, they're still control, like continuing with that agenda behind the scenes. And then it'll percolate up prior around election season in this country, you know? And um, I think that's the other thing to observe. This is not like a a one-time thing that they're just doing this one thing and they're going away. They've been building up to it for like a hundred years. Right. And when they do uh, in this country, Iran Contra or the BCCI scandal, right. All the same players that grew power through those scandals are the same ones that can help flip switches for world lockdown, 208 countries in lockstep doing it like this. I knew it was real in this country when I saw the casinos and the sports teams shut down without question. I was like, oh, the, 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 the fix is in. Like they must have had some meetings six months ago saying when this happens, you guys all do this because it, it happened so quickly. You know, yeah. and what's the top down power to do that unless they're like, oh, we got ahead. We got to advance notice on this gig and they've been preparing. So when it was time for them to shut down like their access to the public, it was no big deal. No, no, it was the same here. The, the, the advertising that was that took over every single newspaper and every single um, you know um, uh, website um, and a mainstream website and and um, and radio station was all adverts. Now, you know, I've got friends that work in advertising. An advertising campaign of that size and that magnitude 
you're agreeing that it takes months to negotiate that and, and to put that in place, to book the slots and to, and, and to, and to have that all in place. Um, and friends of mine that work in, in advertising, they were saying there's no way that those, um, those massive campaigns that launched in March 2020 weren't agreed in January. And, and they were saying that's being optimistic. You know, that, that's, that's playing devil's advocate a bit and saying maybe the government had a bit of extra sway. Um, they, they, they knew what they were doing. Um, and, and so they were, you know, kind of getting these media companies on board early because they were funding them to the tunes of hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, so all of a sudden you had newspapers like The Guardian, which is normally begging for donations left, right and centre, all of a sudden was getting hundreds of millions in from the government. Well, of course they're going to tell you, you know, to stay two metres apart and get your jab and all this other nonsense that the government was peddling because it's what's funding it, you know. Um, it's it's what's, what's paying for their entire existence. And, you know, it's interesting you say Ukraine because I look at Ukraine situation, you look at climate change and you look at, COVID. They're, like, they're the three big things at the minute. And you go, well, but what do the three of them do? They take food off your plate, they destroy the economy, and, and they leave people worse off than they were before, all three of them. It's, it's, it's basically a way of the government going, right, we want to take all of your stuff, please, and we want you to do exactly as you're told. Thank you very much. And if they, if they did that, you'd go, no, obviously not. What do you mean? Oh, no, there's a virus. Oh, okay, yeah, have all my stuff, have all my freedoms and stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, there's food scarcity. Well, this is bad. Like, I pay this money, I pay my taxes. What do you mean there's no, oh, there's a war. Oh, it's Russia's fault. Oh, okay, then fine. We get your way. Um, okay, well, you, what do you mean you're, you're, you're paying farmers not to produce food? That's insane. Yeah, but because of the nitrogen that they release, it's going to destroy the planet and there won't be a plan. Oh, okay, yeah, take, take that. You're like a Ricky Gervais act right now, dude. This but that's is, what it is, but it's yeah, true. I know, I know. It's yeah, I know. It's that's it. why it's funny and ironic and sad all at the same time, man. I don't yeah. know whether to laugh, cry, or wind my watch. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, that's the thing. You know, it's like kind of I, if I turn on the news, it's I know it's gonna tell me that my roof is caving in. Yeah, but there's gonna be three stories, and each one's gonna say your roof's caving in, but then there's gonna be a different reason why your roof's caving in. Yeah. Switch off. Yeah, well, I think uh, part of the reason that you were so buoyant and uh swimming towards shore this whole time was you don't you're not paying that tv license you're not infecting yourself with the real virus the media is the virus right people yeah. letting things into their mind that are not true is really the virus whether they do that through assumption or ignorance or they trusted somebody who gave them bad information and they didn't trust but verify right that's really what's driving a lot of the behavior and the praxeology of it and then like the biological aspect of it yeah they make bioweapons this crazy stuff. And it was going on in Ukraine too. I was incredulous about that. I was like, no way, but yeah. So, uh, between Soros messing with Ukraine for the past 20 years or, you know, any of this stuff, it's like, we're not being told anywhere near the truth. And these agendas are exactly what you just said. You just gave a checklist of how to green light a government project. If it takes food off people's tables, if it brings fear to the family, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how they, they get these things off the ground. It has to check all those boxes to get the green light. And it's very effective for the people who don't think for themselves. Absolutely. And that's a big group of people. But we don't need to get all the people to think for themselves. We just need a larger group of the, you know, that small minority and get it from 3% to 5% to 8% of people saying, whoa, whoa, pushing back. And then the rest of that herd will be saying, that guy's got a good point. I didn't consider that. You didn't show me that on the TV. Why not? Why don't we have informed consent? If this is all science, where's, you know, what's going on? Yeah, it steamrolls. It does. And you, you made a really good point earlier when you were talking about the fact that, you know, to kind of launch something, 
um, it's, you take a risk. You know, there's a risk involved and there's a bit of self-responsibility. Um, and I think that is a lot of the reason why people have gone along with stuff, you know, because it, it, it puts the responsibility. If I believe the state and I just go along with what I'm told, it puts the responsibility back on the state. So, for instance, take vaccines as an example. If I say, Do you know, what? I'm, I'm not taking the vaccine. I've not had the vaccine. I've never had one in my life. So I'm certainly not starting the COVID one. Okay, I'm not having the vaccine. Now I roll forward four months, right? COVID's real, it's deadly, it's really bad. I made a mistake. I'm lying there in my hospital bed, I've got a ventilator on, I'm screwed. But I'd have been saved if I'd had the vaccine, right? That's on me. That's on me. I've got, I can only blame myself for that because I made that decision. I was told by all these bobbleheads on telly to take it and I didn't. So I'm going to take that responsibility. But if I take it and it makes me ill and I lie there on the hospital bed and I've got this ventilator on and I'm struggling because of the vaccine, that's not my fault. That's Anthony Fauci's fault. And that, or that's Matt Hancock's fault. Or that's Boris Johnson's fault. Or that's Bill Gates' fault. Or, or, you know, Pfizer's fault. I can put the responsibility on them rather than on myself. And I think that's a big problem that, that we have in society is people don't want to take responsibility for themselves. They want someone to rule them harder, someone that they can blame at a later date when it all goes wrong. And actually, it's still your fault, mate, because you had a choice. And the only difference is, because that's a brilliant point, so I want to bring it together for the audience. The difference is that when you put the responsibility on Tony Fauci or Bill Gates, you also give them the power to be the only solution provider, and they're not going to solve your problem. So when you put the blame on someone other than yourself, you also take away your ability to solve that problem. Only when you take self-responsibility can you then get solutions to the problem, right? So it's a balancing act of ego, we need ego to get up and take those risks and see that thing that could be, but if we do some hard work, we can make it actually be, we need ego to do that. But we also need ego to be our amigo. And if ego is there preventing us from making connections or uh, getting in our way of getting things done, right? So we got to put it in check. It shouldn't be driving, but maybe it's in the back seat. It's not our navigator, but maybe it chimes in now and then and says, you're not done yet. You can get up and keep going. No one, you know, these sort of motivational things, right? So there's like a positive element, there's negative element. We are not taught things, these things in Western society whatsoever. Knowledge of self traditionally has been something so useful to controlling people that they only have people in secret societies go through. So you're getting somebody's brand or flavoring of the knowledge of self experience, right? But in the 21st century, a lot more people are getting in touch with uh, their creator, uh, the, their higher self, however you want to say it, they're having a communication union without an inter intermediary, without placebos. They're actually, uh, you know, uh, having psych uh, psychedelic experiences that help them get to know their ego, blow away their ego, come back from that, be like, "Whoa, I'm still here." Have that whole what I call adulting experience, like the rites of passage to become an adult were removed. So now they just have people in extended adolescence. So in their 60s, they're still acting like they're in high school. That's yeah. how they control most of the society. So congratulations for not being born into that mold and having to break out. You had, you had a little head start on most people, but you're paying it back, man. You're paying it back and not just saying, I got this, I got some perspective. I'm going to use it and go off by myself. You're coming back saying, I got perspective and knowledge only becomes wisdom when you share it. And you yeah. guys have like a wisdom sharing conduit that you're stuffing out there right now at a time when all the other types of media are drying up. You're like, we got a well with plenty and it's overflowing. Come get some. Yeah. There's, there's so much knowledge out there that, that is either censored or ignored. 
um, that, that would change people's lives. And, and, and I think, you know, because of COVID, I think COVID has kind of backfired on them a bit because, okay, you destroy people's livelihoods and all that sort of stuff, but you also lock them up in their houses. Now, a lot of people just then, you know, just went through the bottle of vodka. But a lot of others went, well, actually, I've got a bit of extra time that I didn't have now. I'm going to do some reading or I'm going to do some researching. I'm going to start watching some documentaries that I never had time to watch before because I'm always working. Um, and so actually a lot more people became empowered and kind of asked a few more questions um, and went down rabbit holes. I mean, I know loads of people that went down YouTube rabbit holes, you know, what's left of those videos on YouTube, at least um, during those lockdown periods that would never have done that before because they'd have never had time to do it. So in, in, the, in a sense, I think they've kind of almost built an army that will bring them down because the other thing is as well, the more they destroy people, I think as long as, they, as, long as people are okay, like, unfortunately, there is that almost inherent selfishness within people. That if I'm all right, Jack, I'm okay. It's fine. Because all I really want is make sure my kids are okay, my wife's okay, we're all sorted. So most people, when they're in a situation of being okay, okay, I feel bad for you guys, but my hot tub's about to overflow. So I'm kind of, you know, we're all right. Whereas the more people you destroy, the more people you destroy, you create people that have nothing left to lose because, well, I've lost it. I've lost everything. So what am I going to do? Am I going to go and cry about it? Or what's that going to get me? Well, I'm going to fight back. And so I feel very much now that, you know, <clears throat> they've inadvertently created an army of people that have got nothing left to lose. And that's the last person you want to fight. You know, I'm not into boxing, but if I had to go in the ring with someone, I, that's the last person I'd want to fight would be someone that's got nothing left to lose. That would, because he would just keep getting back up. Yeah. That's a real lesson in life too. Right. Cause we're, we're softer than the person with nothing left to lose. And we should also know that, right? The people we're up against, they're not people with nothing less to left to lose, but the people on our side are among, we're among those people now, right? And I agree with you. They tried to condense their agenda and do it ahead of time to like slam the door on this whole thing. So they like took 2030 and they pushed it 10 years ahead and they tried to force it on people. And some people took it and other people were like, no, thanks. And now the people that they've, so they made some progress. They made a lot of progress. They got a whole bunch of check marks on their agenda moving forward with globalism. However, the people that you woke up that weren't going to wake up very easily, they're awake now for the rest of their life. You're going to have to starve them to death or something because they're not going to forget easily what you just did in the open and bragging about it. World Government Summit, World Economic Forum, Davos, they're just, we're doing this. They called, pan, they called the pandemic a product of theirs. There's a clip from the World Government Summit or the World Economic Forum, Davos, I forget, because they both got blue backgrounds. And she's like, yeah, we, you know, it was the most successful product of the year is the, the, the pandemic and all that comes with it, all that wealth redistribution that came with that pandemic. So they're openly saying the quiet part out loud, saying we are actively shaping your world, not just planning to do it in the future like they used to do. And then we roll into that plan. They're just doing it now, real time. They're like, you know, you've all know a Harari's like, we're under your skin. We're going to track trace database your whole life and forget about freedom. Forget about humanity. Right. They, they're playing God. And they can only do that if they assume that God doesn't exist in the first place. And then I'd go back to your, your statement of where you say, you think there's meaning in things. And my argument would be, if there's meaning, if there's science and we can dig down and find answers, then consciousness put that stuff there in the first place and we should wake up. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I'm, yeah, no, go ahead. I, I think that there is, 
there are forces at work for, for good and for evil in this. Now, you know, people then get bogged down in, in you know, kind of an organized religion way of looking at, oh, does that mean you're a this or you're a that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not involved with any organized religion, but I think there's a, a force at work for, for good as well as a force at work for evil. Now, you can put a label on, on that as much as you want. You can call it God, you can call it Allah, you can call it Jeff. I ain't bothered. But there's something there um, for sure. And, and, you know, I kind of think about that at times when it gets hard because, you know, even people like me and you that are fighting against this, I'm sure, you know, I know I've woken up in the morning over the last two years. Like, fuck, you know, I'm not, I'm struggling today with this, man. I'm struggling today. But then deep breath, you feel it, you, there's something, you know, there's some support there from somewhere and then you can go again. And, um, and you know, I live by that for sure. Absolutely. Um, just not with a, you know, religious tag on it. Yeah, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And as long as we keep getting up one more time than we fell down, we're going to be fine. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, you win some, you learn some, for sure. All right, well, I know your time's valuable. I want to let you get back to, uh, you got family time coming up. So uh, how can people get in touch with the Iconic Media Network? What's the offer? How do they click the button and do the thing? So it's just iconic.com, um, which is I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com. Um, and the homepage there will just uh, prompt you to click for a seven-day free trial. Um, so you click in and then for seven days, enjoy the channel. Um, we've um, There's loads of weekly shows, uh, new shows, documentaries, films. Um, there's some comedy on there, plenty of podcasts as well, like visual podcasts. There's, there's some um, different series, things about nature of reality. There's there's walking series on there. There's, there's pretty much, you know, the, there's yoga series on there. There's cooking series on there. There's... There's something for everyone, really, um, I think. Um, you know, I, I, you'll you struggle to get through the channel in seven days, that's for sure, because there's thousands of hours of stuff. But but hopefully, you know, you, you, you'll be able to find something that, that you enjoy um, and, um, you know, kind of you know, empowers you and makes you, makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah, it's a habit of empowering yourself with meaningful, substantial, relevant information, you know, positioning it in your life, integrating it toward your goals and finding value from Iconic on a recurring basis, right? You're not going to get through everything in the seven-day trial, so go ahead and dip in and watch a little right now. Yeah. That's where you're the host, right? That, that's it, yeah. And we, we put the prices down now, so it's $7.99 a month. Like, we were kind of, um, we were nine ninety nine a month, uh, $9.99, it's easy for me to say, a month. Then we were looking, you know, you're looking at the way the world is at the minute, and, you know, everything's getting more expensive, and everyone's struggling, and, while everyone was putting their prices up to kind of come in line with inflation and stuff, we're looking at it like, well, people are struggling, so we'll go the other way. So it's, it's, it's cheaper now than it, than it was before. So hopefully that will, you know, again, you know, provide people with, with a bit more, you know, kind of value for money. Because I know people say, oh, yeah, but by putting the prices cheaper or putting it down, you're devaluing the product. And it's like, it sounds like management talk. And I'm, you know, it's not for me. Um, so, um, so hopefully it's, it's more accessible to more people now, which is, which is the idea, obviously. All right. Fantastic. We're going to post a link for iconic.com in the show notes and in the community and people get, get yourself over there, get that seven day trial and let him, you know, let, let the network speak for itself. You click a few buttons, you get value. You keep going. You click a few buttons. You don't get value. You stop. That's all. We're all adults here. Thank you, Gareth, for taking time out of your busy schedule. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Keep up the great work. And uh, yeah, fantastic production value. And that's how you hold people's attention. It's the production value plus the content. 
and the the magnetism of that knowledge, that's where you guys really have something special here. Thanks, Richard. It's really kind of you, mate. And this has been great to chat. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Boom, boom. There we go. Magic. The magic of the internet allows me to be back without, uh, without you know, drawing attention to the fact that I, that was another day. That was Thursday, I think it was. All right. So um, iconic.com, I-C-K-O-N-I-C.com, I think it is, right? Spelled like David Ike without the E, and there's Onic on there. Iconic.com. All right. So now we're going to head into uh, intermission, and we got two juicy selections. We got... Uh, the latest hit by the uh, the band known as Truth Stream Media, Aaron and Melissa Dykes and family. It's a family operation over there. Uh, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab and his coterie. They say that smartphones will be inside your body by 2030. It's part of that 2030 agenda that you heard about a couple hours ago and uh, pretty much throughout this evening's transmission. So we're going to do 15 minutes of that. So you're going to have to go see the other 15 minutes over on their YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe to Truth Stream Media. And then we're going to stop by uh jake tran he has a youtube channel as well he's a very popular youtube documentarian i enjoy many pieces of his work over the past couple of years he did a piece recently on uh, the dupont family the most evil business in the world but uh it's the the segment is called how dupont poisoned the world and i was curious i was like all right teach me something jake and he did i already knew something about the 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 chemical uh colonialism that uh was ongoing in his video but I learned a great deal more and I learned enough that I was like, ah, I bet people in the audience I mean, don't know job. this either. Yeah. Uh, Teflon's a real thing. It's been around. <clears throat> it's not the only thing DuPont did. DuPont, like you know, aforementioned, time. it crushed hemp in America. Let's just, you know, leave it there. That's just one thing. But they also poison. So they take away the solution, but they also poison. So we're going to check in 15 minutes of that. You also have to check out the other 15 minutes, last 15 minutes of that on Jake Tran's YouTube page. And then we'll be right back after uh, intermission to kind of intermingle the content because you've heard about like Monsanto, you're going to learn about DuPont. You're going to start to see some of this chemical colonialism uh, come together in the next few minutes. Uh, part of that colonization might be putting a phone inside your body. Did you ask for that? Well, they brought it to you without asking. How's that for service? Let's check it out. admit I have completely avoided this year's economic forum. You know, I'm not sure what happened. What's going on? Sorry, folks. I will admit I have completely out. avoided this year's World Economic Forum. To be clear. Are you guys hearing the, the audio? The future from the is not just happening. The Sorry, future is what? built by us. I think their I capacity to sit around on stages in blue rooms together and pretend that they have the self-awareness of a wet cardboard box at the growing masses distrust in them and any agenda that might be coming out of their mouths. I know. I got the thumbs up. It's just reaching card levels of too many clowns coming out of the clown car silly. Uh. And a very good afternoon to you. Warm welcome. At this point, nothing they're saying is really convincing people that aren't themselves. 
to, to get on board with anything they're saying. And while they may consider themselves elite and special and above us all, handing down dictates or whatever this is supposed to be here, I don't believe they're ignorant enough to not realize it. They know how to read, and I'm pretty sure they can figure out that people aren't super thrilled with them. There's some serious reverse psychology at play here. But I feel like I've kind of talked my opinion on this to death. But even in its zombified, waking, undead state, I just keep coming upon clips of these people in their blue rooms despite attempts to avoid them. It's like the algorithm's just messing with me at this point. Oh yeah, what about this? I wanted to ask when you all think we're going to move from this form factor to something that's on your face glasses and compu when computing's all on the edge. All right, 50 seconds, who wants to answer quickly? I think it will go, it, it will, first of all, it will definitely happen. I, I, I was talking about 6G earlier, which is around 20, 2030. I would say that by then, definitely the smartphone as we know it today will not anymore be, be the usual, kind of the most common interface. Wow. This, this, many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. So this is Pekka Lundmark, who became president and CEO of Nokia in 2020. And he recently appeared in one of WEF's blue rooms there where he told an audience member that he believes by the rollout of 6G, which they apparently plan to be doing around 2030, the smartphones people are walking around with in their hands right now will be obsolete, and these devices will instead be built directly into people's bodies. And before I make the actual point that I came on here to make, can I just say, I really wish that all of these people would stop acting like this is just the next logical step for this technology. What other technology is that the next logical step ever? It's not like they came out with a microwave oven and then the next logical step was put it directly in your mouth so it could cook the food while you eat it. Or, wow, bicycles are really great. You get places really fast. Next logical step, can I attach that to my ass? Just right to me all the time, all the time. I want the bicycle to be part of my ass so that I don't have to ever be separate from it. I want it to just be right up in there. <gasps> this is not the next logical step is put it in your body. It's, I feel like that's silly. The way that they talk about this, like we're all just supposed to know that and accept that and think that that's normal to do. It's, <laughs> if you really just step outside of it for a second as if you were, you know, an alien from outer space or something. In one of the comic books that passes as a history channel show these days. We became human. And you saw that, you would be thinking... <laughs> That's, that's a really bad move. Maybe you should take a step back and tone down the hubris a few thousand notches and maybe consider that that's, there's some ramifications there that you might not seem to get. Many of these things will be built directly into our, our, our bodies. That dude's face after he answers the question. Wow to that. Um, but look at this lady following it up real quick. And one of the um, important statements we've, I think, made at our most recent developers conference is that we believe that one of the big advantages of augmented reality is actually solving problems here on Earth. And it will be things like having glasses and being able to translate as you speak with glasses. And those are very Holo close. Holograms. Holograms will be. She's like, dude, 
You're not supposed to go straight to telling them they're putting in the brain. We got to put it on their face first. They have to wear it on their body and get used to that first. You're skipping a whole step here in the plan. What the hell? Holograms will be very, very high, high quality in the era of 6G. I've already seen 5G-based hologram uh, demonstrations. They already work. But then with the next generation technology, I mean, we could be having having this meeting so that in reality we would be sitting in different parts uh, of the world. And then he's just like, no, no, we're just going straight to holograms. It's going to be like Star Wars and you're going to put things in the brain. All right. Well, I've enjoyed seeing you for the last time I'll ever see you in person. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you next Davos. Thank you very much to our amazing <sighs> and, and I know everybody knows my opinion on this. I've made it pretty clear. And I, hey, if other people think this is super cool and they just cannot wait to do this, um, that's really everyone else's body, their choice. I really, I mean, I am your body, your choice. I actually do believe in that. If those people want to make that decision for themselves, I am not in any position to tell them not to. But I feel like I at least have to bring up a point about this because I don't think these transhumanists have really thought through, okay, what happens when they become obsolete? Because they're sitting around talking about how we're all going to become obsolete, the people like me who don't want to put a smartphone into my brain. But, you know, the reason I don't want to put a smartphone into my body is the same reason I don't want to do a lot of things giant corporations tell me to do. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. And to trust them with something that's to that level, I mean, we've already been told over and over about these phones, how they're tracking us, how they're tracing on us, how they're spying on us, how we're being manipulated by the algorithms and technology that these phones employ with increasing efficiency. But somehow at some level, we're supposed to just put all that to the side, just sweep that on over to the side there, step over that giant mountain of bullshit essentially, and then give up all autonomy altogether and say, no, I think this will go well. I think this will go well. You sit down at your computer, if you have Windows on your PC, and you know it doesn't go well. You know that you can't keep your old version of Windows. You have to just keep upgrading and upgrading. And then there's all the glitches and the blue screens of death. Hey, let's put that whole mess inside the body, right? Why? Why would anybody... I have a pretty strange imagination, I think probably most people would say, that I can go many, many places within the realms of my mind. One place I have a very hard time getting to is how are people actually going to put a 6G emitting smartphone in their brain and society is going to just continue to function with that. It's barely functioning now with people having these things in their hands. But that's not even really the... The bigger thing, I think, is that we're going to continue to pretend like non-ionizing radiation doesn't exist, or if it does, it's not anything we need to talk about, think about, learn about, be concerned with. We're going to continue to pretend like our entire body isn't run on electrical signals, though. That that doesn't make sense to me. So we're going to have a 6G device in, in, in the body or in the brain or what, whatever it is, and that's just that's just going to be fine because our entire body is not made up of atoms that have electrical fields and every single process in our bodies is not run on electrical signals. Is that, we're going to continue to pretend like that's not the case, even though it's basic knowledge that we have known for many, 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 many decades. I don't understand that. I don't, I cannot wrap my mind around that unless we're just going to pretend like that's not the case. And I don't know how everyone's going to be able to do that. 
I just can't see this actually working out. I don't think the body itself was meant for that. And I don't think our society is ready for anything even remotely close to that. All of the things, they're just too many. I could go on all day. But, but they just keep prodding us with this. And it's been going on for years now that they just keep talking about how they're going to implant mobile phones in our heads. You know, when the phone meets the body and how your phone's going to read your mind and when communications technology is going to be implanted in everybody. Many people now have smartphones and watches for things like communications, daily planning, or even monitoring their health. This quickly growing technology has also brought up the question of how long before we have smart devices implanted within our bodies. We're still quite a ways away from this being an off-the-shelf option for shoppers, but scientists have been exploring this topic for a myriad of different applications. And they just turn to mad, it sounds so cool. I just... <laughs> With no downsides. There's no downsides here. It's just going to be so awesome when that's happening. Even Elon Musk in his Neuralink presentation was making jokes about updates to brain implants. It's, it's basically Bluetooth to your phone. Because we'll have to watch the App Store updates for that one. <laughs> Make sure we don't have a driver issue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> updating and openly admitting to the people who came to watch the presentation that it would be very unethical to put ads in your brain there's no advertising I mean Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I mean you'd have really no escape I, we, we cannot do that that would be uh, ethical barrier well at least he thinks that or claims to but I don't do you really think all these other corporations think that I mean these are these are corporations who have fought for things like putting electric billboards in the sky <laughs> okay these are the same corporations that have plundered the earth of resources desecrated it turned many of our rivers into toxic wastelands i mean but it'll be fine when it's inside you don't worry you're gonna be covered right <sighs> well this is an article that came out earlier this year and this is what i mean by I don't even have to list all the reasons because they come out on their own. What happens to these transhumanists when they become obsolete? Because that'll be a pay-for-play system if one has ever been designed, ever. That one will be it. And it'll be a pretty serious one, too, since it's in your body. If you don't like it, what are you going to do? You would have to pay to get it removed if you haven't already damaged something that's not fixable once it's removed. Things like brain tissue, once you put something in the brain, you have altered that tissue. It is not, you can't change it back. It's not Play-Doh. The brain is not Play-Doh. I feel like I shouldn't have to say that to people, but it's not Play-Doh. It doesn't magically change back. It's not a transformer. I don't... <laughs> I just want to read this article to you. And I don't want to read the whole thing because it's actually extremely long, but I just, I think everyone should consider this because this is the future that they're selling us. This is the other side of it that they don't like to talk about when they're too busy talking about, ooh, the mobile phone in the future is going to be so cool when it's jammed in your brain and you can't take it out. Super. And talk about how extreme and awesome it's going to be and try to act like you're going to be Neo in the Matrix. When in reality, what's going to happen is probably going to be more close to something like these people here. So this came out of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. And it's an investigative journalist piece they did after users of a bionic retinal implant 
their implant became obsolete after the company that made it went bankrupt. Barbara Campbell was walking through New York City subway station during rush hour when her world abruptly went dark. For four years, Campbell had been using a high-tech implant in her left eye that gave her a crude kind of bionic vision, partially compensating for a genetic disease that had rendered her completely blind in her 30s. I remember exactly where I was. I was switching from the 6 train to the F train. I was about to go down the stairs, and all of a sudden I heard a little beep, beep, beep sound. It wasn't her phone battery running out. It was her Argus II retinal implant system powering down, and the patches of light and dark that she'd been able to see with the implant's help vanished. And this is something that she had to have surgically implanted into her retina. She's probably thinking, God, it wasn't her brain. But it's still a defunct system that's now in her retina and doesn't work. And she's in a place like a subway station where I think sight is probably pretty important or you could die. This bionic eye needs a retinal implant that requires a four-hour-long surgical procedure under general anesthesia where they implant the device, which contains an antenna that picks up signals from a video camera that's placed on the glasses that the patient wears. And it looks like this. It says it's like watching TV on a screen with 60 pixels, but it's enough information to allow people to move around without aid. Unless, like this woman, you're walking down into a subway station and all of a sudden you hear a beep, beep, beep noise and you can't see anymore because your implant just broke inside your body. And it's not just her. This is happening with other people that are having issues with these implants. This guy, Bylin, became kind of a spokesman, it says, because he ended up getting this implant in both of his eyes. So he had an Argus 1 in one eye and an Argus 2, which is the second, second version of the implant, 11 years later. And he kind of became a spokesman for this company. It says, yet in 2020, he had to find out secondhand that the company abandoned the technology It was on the verge of going bankrupt, so they didn't even tell the guy who had it in both of his eyes, who was basically like their default spokesperson. He didn't even get to know, right? And he says, as long as nothing goes wrong, I'm fine. But if something goes wrong with it, I'm screwed because there's no way of getting it fixed now. And this is another guy, Russ Dewar, second sight patient. It's a fantastic technology and a lousy company. And he just got it in his eye in 2019. So he got one put in there right before everything hit the fan. And it says he was thrilled to learn in 2020 that he was going to be able to get upgrades that might improve his vision further. He heard troubling rumors about the company. So he called his vision rehab therapist. She said, well, funny you should call. We all just got laid off. And by the way, you're not getting your upgrades. So that's, that's a really nice way to find that out, isn't it? And so there are over 350 people now who have this implanted into their eyeball in in this world and this company doesn't exist anymore it went out of business and they discontinued this implant and nearly went out of business in 2020 and it says a public offering in june 2021 raised 57.5 million dollars they were able to raise 57.5 million dollars but guess what in today's day and age that's like they can barely afford office furniture or whatever with the way people run some of these businesses. So they that 57.5 million was just not enough. And that's the that's the thing. You could get one of these things put into your body by a billion dollar company or a multi-billion dollar company. But does that mean you can rely on that company and they're just always going to be there and they're not going to have some corrupt person running it who screws everything up or some accounting person who doesn't know how to account? for the finances in, a, in the proper way or, or what for whatever reason, right? 
And the thing they talk about later in this whole long article about the history of this company, everything, these implants, the Argus II was a $150,000 implant. In fact, getting the whole thing where you get it put in, you got the surgery, the device, and the rehabilitation needed to use it properly is, is half a million dollars is how much this costs. And it says 80% of it is covered by insurance, but still. That person basically spent $100,000 for something now that if it doesn't break, they're lucky. If it does break, they're completely screwed. And that's being in a, in a horrible position where you're blind and you are being promised something approximating sight, which I can only imagine would be really tempting and very hard to turn down. It's not really the same as people just really like to talk on their phone a lot and they really like to check Facebook a lot. So let's just put that in the brain. That's a little different. But it happened to these people, you know, and this is awful. This is really awful. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be blind and being aided by something I had to go through a painful surgery to have put into my head and spend all this money on and be walking into a subway trusting that company and trusting that technology is going to work. And then if it doesn't, I might accidentally walk off the subway platform, get hit by a freaking train. That's crazy. And it even goes on to say that this guy, a senior fellow in vision science named Aries Arditi, was a principal investigator for the Argus II clinical trials. And he said he did a research study that included all the U.S. participants and showed, quote, weakness with the device's vision quality. And he says Second Sight wouldn't let him publish or present the results because that's, that's a lot of how science works on a corporate level these days. And the company says it disagreed with his analysis and so discouraged, discouraged him from publishing it. Which, by the way, is not science, just for the record. So you're DuPont in the late 1930s. You're a chemical company that's been around for more than 100 years. Any company that's existed for that amount of time should have made a name for itself ages ago. But even though you're doing well, you just haven't really popped off yet. That was until 1938, when a doctor accidentally discovers a material called Teflon that's so versatile, so useful, so unbelievable, that it changes the course of DuPont forever. You know Teflon, the stuff used in non-stick pans. Well, good thing it's Teflon. Made with a chemical called C8, Teflon revolutionized the cooking industry for people all over the world. They won't stick! That's why it's called non-stick! I don't know what non-stick means in Texas, sweetheart, but and Teflon and C8 went on to be used in a ton of other consumer goods. Popcorn bags, waterproof jackets, dental floss, food containers, makeup, pizza boxes, all had some form of C8 or C8 derivatives in them. The only problem was C8 and most of the chemicals like it are extremely toxic and are what's known as forever chemicals because they never break down. But what the public doesn't know, they'll keep buying. So we'll just keep this between us. Now that's cooking. So C8 became widely used in a bunch of products that come in contact with people's food. And making C8 takes a lot of work. A lot of work that produces a lot of chemical waste that we have to get rid of somewhere. So why not dump it in the waterways around our factories? I mean, come on, you're not going to pay for expensive, responsible chemical waste disposal when there's a perfectly good river right there next to your factory. So over the decades, C8 spread from the rivers into farms, into tap water, into the animals that we eat, and ultimately into us. To where today, 99.7% of Americans have C8 in their bloodstream, with C8 being linked to at least 6 diseases, including testicular cancer and kidney cancer. So how did an obscure chemical company get into the bloodstream of nearly every single American? 
And most importantly, how did they get away with it? Just asking for a friend. This is how DuPont poisoned the world. Good thing it's Teflon. Even burned food won't stick to Teflon, so it's always easy to clean. Cookware never needs scouring. If it has DuPont, Teflon. Chemical research come the thousands of products that contribute to better living. The DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living. DuPont started in 1802 in Delaware. It was the brainchild of a French-American chemist and industrialist named Dupont de Nemours. Okay, not bad. I can't get the uh sound, but close enough. And DuPont started out as a gunpowder mill and production company out of all things. You had a lot of business supplying the wars that broke out throughout the 19th century. By the time the American Civil War hit, DuPont was the biggest supplier of gunpowder to the US military. So DuPont started out as war profiteers, which if you've seen our war profiteer videos, you know that this can be a very lucrative business to be in. Ironically enough, the founder of DuPont came to America to escape the French Revolution but it was never enough. You lived and breathed innovation, which led to the development of hundreds of different chemicals and materials over the years. Kevlar used in bulletproof armor today, lycra, nylon, all these revolutionary materials that would go on to change the world were all made by DuPont's. Even your carpeting. And DuPont makes all that. But something was missing. So you started buying up all the gunpowder businesses you could find. It was so extreme that by 1912, your shopping spree caught the government's attention because you started turning the gunpowder business into your own monopoly. And as soon as you were declared a monopoly, you were ordered to divest from the industry. And your age of controlling the gunpowder business was over. Without the cash cow that was gunpowder, you needed something else to bring in revenue. And since DuPont were already experts at chemistry, you got involved in almost every chemical-related industry in the book. But everything changed in 1938. The world was on the verge of World War II, and Dr. Plunkett, whom we talked about earlier, accidentally discovers Teflon. Why don't most people know about this dark side of DuPont? Because DuPont is a master at branding. Makers of better things for better living through chemistry. Nearly everything in our daily lives is improved by chemistry. From transportation to the clothes we wear. Chemistry helps bring us better food, makes our homes more beautiful, more comfortable, helps protect our health, and adds to the enjoyment of our leisure time. Teflon is made using a chemical called C8, also known as PFOA, or this long word. Being that it repels water, oil, stains, and can withstand a lot of heat, Teflon was perfect to coat the tanks and military vehicles the army was going to need for World War II. Instead of rain, mud, and the elements damaging and corroding tanks over time, it would simply slide off the surface if it was coated in Teflon. The C8 in Teflon was important to keep the material from clumping while it was being applied. And at the same time, C8 or PFOA was seen as completely safe. 
This new wonder material could change the world. But there was a problem. Teflon production in the 1940s was expensive. So expensive that making everyday items like pants or rain jackets was unthinkable. So to make enough Teflon to meet the growing demand, while keeping expenses as low as possible, you would need an affordable source of C8s. And that's where 3M came in. Around the same time, a French engineer named Marc Gregor had the idea of coating all his fishing gear in Teflon to keep it from getting tangled. No one really knows if this ever worked, because at the exact same time, his wife had an even better idea that took the spotlight. Teflon coated pans and pots, cooking equipment that wouldn't need to be scrubbed or soaked to get clean. People could just wipe the food off with a damp cloth. And so Teflon pans were born, and it would change the course of the food industry forever. Suddenly, the world realized all the possibilities that came with Teflon, and the manufacturing and distribution of it skyrocketed. Some people use a little oil or butter when they cook so that things don't stick to the pan. But I use polytetraflora ethylene. Some sports call it non-stick for short. Mmm, now that's cooking. So you sat back and watched the fortune start rolling in. The world started going crazy for non-stick pans, self-cleaning ovens, and Teflon-coated furniture. But you knew this craze was unsustainable. You see, even though the US government didn't recognize PFOA as a dangerous chemical, both DuPont and 3M knew it was potentially toxic. With every batch of C8 you bought from 3M, the instructions for disposing it were the same. Incinerate it, or send it to chemical waste facilities. Even your own disposal instructions specified that it should never be flushed into sewers or surface water. Which means that way back before Teflon grew into the global material it is today, you and 3M had an inkling that eventually something was going to go wrong. But that didn't stop you from making millions from the new Teflon-coated inventions that were being created almost every day. So how did DuPont go about following those instructions to dispose of C8? Dumping it into the planet, of course. In one town alone, Parkersburg, West Virginia, the DuPont Teflon manufacturing plant dumped hundreds of thousands of pounds of C8 into the Ohio River. And that was just the beginning. What's this Silverstone-coated fry pan doing in an oven? Letting you know that durable, non-stick Silverstone is available on bakeware, such as cake pans, muffin pans, cookie sheets, and loaf pans. And since most foods won't stick to Silverstone, cleaning up is quick and easy. So let Silverstone take you out of the frying pan and into bakeware. Because the process to manufacture Teflon had been so expensive to begin with, you needed to keep expenses as low as possible. And dumping C8 into rivers and unprotected landfills was so much cheaper than actually disposing it the right way or building incinerators. But dumping C8 into unlined pits and rivers meant it spread rather quickly. So within a few years, PFOA chemicals had seeped into the groundwater surrounding Parkersburg and nearby towns. The same groundwater that was being used to produce tap water, ready to drink for more than 100,000 people. You and 3M had your suspicions, but you didn't want to find out whether or not they were true. I mean, if you really didn't know C8 was toxic, there would always be some plausible deniability. The I didn't know so you can't blame me card that the government always pulls. But it got to a point where researchers at DuPont just couldn't let their curiosity go. And in 1961, they started secret medical studies on PFOA and C8, behind closed doors more than two decades after mass production of Teflon started. And what they found was horrifying. C8, the same chemical that had been marketed as completely safe for decades, was extremely toxic to human and animals. Exposure to C8 increased the size of liver in rats, rabbits, and dogs. And if it had this effect on animals, who knows what it would have had on humans. 
but the profits were just too good to switch off. So the sale of Teflon continued, and the research results were carefully locked up. For a few years, it looked like you could keep your secrets. That was until DuPont researchers discovered crazy high concentrations of PFOA in your workers' own blood, and the race was on. It was only a matter of time before something happened that exposed the dangers of PFOAs. So to make sure the victims stay quiet, you had to get to them first. So DuPont started watching and monitoring their workers in secrets. In 1981, 3M reported that PFOA caused birth defects in rats. So you reassigned pregnant women away from the Teflon manufacturing line and carefully observed their babies for any sort of defects. And when two out of seven babies were born with eye defects, well, you deny any and all responsibility. Then in 1984, Another report came out that PFOA dust was getting through the factory chimneys, settling on land far away from the factory, and had gotten into the local water supply. But again, you do not disclose this damning information. By the 90s, your PFOA business is worth more than a billion dollars. This is generational wealth only a few could dream of, and you weren't just going to give that up over C8 possibly being dangerous. So Teflon sales and ads kept growing. Chemistry is the, is the practice of magic. People think of Teflon and think of frying pans. Teflon is not one thing. Putting Teflon on a surface will stop bugs from crawling up trees. They'll fall right off the tree. Teflon is a chain loop. This is something I've come up with for bicycles. You know, only DuPont makes Teflon. And you can use it in satellites, on fabrics, or leather. When's the last time you heard about a, a leather raincoat? <laughs> you can let your imagination run wild. It's not often that you get to make something new in this world. While DuPont kicked the can down the road once more, Except now, decades of C8 exposure had passed, and its effects were finally starting to show. Perfect eggs don't always start with the egg. They start with Silverstone. It's the most durable nonstick surface ever made by DuPont. And just to prove our point, we'll cook some eggs with these letters and still not hurt Silverstone's non-stick performance. See? So no matter what you're making. Parkersburg, West Virginia, the late 90s. A farmer by the name Wilbur Tennant was going through something strange. He had come across two dead deer and two dead cows at a nearby river. The deers had blood coming out of their noses. I've taken two dead deer and two dead cattle off of this ripple right here. And they tell me the deer died with hemorrhing disease. The blood run out of their nose and out of their mouth, but uh, they've never, DNR has never checked into it. The EPA of the state of West Virginia is trying to cover this stuff up. Coincidentally, over the past few years, 153 of his 600 cows have been found dead, all with the same MO. They show bleeding from their noses and has signs of serious illness and damage to their internal organs. All the cows had access to that same river. A year later, he filmed what happened to his cows. See, she's hemorrhaged out the nose. This is 153 of these animals that I've lost on this farm. Coincidentally, not long before the cows started getting sick, the farmer's brother has sold 66 acres of land to DuPont to be used as a non-hazardous landfill. Also coincidentally, the river led upstream to a factory known as the DuPont Washington Works. It didn't take a genius to put two and two together, so he went to DuPont, but obviously they denied everything. What was even stranger was that whenever he went to anyone in town for help, doctors, vets, and even local politicians and lawyers, no one was willing to help him. Vets wouldn't go to see Wilbur's cows. Lifelong friends of Wilbur and his family ignored them on the streets. They had to change their church four times. 
So Wilbur reached out to an environmental lawyer outside of Parkersburg named Rob Billets, who spent most of his career representing corporations like DuPont's. The lawyer took the case, and together they traced the cattle's illness to a pipe, clearly labeled DuPont's, that was pumping a green bubbly liquid into the creek from which Wilbur's cows drank, literally like something out of a movie. So in 1999, Rob Billet and Wilbur Tennant filed a federal lawsuit against DuPont's. As DuPont, this was a corporate nightmare for you. Your charade was getting unveiled. Here was a complete nobody, an unknown cattle farmer who could potentially destroy your entire business. So you put the blame on him. It wasn't your non-hazardous waste that was making his cows sick. Wilbur and his family just didn't know how to take care of the cows. If the cows were dying, it was their own fault. Now on paper, some small-time farmer should have given up pretty easily when bombarded with endless legal fees and paperwork. But even if he wanted to give up, his lawyer refused to throw in the towel. Then Billet found the smoking gun. In one letter from DuPont to the EPA, Billet found a reference to a cryptically named chemical, PFOA. No one at his firm knew what it was, but Billet and his client were getting close to the truth. So when they came asking for documents DuPont had on the subject, DuPont outright refused. They may have found the smoking gun, but DuPont wasn't going to hand up a sign and stamp confession until they had no choice. Billet got a court order compelling DuPont to hand over all the information they had on PFOA, and DuPont submitted more than 110,000 pages. If you can't suppress the truth, you can at least hide it between 100,000 pages and hope it's never found. But Billet recognized the tactic and knew he was getting close. And by the end of the year 2000, he had everything he needed. A document explaining that in 1990, DuPont had knowingly dumped toxic PFOA waste into the landfill near Wilbur's property, knowing it drained into their land. Wilbur Tennant and his family settled. The farmer's fight was over, but for the lawyer, in his own words he said, quote, I was irritated, end quote. Irritated that DuPont could just get away with a slap on the wrist and a simple fine to pay. So the battle was just beginning. There was one email in particular where after I had alerted the company that I had finally kind of started figuring this out and I was aware that PFOA was what was in the landfill and it was what the cows were drinking and it was in the public water supply. There was a, uh, an email where the uh, council made a reference to F him. Uh, he knows about this now and F him. So he's Unless you want to develop a strong attachment to dinner, choose a DuPont non-stick. Because whether you spend a little or a lot, you're guaranteed of getting a quality non-stick certified by DuPont. Don't get stuck. Look for these seals. The farmer's case had opened the floodgates, and Billet was just getting started. Under the Toxic Substances Control Act, the EPA could only test chemicals if it was provided with evidence of harm, and the farmer's cow had given Billet exactly that. So in 2005, DuPont settled with the EPA on a $16.5 million fine for hiding the toxicity and spread of PFOA. But that wasn't the end. More and more people from Parkersburg started coming forward as they found out about PFOA and the effects it had on humans and animals. Joseph Kiger, a night school teacher, joined Billet's team as lead plaintiff. He had liver disease, possibly related to PFOA in his drinking water. And when he tried talking to the West Virginia Department of Natural Resources, the Parkersburg State Department of Environmental Protection, the Water Division, the local health department, he was either shut down or lied to every single time. But the major breakthrough came when Billet and his team finished a new medical study of 70,000 people. It proved that PFOA was in fact linked to at least six diseases including cancer and thyroid disease, and that DuPont had at least known about the cancer for years. All of a sudden, Thousands of people were now standing to sue DuPont.
Because of the study, DuPont was now faced with a lawsuit and criminal investigation from the EPA, and was ordered to phase out the production of C8 in the U.S. over a generous 10 years. During the course of our lawsuit, as we're providing more of this information to the U.S. EPA, and the U.S. EPA is getting more and more concerned about it, they've brought a lawsuit. They've started actually a criminal investigation uh, in 2005. DuPont eventually settles our case in West Virginia. Uh, they also then settle the, the case that the U.S. EPA had brought against them. And one of the things they also agree to do is they announce that they will have a 10-year phase-out of any further manufacturing or use of PFOA in the United States. DuPont was on the verge of losing its most profitable products. But as DuPont, you had a very simple solution to this. Since every forever chemical had to be regulated individually, you could theoretically switch up the chemical composition of C8 a bit and call it a brand new thing that isn't banned. Enter Gen X, a less toxic version of C8, sold by a new spin-off company called Chamors, since the branding of DuPont was damaged. The DuPont company spun off the division that had been making Teflon-related materials. They, they spun it off into a new company called Chamors. Um, and the Camours company took over a lot of these plants, including the Parkersburg plant, that had been making these floral products. They shifted over to a new material, which they are referring to now as Gen X. Chamours literally just took over the exact same plants that just a few years earlier were pumping extremely toxic PFOA into the environment. By 2015, all production of PFOA had stopped, just as the production of Gen X was booming. Despite the lawsuits, DuPont stayed profitable, and in 2017, it merged with the Dow Chemical Company to form Dow DuPont, the new face of the chemical industry worth at least $130 billion. DuPont also has an agricultural chemical and seed division called Pioneer Hybrid that was later spun off into a company called Corteva. They sell pesticides and genetically modified seeds, much like the company Monsanto, which is perhaps one of the most controversial corporations on the planet. But that is a very long, dark story that deserves its own feature-length 40-minute-plus documentary that's going to come out next week, or will be already out by the time you're watching this, called Monsanto, the company that owns the world's food supply. But here's the thing. Stories like Monsanto are going to be some of the darkest, most Machiavellian videos I have ever made. Imagine these videos taken to a further extreme, where we're going to uncover how the elite really think, that you're never going to hear them admit. Because if the elite did admit this, they would either be pillaged or sent to the guillotine. Or at the bare minimum, they would have more competition to deal with. So that's why you're never going to hear about this stuff anywhere else. You're not going to hear it from your parents or friends, because they're most likely not in private circles with powerful people. And you're not going to hear it from your business professors, because they're probably broke. But we're going to break it down here, in all its Machiavellian glory. But the thing is, just like DuPont, if I release these teachings to the public, I'm definitely going to get cancelled. So we're not going to be releasing these to the public. Uh, why doesn't he just give it all away for free? Right, Tony? If only. Why shouldn't Jake just do all that work for free? Put it out there. It's easy work. You know, he does that a lot. It's a hobby for him. 
I think he just sits down at the computer and it all just happens. He doesn't actually happens. have to work to do that. So he should just <laughs> give it away for free. People say I'm being facetious. I defend yeah. his call no. to action uh, and I his agree. exchange okay. for value for value. Good job. More people should learn how to do that. You should have something valuable that people want more than federal reserve notes, which are practically worthless these days. It's not a, <laughs> not setting the bar very high for people, but it's a starting point. All right. So what do we, what do we want to hit in this post intermission section of episode 89? Um, let me go through it here real quick. If it's on the screen as well. I like this pitch at the end about, you know, learn stuff they won't teach you in college. I've heard of something like that before. I think it's called autonomy. He didn't mention it, but I'm pretty sure that's what he was talking about. I wouldn't say there's anything extremely important. Tony steps right over my humor like it never even happened. Maybe it didn't. Sorry, I wasn't even paying attention. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Whatever you said, yeah, definitely. It's not. No offense. About uh, my YouTube playlist for production, do we hit all the the major points out of that one? January sixth section. The Davis crew wants robots in the classroom. In the future, uh, Tony and I can have this conversation during the interview Burmis or the uh, intermission. Yeah, I guess we could have done that actually. Sorry, what do you ask? Uh, The YouTube playlist for this week. YouTube playlist. There might have been a couple Burmis video about robots in the classroom. Yeah, that's why I just. Yeah, let's go for a couple minutes of that because, you know, robots are the future of the World Economic Forum. The robots are the end of humanity. (laughs) Or maybe not. Maybe we become friends with them. I hope we become friends. We are like symbiotic, maybe. But the the, the philosophy of liberty would need to be programmed into the algorithm. Hint, hint. Remember earlier I said you shouldn't be programming the algorithm to fuck over humanity? Maybe. Get a little philosophy of liberty in there and uh, help the algorithm and the the robotics find freedom with us. Then we can all live in peace and explore the universe together forever. It's another Bill Hicks quote. I know, it's Bill Hicks. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Jason Jason Burmis here. And here's the deal. Whether you realize it or not, right now, the education system is not only being taken away from you as a parent in all regards and being weaponized against you because the state wants control of your children. That's a big part of it. But it is also part of this transhuman agenda to acclimate them to the automation nation and robotization of society that will be integral in the process of merging with machines. That's a reality. That's something people have to come to grips with. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to show you a World Economic Forum piece, you know, one of these lovely little square PSAs with the hypnotic music, right? You know, what did you love about 
the COVID-1984 period. Did you love it? Did you get enough of it? Boy, what are we going to keep? Those type of videos, right? And this one's going to be rough because I don't even like to talk about that subject because of all the censorship via YouTube, at least on the platform I'm at now. I'll talk about it anywhere else. But this is, after all, World Economic Forum approved, right? This is this is straight out of the United Nations. This is pro-World Health Organization. So everything that they're going to uh, present as a solution to a problem that, you know, once, once again, I don't even want to get into on this platform, is to bring robots into school to protect you. Now, this is just the beginning. Right. And, you know, today I, I had to see this story. I tweeted it out. Anybody can go check it out. Musk's on a boat. Care for its boat day with a bunch of models. This guy's giving you the optimist bot. Right. That looks like a human being. All right. And this is what the acclamation is all about. So before we get going, thumbs it up, subscribe and share. Remember, check me out uncensored on Podbean, Rumble and Rockfin. And really, let's let's just get to it. Let's start her off with with this video right here. Our good friends at the World Economic Forum is talking about life-saving robots for you know what's key. I'm not saying they're going to save your life. I'm not saying they're not going to. And they show you like a, a hologram person pushing the robot. It's really bizarre, right? These people are just whack tacky. Slave robots in your schools, and they're going to disinfect. So now, what that is, this is what's crazy. You know, it's kind of like the little vacuum, but it has UV lights to scramble genetical, uh, genetic material inside. Yeah, I don't want to say it, rendering them inactive. Now, I want to point out that Andrew Capo Cuomo would use uh, UV uh, lights, etc., on the subways, right? And when another particular politician would talk about that, you got banned for you-know-what. That That's the reality here. And, and again, this is part of a longer, larger plan globally, right? The, the World Health Organization has now just announced that non-binary is not only a thing, but genders are infinite, really. And that is, again, because robots, automation, UBI... More state control of everything, the bio nano state, and robots on the way to cyborgs. So here's uh, the LIDAR sensor to find their way. Great. See, they're going to use uh, what they use on autonomous vehicles. And then they're saying, you know, the human being's going to wheel it around. Okay. And then the aid bot has been piloted in two schools in Delaware. Lovely. And again, this is about medicine, too. We, we've talked about it. Uh, Grace, which uh, is Sophia's cousin and may run on the cryptocurrency Cardano. All there. Okay. And, and, and these spray downs, this fear mongering. I mean, they're, they're probably going to make these things very appealing to children. Just like. The, think about it. The only reason that you would try to build a robot with the dexterity of humans, because let's be honest, yeah, we've got it really great genetically, but there are certainly things uh, that machines tweaked and, uh, you know, 
Annie Jacobson just uh, tweeted, and I retweeted this, the latest movement of the cheetah bot. I mean, this thing should frighten you now. They're doing that again to acclimate you to it. They, they, they could build them much differently and much more efficiently, but they're not. And now we'll have cleaners, don't worry. Still about keeping you safe. Keep them open. <laughs> Educational inequalities. I, I mean, again, I don't even want to get into all the negative aspects. You know how I feel about all this nonsense. Yeah, it did cause long-term harm to the U.S. economy. How did the school closures affect your family? I mean, now they and then they just put it right in your face. But you see, this is the next solution. You know, let's put robots everywhere. So before we go to my boy Dennis Bushnell, which we do a lot, I want to go to this document right here because this is one that we haven't focused on. All right. This is in uh, 2020. And there's words I don't even want to read in here. We don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to get kicked off the platform. Okay. But let's get to education right here. All right. Because it's going to go down quite a ways. I want people to see this. Let's let's bring it in 150%, okay? And this is beyond just transhumanism now. This is when you start to uh, acclimate them. This, this is kind of like what the metaverse is, okay? Um, acclimating them here. And then the idea that you're going to upload your consciousness. We're not even going to play the upload your consciousness clip. We're going to actually play him talking about education. Uh, vastly how the robot teachers are better remember robots get programmed they don't have an actual soul they do what we program program them to do all right so you know what i want let, let's just get rid of that we'll we'll go here the benefits of digital reality teletravel compared to physical travel include social distancing working at home during pandemics major cost reductions this is november 2020 guys Time savings, less airport security, and other hassles can literally be anywhere at any time with multiple contacts, places, meetings on a given day. It's also always surveilled, by the way. There's no anonymity online when you're having these meetings. That's huge for uh, the military-industrial complex, the surveillance state, and the predator class in general. I want to point that out. Eliminates all privacy. And, I, and I'm not saying that there aren't pros to this. I, I love that I can telecommunicate with all of you right now watching on multiple platforms, right? It's that technology double-edged sword. Is Am I using it to empower humanity and share information? Yes. Will they use it to enslave you? You better believe it. You better believe it. Okay, so let's continue. Uh, lack of physical and health risks, no overcrowded site venues, greatly reduce CO2 emissions. Water above the uh, troposphere, thin cirrus clouds, endangered climate forcing. This guy's a big climate sustainability guy. He's a, you see how it all integrates? That's why this is, the, the, these are all the same things that Davos is pushing. The World Economic is pushing. The chief scientist at NASA is pushing. Sustainability. CO2 is the great evil. Okay. Hook into the computers. Social distance. It's all right here. Now now we're going to get into 
the educational aspect of it. Okay, uh, enables travel to be uh, to be the infirm provides superb educational experiences. We're, he's going to elaborate that on that in a moment in the video, and with current technology provides the nonverbal body language portion of communications all with far less time spent away from the home and family. See how he, oh, you'll have to spend less time from your home and family. Home and family? Home and family? What, what is that, that going to be at this point? You've already dumped the birth rates. Most people who do start families don't start till later in life. It's harder and harder to afford a home. The virtual meeting market was pre you know what covid 1984 some four billion dollars a year and for the most again this is november 2020 and for most businesses purposes is now considered equal to on-site physical travel endangered meetings now in the document that we constantly go to here future strategic issues and warfare 2025 this is from 2001 let's point it out here oh we didn't want six we wanted 16 Telecommuting, teleshopping, teleentertainment, teletravel, teleeducation, telemedicine, telecommerce, telepolitics, telesocialization, TikTok, Facebook, Snapchat, FaceTime, you know, Messenger, you name it. It's all here. It's right here, 2001 style. Same guy. Same guy. Okay? So when he's telling you tele everything, and now teletravel, and we've got this in the mix, okay? Travel travel engineered meetings. Nice. Teletravel provides overall greater efficiency, quality of life, and better work family life balance. I mean, listen, again, you can use it to empower you, but again, look at look at how much COVID-1984 comes into this. As we enter the post-COVID-1984 period which is typified by strategic economics, there is a need to rapidly catch up. There has been extensive, largely successful utilization during the period of COVID-1984, social, physical disengagement of virtual tele-interactions for nearly everything, just like he predicted in 2001. Therefore, the expectation is that utilization of digital reality and tele-everything will be accelerated going forward throwing that out there. And now he's going to tell you how wonderful the, um, the machines are. are capable of, uh, are in fact more effective. The robot teachers in educating children, uh, they're more creative. The child has more control and so forth and so on. The studies show that child's, uh, children learn four to five times faster than they do in, in the conventional schools. And that's because conventional schools, uh, they, they have a, a large amount of time keeping order. Uh, the a large amount of time keeping order. You know, it's not on the curriculum. It's not on the testing. It's not on the quality of the teacher themselves. It's that they have to keep order. Wow. That's, that's nice, Dennis. And then he starts going into, and I want to be clear about this. I feel like a lot of kids do get left behind that are in the upper echelons of class because there aren't the same kind of programs anymore. But those programs have existed. And if you put these same kids that have been tested with the robot teachers 
with a good teacher around kids at their education level, sky's the limit. Same results, probably better because they're interacting with other children that they can relate to. Just want to point that out. But it's all about the dehumanization of our of our entire society. Them having control over your children, these teachers will teach what they put into the curriculum. Think how bad it's gotten now. Without question, these robots will not have morality. And you can go check out like Google AI already. And they have these people that still talk in a robotic voice. But it's all synthetic. It's not even an actor. It's 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 fake sauce. All right, but they're going to sell you on fake sauce. Because as they interact with these things, as they tele-travel, it will incorporate them to believe that they can truly have a virtual age. Okay? A virtual age beyond the bio-nano era that has already begun. And that he predicted would begin in 2020, and lo and behold, a lot of people could argue it did. You know what I'm saying? Technological ages of human kind. So let's let uh, Dennis here finish up, and then we're going to finish up. Thumbs up, subscribe, and share. And remember, uh, we never know when we're going to get kicked off. Again, they, they took down another video. They decided not to give me a strike. Classmates are not always supportive for people who are, are brainy and intelligent, so forth and so on. So that you know, the total education system for for the robot teacher tends to be better. So the total education system for the teacher tends to be better. They're coming for your kids. They're coming for our lifestyles, and it's going beyond the techno-fascist new world order that I thought I would see. And we're already seeing come into this into fruition in many ways. But pedal to the metal, full transhumanism, believe the hype. All right, so that was a good workout with Jason. <clears throat> if you don't know Dennis Bushnell's work by now, you haven't watched enough Jason Burmas. And that's a <clears throat> fresh perspective on the artifact, looking at the education system, how they want to roboticize teaching of children. It's interesting, right? Because they didn't like take the history left behind by John Taylor Gatto, New York City and New York State School Teacher of the Year and say, we're going to make a cybernetic robot Gatto so we can have like take the best teacher and emulate that across kind of like what they did in Star Wars when they made the clones. I used Jenga Fett and uh, they made the clone army with that, right? Like they took the best soldier yeah. and then they just yeah. made a bunch of them, right? So they didn't take the best teacher and make a bunch of them. No, 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 no. They're just creating a cybernetic technological proxy. Anything they had to sort of codify even more than what right. existed before. Because they had to get the children to accept the technology in the classroom. What if you could get every teacher to spy on every interventions? What? What if you could get every teacher to spy on every aspect of every child's education and like database that? Because that's what it's going to do. Like all those robot teachers are going to report back to central command. Yeah. And now when they say that goes on your permanent record, that's no shit, dude. That's going to be on your permanent record. Yeah. Cybernetically social credit score, like yeah. forever in the electronic social environment. That's what it is. It's yeah. social engineering through technology. That's the scary thing. Well, I, I, I wanted to, because some of the stuff he was saying made me think about like how they just want to take parents out of the picture, take teachers out of the picture and have government grow kids. Right. And um, oh, I had an artifact. I wanted to share. And then in the midst of finding that artifact in the other room, <clears throat> I found other artifacts that were cool. So hold on a second. Let's see. 
Let's book him and up. Book him. Number one, this is not the artifact, but it's kind of cool. Uh, let's <laughs> zoom out. Scarce in any, any, any condition. This is before the movie came out. There was a book. You read it. This is this this here is a book of mine when I was like in first grade. That's I was reading some Star Wars. Not too long after that, I was in fourth grade. I got another pocket book here. Now, this isn't the same copy I read when I was a kid, but the copy I read at my aunt's house was this copy with this paperback cover. So later on in life, I did get a copy of that to remember the good old days before 1984. And then this is the book I was actually going to look for. Remember what it, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World was only 35 cents, right? The mighty novel of Solus, Streamlined Eden, and the two who escape it. Now, if I remember correctly... Let's see if we can get to, ooh, this is a El Fragile book here. This is all like falling apart. Uh, I believe this is a first edition of the paperback. Oh, wait, no, no, no. This is a fifth printing, maybe. Anyway, this is old. It's all yellowed. Um, there's a foreword. Let me just go to in the, in the year of our Ford. Did they get to chapter one? I was trying to show you the, the, the chapter one in this book is uh, the incubators and the fertility cult. Yeah, it's classic. Right. So I just wanted to see. A lot of sci-fi is taken from that. If this copy had the, the text that I remember. See, it goes forward, but I didn't see the chapter one marker. That's what <laughs> the I'm, editing is strange. Uh, chapter one. There it is. Okay which we have read on this podcast before, but not from the, this, this old, old version, a squat gray building of only 34 stories over the main entrance, the words central London hatchery and conditioning center. And in a shield, the world's state motto, right? It's a world state community, identity, stability. Ooh, glad they're not messing with any of these things these days. The enormous room on the ground floor faced towards the north, cold for all the summer beyond the panes, all for all the tropical heat of the room itself. A harsh, thin light glared through the windows, hungrily seeking some draped lay figure, some pallid shape of academic goose flesh, but only finding, right? There's no people, but only finding the glass and nickel and bleakly shining porcelain of a laboratory. So they're growing people in a room without any other people. Uh, I think that's done by robots. So they're going to have robots birth people and then robots educate people. And pretty soon they won't even need people. They'll just have robots and Ray Kurzweil will be their God. Yeah. Then you have some people trying to make the argument that, well, that was just the next stage of evolution. Biological evolution becomes silicon based. Something like that. Is silicon below carbon on the periodic table? So we'll have to see what you know happens. Interesting. To me, what it's always going to be a similar. It's going to be sort of a simulacrum or simulacrum. To what Jason was saying, like it's never. I mean, I guess it's not interesting if you don't read documents like that and you just think it's all accidental and coincidental. And you can go back to watching like whatever you watch. Oh, when the, do these YouTube. robots come to control most of supply chain and? Medical services, mm -hmm. education. 
Were there any other hits on that YouTube playlist that I had marked that looked like things we needed to make sure is in this episode? There's um, a there's a Sky News uh, clip about uh, Hunter Biden maybe facing sex trafficking charges. I don't know if you want. I'm sure it's or... fake news, but let's screen it just in case it's <laughs> in case Hunter Biden's a real person and in case the, he's related to the former vice president somehow. He's like a mythical, mythical creature. Uncompromisable. He said, I'm going to compromise myself. <laughs> They're a very special family in American history. <laughs> I'm sure they will be remembered. Let's check out the clip. Hunter Biden could face federal sex trafficking charges for transporting prostitutes across state lines. Documents and videos obtained by the Daily Mail show Hunter paying to bring the hookers hundreds of miles to his hotel. This all happened during a five-month $30,000 sex binge where Hunter wrote false checks disguised as medical payments to pay for prostitutes, some of it financed by his father, Joe. Audio listeners, should I back it up? Dude, you should just stop it. Look, they stole a shot out of my 2007 film right there. All right, uh, I don't, I don't understand in what world people are getting paid to put news on screen that has to be read, but they're not given the voiceover to it. And you're right, LD. That's I'm standing, I'm standing here in wonder of like how those people have jobs and how that's a finished product or something. The, the, the gist uh hunter biden how would you explain it ld what do you think's going on there he's um an example to be learned from for the next generation right i mean i don't understand why you would write checks for prostitutes more eva bro or that it was even illegal to do that i mean i thought you could write a lobbyist uh, check as long as you have daddy biden was he not hiring lobbyists is there a different type of prostitute other people that do, do stuff for money is maybe relevant there i don't know interesting $30, story thousand dollars I, I still don't know who this hunter biden guy is though apparently well, there's nothing to see there it, it doesn't sound like a happy situation hmm. uh some of the communications on his laptop i think he was expressing um angst about having to pay the bills for the family for 30 years and always having to cut the big guy in for 50 percent or something hmm. like that hmm. maybe that's his yeah. pet name for his dick i didn't think it's <laughs> always cutting the big guy in for half Oh, there's more Jesse Waters, I guess, that, that the uh, 
un- <laughs> I don't know if you like want to. He's like, that's 3 a.m. low right there. Yeah, really. That's funny. Um, yeah, as far I mean, that's our president, well, our president's son, former vice president's son. Whatever <laughs> is parading around saying they. Oh, wait, let's go to this Kim Iverson. Mainstream media fact checkers hilariously claim Hunter Biden stories are not suppressed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's. That seems like it should go with that. That story of. Tragic celebrity. That is Hunter Biden. The same man who does that. He takes pictures of himself like that. I guess Hunter Biden does. Hi, Kim. What's on your radar? All right, well, I want to do something a little bit different today, and I want to share share with you this Newsweek article that has been popping up whenever you do a search for Hunter Biden iCloud. This is a fact check about whether or not Google suppressed the latest Hunter Biden story. So I'm going to read from this article a little bit to show you, you know, what the fact checkers have to say about whether or not Google suppressed the latest Hunter Biden story. So here's the story. Fact check. Do screen grabs prove Google censored Hunter Biden iCloud leaks? Hunter Biden has provided plenty of stories which at have at points proved damaging to President Joe Biden and his family, both before and after he took the White House. Despite widespread coverage from many notable media outlets, conspiratorially minded opponents of the president still insist that investigations of Hunter have not been thorough, implying a deliberate effort by mainstream institutions to protect him. Now, with rumors swirling about the president's son's past following an alleged data leak, the same type of conspiratorial narratives have reemerged, it says. The claim, here's the claim that Newsweek is going to tell us. Tweets sent in July 2020 imply that Google results about an alleged leak of data relating to Hunter Biden have been censored by the search engine. Now, here's a photo of that disclaimer. Uh, This one appeared whenever people would do a search on Google for Hunter Biden iCloud or Hunter Biden iPhone, this disclaimer would pop up and it says, it looks like these results are changing quickly. If this topic is new, it can sometimes take time for reliable sources to publish information. Check the source. Are they trusted on this topic? Come back later. Other sources might have more information on this topic in a few hours or days. That's what the disclaimer says. Now, back to this Newsweek article that's fact-checking this, and they're going to now tell us the facts. So here are the facts. Conservative pundits have regularly criticized what they view as a suppression by the big tech and the mainstream media of scandals concerning Hunter Biden. The most notable of these was the Hunter Biden laptop story. Although the story was widely investigated and parts of it have been debunked, narratives still persist that the story was covered up, it says. Okay, wait a minute here. So they're saying, no, this was this uh, narrative still persists that the story was covered up, although the story was widely investigated and parts of it have been debunked. It was covered up. We know that Twitter banned the story. You weren't they, they banned the New York Post, their account, weren't able to circulate the story. Mainstream media would not report on it at all. We saw no reports coming out of mainstream media. And when they would make a comment about it, about why they weren't reporting on it, they would say, we don't want to talk about Russian disinformation. That's what they were calling the story. It took 18 months before Washington Post actually came out, 18 months after the story actually broke by the New York Post. 18 months before Washington Post came out and said, actually, it looks like these emails, we were able to kind of verify some of them. Turns out they're real. That came out 18 months later. But I guess, sure, uh, the story wasn't covered up 18 months later. 
after a while, people were able to report on it and talk about it. It just took some time. But, it, you know, so the fact checking the fact checkers here goes on to say in this in this article, much like some of the conspiratorial narratives surrounding the laptop story, some are claiming that large multinationals like Google are suppressing the distribution of this news story. Specifically, they imply that search engines have that the search engine has thrown up a warning and censors results. The banner shared on Twitter is a relatively recent feature introduced to flag results that may or may not have been shared among a wide range of sources that may not have been shared among a wide range of sources. One of the measures introduced to combat viral misinformation. So that's why they're doing it, to combat misinformation. A Google blog post published in 2021 states that it had trained our systems to detect when a topic is rapidly evolving and a range of sources hasn't yet weighed in. Well, and then it says, uh, Google on the blog post said, we'll now show a notice indicating that it may be best to check back later when more information from a wider range of sources might be available. The Newsweek goes on to say, critically, this means the search results about Hunter Biden have not been censored in their entirety. In spite of claims that the story has been suppressed, some mainstream publications, including Sky News, have already reported about this and other leaks, and they rated the accusation as false. Now, this story, when you Google now Hunter Biden iCloud or Hunter Biden iPhone, the first thing that pops up is this Newsweek fact check. They want you to read this fact check first before you go on and see any other content about Hunter Biden. And notably, all of the rest of the content, all of the rest of the stories about Hunter Biden are now from these mainstream sources. Many of them, not all, most of them are still not talking about it at all. And we'll go over that. But the ones that are popping up, they're basically saying, oh, it's not true. We don't really know much about it. It looks like there's somebody in the photos that has a likeness to Hunter Biden in the photos and videos from this data dump. But, you know, which is fair. We don't really fully know. People can Photoshop things. People make things up all the time. So fair enough. But this story pops up. So I did a search on CNN. Now, you can search their website for any phrase. And I searched for Hunter Biden. And you can see right here, this is displaying the results. Now, nothing on this page right now shows Hunter Biden. You've got January 6th committee holds fifth hearing, June 22nd, 2022, Russia, Ukraine news. And then underneath the five things to know for June 22nd, primaries, gun laws, January 6th. Now, okay, maybe these stories talk about Hunter Biden inside of them. So what I did next was I then clicked on these stories and this is what I saw. So when you do a search now inside of the story, you can see that the it is not found. I, I did a, a, an, a search inside the story for Hunter Biden's name, not found. Nothing containing Hunter Biden in this article at all. That happened over and over through all the articles that I searched on CNN that came up for Hunter Biden. So they're either not talking about Hunter Biden at all, or the algorithm is suppressing whenever Hunter Biden's name is, um, is searched for, the algorithm then maybe directs you into a different a, a different direction. Notably, all of them mention Biden, President Joe Biden, but they don't mention Hunter Biden. So, so then I thought, okay, well, maybe it's just because the algorithm doesn't work for Hunter Biden. It only is taking one of the words and it's giving you the top results for that one word, which would be Biden, which makes sense. He's a president of the United States. So I did a test on it and I actually tried another well-known name that is shared by multiple people, Trump. And when I went on to CNN search and I tried for Ivanka Trump, thinking, if anything, the top results would show up would be Donald Trump, if that's the case. 
Uh, no, all the stories that popped up involved Ivanka Trump specifically. So the algorithm isn't just picking up on one word. It is picking up on both. So either CNN is not reporting anything about Hunter Biden at all, or the algorithm is just set to forget the Hunter part and just give you the Biden part. So I did the same thing on MSNBC. I wanted to see, have they said anything at all about Hunter Biden's data leak? You would think this is a big story. I mean, the president's son, the president of the United States' son has had all of his personal data dumped onto a website. This is actually a pretty big story, no matter what you think of it. So MSNBC, I do a search. What do I find? I click, I, I do a search again. I put Hunter Biden in there. Nothing, I get, the only thing I get at the very first thing is Hunter Biden's ex-wife opens up about her marriage and how she learned to move on. That's the only thing that shows up on MSNBC. So I did this also, Washington Post, New York Times, all of the major liberal, liberal media organizations. Hunter Biden doesn't show up at all. So, you know, no matter how you slice it, this is a big story. I get it. It's not Hunter Biden's personal life, uh, what he does in his personal life. Uh, there is some merit to it when it in regards to criminality. Right. There should be a discussion about that. You've got Joe Biden, a lawmaker, talking about holding people accountable for certain crimes. He spent his career doing this. His son is now committing crimes. And there's no real discussion about the criminality of it. You know that if it were Donald Trump Jr. or Ivanka Trump committing crimes, even if they're not related to the office of the presidency, people would be talking about it ad nauseum. But they're not talking about Hunter Biden at all. But really the story, even if you don't want to talk about his personal life and maybe the crimes that were committed inside of the videos and the photos that were posted, um, you've got to at least report on the fact that the president's son had been hacked and that is data and potentially sensitive information, conversations he may or may not have had with the president of the United States, you would think that that information would be newsworthy of some level. Yet mainstream media has not touched the story at all. And now you've got Newsweek saying, fact check. Uh, it turns out there was no, there's no suppression of these stories. It's all a bunch of conspiratorially minded people talking about suppression. There's no suppression here, nothing to see here. So you see that, Tony, <clears throat> my theory about Hunter Biden doesn't exist is actually backed up by CNN, MSNBC, all the big channels. You can go ahead and search for him. He doesn't exist. He's not there. Nothing relevant. Nothing to see there. Right. It's almost like it is a post-truth world. So It is post-truth world. And it's almost like Hunter Biden is like an invisible man. So if you go back to the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. maybe Joe was shaking hands with Hunter, but he's an invisible man, or they just uh, airbrushed him out of history like that dude in the picture with Stalin. I don't know, one or the other. <clears throat> That's true, yeah. Or the guy is so senile, he's shaking hands with people that aren't there. Or maybe he's so close to the spirit world that he's actually seeing the other side at that point. I don't know. Pick uh, one of the above. I would choose like, like, all of the above, probably. <laughs> sure. Some sort of mix. All right. So uh, wrapping up this episode, we got all these fantastic members of Grand Theft World. You guys already get to see the war against us all because you're already a member, right? And then people who want to see that, they might become a member. But there's one more aspect of it that we should talk about. And I wanted to save it till later in the episode so the people with short attention spans don't find it because it's not for them. But there's this thing, uh, they're calling it the glossary. It's more like an index of my work. And for topics of eugenics or globalism or any of these types of things, you might be able to find one too many, one or many 
episodes of my work that might help you understand that at a much more detailed, specific, useful level. And uh, it took a long time to compile it, but it's a, a map by subject to not all of my work yet because it's still in you know process, but a substantial portion of it. LD's got it up there on screen. And, uh, you know, they're calling it the, uh, the glossary. What, what's the wording at the top of that page, LD? Because it's, it's real small on my end. Master Glossary, the private works of Richard Grove and lists uh, Grand Theft World, Tragedy to Hope. And then, yeah, just topics starting off with how critical thinking was cut off by state schools, philosophy of liberty. So each one of those links goes to an episode, right? And each episode yes. is probably, you know, substantial because I'm long form oh, content, yeah. dude. At least like four to eight hours somewhere. Now. Yeah. So now it's not just like I have a thousand hours of content back then. It's now you have a map to it's that. Nice thousand that's organized. Hours of that kind of gives you an, it's an idea that if you listen to these podcasts, you'll learn about these topics. That's one thing I, you know, I always thought would be very valuable to get a sense of. Because there's just so much. I mean, you had, what, 80-some piece revelations just alone, not to mention all the other work. So there's going to be a public version of that document, and there's going to be a behind-the-paywall version for the members of Grand Theft World community because the useful version of the document behind the paywall also connects to all the not publicly available source media that is cited within the glossary. So... There'll be like a scaled down version. It's available to the public, just like a lot of my work was available to the public for many, 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 many years. I also have some work behind the paywalls. It's good to have a map and an index to help locate all that great, valuable, substantial, meaningful work that's behind uh, a membership, a subscription, or an enrollment in one of the courses. So um, with that, I wanted to also, for anyone who says I'm interested, but uh, not right now, or the cash is not flowing enough, I got something free. You mentioned uh, the Freedom Vault uh, in the uh, the trailer earlier tonight. The link to get the Freedom Vault, which is free, and it's got useful stuff just to get started. You can bootstrap yourself from there. Getautonomy.info forward slash Freedom Vault, all one word, Freedom Vault, V-A-U-L-T. And then I'll get you uh, at least started on the slow road. LD, aside from the members, who else do we have to thank for tonight's festivities and gala? All right. Yes. Uh, so big thanks to all the Grand Theft World subscribers and to the Rockfin tippers this evening. Jim Garrison, Tina Hagen, Jack Jack, Jim Garrison again. Tcan, Biscotti, Biodigital Goblin, Vervain, Verve, Dallas Avad three times. Um, wow. Matt Green said kudos once again, GTW team. And Thomas Hutchinson said uh, <clears throat> once again, the best independent reporting, commentary, and historical contextual analysis on the web. Thanks, LD, Tony, and Richard. And thank uh, you. Yeah. Oh, thank you all. It's very impressive. Thank you, thank you to everyone. And it seems to be a lot of the same names that are consistently showing up, supporting. And uh, I want to say thank you because that's how we can all make it go forward together. The rest of the people, they're kind of along for the ride. They're just listening, but you guys are the ones that take action. So thank you. And actions uh, always rewarded with more value. 
Yeah, thanks. And if you are new, if uh, you haven't done so, please uh, check out grandtheftworld.com. Go to the uh, top right corner. You can join the community, pick a, choose a level of support, and get inside the uh, Library of Cognitive Liberty and the Discord server, where you can jump in and participate in the bi-weekly Tuesday night town halls. Is that right? Bi- <laughs> bi-weekly yeah, bi- I was just laughing because yeah. you're going to play the thing at the end where you say it again. That's correct. But, but you were doing oh, yeah. a newer version. Tony, it. when's your next town hall? Uh, this Tuesday. This Tuesday, this Tuesday, upcoming Tuesday, Tuesday, which is what is it? And why should 20? people who are members like tune into the oh, town hall? What's in it for them? Uh, actually, tomorrow now. Yeah, so the nineteenth. Uh, join in because for literally being able to talk about anything you'd like to talk. No, I'm just kidding. You get to meet other like-minded individuals that. Um, get to share their experiences, you know, their insights, their things they're, you know, curious about what they're researching. You get to share that with other people of like minds and people that have come together that recognize a lot of the same sort of issues um, are dealing with it in, you know, their own unique way with, you know, their families and their work and what they're going through. And it's just like a really great exercise to be able to just meet other people and just realize like, you're not real, you're not alone. There's a shared experience here where, you know, we come from different places in regards to, what's happening right now but it's uh just a great space just i try to create a space where you can just like come and you can relax a little bit be yourself you know share your share you know share and dialogue together and um we usually try if there's not much going on we send it around topics on the show um just to kind of get it started and then from there once it gets started it goes anywhere any place you can imagine so i'll sort of leave it there um but it's been a lot of fun it's sort of a podcast within a podcast because we tend to go every other week, every other Tuesday, like five or six hours, no matter how much I try to cut it off around 11. It's the interactive dynamic. Yeah. That's what I part, think that's what people like right. most about it. Yeah. And it's where the people who are taking action are actually taking action as opposed to just being spectators. They're getting on the field and some people are, they've been on the field before and they know how to, play the game and other people are you know asking a question for the first time and they don't really talk to anybody about these topics and exactly. so yeah that's been encouraging learning on some people have mentioned that but it's been encouraging to see them willing to over time not just sort of and i encourage it look if you want to eavesdrop and don't feel comfortable on yeah, the start mic as or a wallflower yeah, just like you know internalize think cogitate marinate but at some point it. when you have a question know how to unmute and some have up. gotten there yeah it's been it's been good to see and so i'll try to cultivate an environment where people feel comfortable well, um, it'll feel liberating yeah <laughs> less restrictive you got it that's the I'll, goal. I'll leave it there so yeah mo tonight town hall it is this tuesday seven o'clock p.m and we go until i try to shut it down and then someone asks me questions that keep it going another two to three right on town halls for grand theft world members grandtheftworld.com it's not just the front page it's the community behind it and then the podcast that comes about once a week all right uh next week uh we will be back we'll be here for episode 90 i'm sure the world's just going to get crazier in the next week so uh we'll we'll take it one step at a time we'll bring you back a nice distillation next week and condense it down and get into some more deep dives at different books we haven't talked about yet because i'm sure they're going to do things 
that they haven't done yet. So thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out. And do we have anyone left in this episode to play us out? Uh, See, well, we, we do have part. we do have a Hunter also, Biden music sorry, video. If it's there <laughs> if it's not for a, the record, I yeah, I have not seen this video, but it is made from the evidence and uh it should probably go in the time capsule unfortunately for you know or fortunately maybe this is very refreshing to people in the future as well as the present maybe i'll turn off the youtube stream just in case yeah just because i feel like Uh, i've been pushing my luck with uh yeah youtube so yeah if you're on youtube lose go somewhere else right now account yeah he's got a strike from last week he's a pirate that jules kroll He's had a he's had a turn of faith and now he's on the good guy side. He had a straight class. What do you have a straight? Well, I guess we'll talk off. Yeah, we'll talk offline. All right. So uh YouTube, thank you guys for tuning in. But uh we're gonna watch this risque video of Hunter Biden laptop footage, it sounds like. Ciao. Cheers, everybody. Those and tricks. Oh, good night. All right, now for the Rockfin and everyone else. All right, let's see this video and then uh we'll see you next week. Yeah,
my price is my life. <laughs> because they wanted to release things from the drive on their terms and to control the narrative. Look yeah. clear. The purpose here is not to entertain yeah. literally, you know, retards on their keyboards. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.